everybody, and we're live here at the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neil. And And we're joined by Mike Lackey, as you can see here, also known as Fred the Bum. Hello. I appreciate that you put that into your name. I love it. Yes, well, thank you very much for having me. Uh, I'm very excited to uh, join the Without Your Head with any luck, I will uh, have my show. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. There is, there are some very, there is a very cool decapitation in Street Trash, which I'll talk about here eventually. There's a lot of cool stuff in Street Trash. Yeah. So, I got a lot of my page. Oh, is this me echoing or someone else? Echoing? No, I, I, I fix it. Should be good. Okay, great. Um, a lot of people are excited about this interview. There's a lot of love. For Street Trash. We've already got built. Billy Graham is saying hi. Yo, Mike, good to see you a long time. Jamie Hill. Hey, Billy. Yeah. So, a lot of excitement about this. What do you think? Here we are. How many years later? Oh, many, 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 many years later. Well, you, yeah, you were, you. So, yeah, did you ever, when you were making Street Trash, um, did you think it, you know, what did you think? It would be at that time and also over the years um it seems like it's more popular than it's ever been uh-oh i think we got a delay well yeah. i'm getting a bit of echo here so i'm just gonna proceed boldly forward hmm. uh that's too bad it was working perfectly uh before we went live you would expect from Fred the Bum. firstly billy green uh, billy supplied uh rats and some other uh rodents for the original street trash film for our flashback scenes thank you for really that's very cool um yeah street trash has been a big part of my last gosh 40 years and right now that it's still remembered everyone's got their swag uh and it's tremendous to see that it's still so passionately weird and sometimes maybe people be reviled Perhaps, perhaps. But so, loved by all the right people. Right. Exactly. And reviled by the right ones as well. <laughs> so when you got involved in Street Trash, because I saw you also worked on the makeup, were you involved originally for the makeup or as an actor, or was it always going to be for both? Sure. Well, you know, originally the the feature film Street Trash was a student film for Jim Euro, a school of visual arts where we were attending at 1983, 84. And yes, to answer your question, I was brought on to do the makeup because like every other guy in 1983, 1984, I wanted to be on And uh, I worked on on the original script with Jim and the storyboards and all of the preparation work, making head casts and things like that. About the day before the movie was about to film on its first day, the actor who was going to be Fred, who I met, disappeared, wasn't returning calls. Nowadays, kids would say he was hosting us, um, but we had no idea where he went. So Jim turned to me. Remember, this is like 10 p.m. the night before shooting the very first day. He just turns to me and goes, I can't read the bug. So I wasn't asked. Uh, I didn't petition. Uh, I wasn't cajoled. 
uh, I was simply told that I was going to be Fred the Bum. His logic was inescapable. He said, you're going to be there anyway. So like all great roles, it was simply because I was going to be there anyway. And that was how it became Fred the Bum. But you could have been awful and you weren't. You were fun. You were great. You were endearing, even though you weren't always especially nice. You're still very likable. So you did great. Well, thank you. And I think there's a real difference um, for anyone who sees the original short film versus the feature. Yeah, Fred's a lot more likable in the original film. I always thought of Fred in the short film as sort of like Bugs Bunny, um, where he was just sort of bouncing from place to place, kind of causing chaos intentionally or not. Obviously, feature is a lot darker uh, with uh, the, some of the choices, let's say, uh, um, and I certainly would not want to um, be doing that in my real life as a civilian outside of the show. Yeah. So, uh, so did you actually have a beard? Did you, did, uh, did you look the part when they picked you for the bum? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great big beard and you know long hair and uh you know all that 1983 um flannel t-shirt all that sort of stuff um and that's another thing that sort of just worked for the character you know that hair and the beard you know, interestingly uh you know sort of stupid mike story uh we finished shooting the student version the short version and it was the last day of the shoot, so I'm at home. I'm like, ah, can't find this big, long, itchy beard. So I shaved the whole thing off, go to Jim's house the next day, and he loses it. He's like, what about the reshoots? So there's a couple of scenes where I just sort of have, like, paint, and I sort of, like, paint a stubble on my face to sort of look like the beard. And perhaps we'll talk about why I shaved off the beard later in the show. Well, honestly, maybe we should talk about that right now. Why did you shave off the beard? Well, I'm glad you asked. Well, <laughs> uh, on the way home from shooting the, the uh, um, we were shooting on Canal Street, New York City, and we were shooting Sunday. And of course, we had no permits or anything. It was a and. Um, most we get blocked everywhere with temper paint and goo and slime. And I've got several of the heads, including like the one that's behind me there. So we finished up the uh, shoot covered from head to toe in like stage blood, slime, things like that. And Jim just says to me, all right, you know, clean all of this stuff. Like, of course, I didn't have any paper towels or anything, because why would you wear towels to clean up the mess? I'm the makeup guy. I make the mess. I clean up the mess. So I take all the heads, throw them in a cardboard box, and I'm uh, taking uh, the mass transit on the way home. Oh, what just happened? Subway train to New Jersey in New York City. And I don't know. Apparently, when you go on mass transit with a box of severed heads, you're coming to the police kind of uh, don't like that. So a bunch of police swarmed on the train and dragged me off the train. And um, we had a conversation. 
plan. They brought me back to the police station because fortunately I was not a skilled enough makeup artist where they would remove these fake heads once they saw them. But uh, I still had to go back to the police station so they could take photos to prove that these were not real heads and separate heads. They did, and I know what you're thinking. This is a malarkey story, but they did give me copy of mugshot to give to my mother, which um, I don't know if you can see. There is my mugshot right there. I'm wearing a <laughs> with the head. And uh, there you go. I love it. <laughs> so, so, you know, please go ahead. I was going to say, can we just pause for a second? Do you have uh, maybe a headset or something? Because the audio is perfect, but now you're uh, not, uh, it's cutting a little bit. I hear you but yeah. it's slightly fady, so it's not ideal. So if you want to, like, pump it up a no, little bit. No, I don't have a headset. I'm sorry. Can I yeah, or earbuds or anything. I wear earbuds for the show. But... Uh, sorry, I'm so decidedly low. That's all right. I think maybe the uh, when I played the, the theme song, it might have uh, messed up the audio a little bit. But so it'll be all right. You want to have? I don't think, I don't think there's a delay anymore. Uh, yeah, can I just, can you just, Exit and, exit and just come right back. It might uh, actually reset your audio. Just, and yeah, just uh, yeah, just hit the leave studio at the bottom and then uh, come and use the link to come back in real quick. Cool beans. All right. All right. I'll do the same now. Sorry, right. sorry, audience, and sorry to Mike, but we're gonna try to work it out. Yeah, it'll be best if I had the perfect audio. That's too bad. It was working perfectly when it was just uh. But we'll be uh, we'll be here. I'm just uh, here talking about street trash with Mike and Annabelle. It'll be a good time. It's gonna be a good show. We're gonna be talking with Mike, talking about street trash. We're gonna be talking about uh, some stuff maybe you don't know, or maybe you do know about him uh, working for Marvel Comics and writing uh, comic books and uh, street trash um, graphic novel. It's out right now, and uh, it'll be a good time. Hi. Boom. Hello. Hello. So sometimes these technical bumps happen. It's not a perfect world. Yeah, yeah. It was too bad. It was yeah, everything we even logged on early because we were gonna test it and uh, everything was perfect. And he's like, Oh, this is better than Zoom. And then boom. And then oh well, yeah. Yeah. Jay over there. Yeah. This may uh it, I think this will reset it and it'll be perfect. We'll find out. Oh, your mic is no, nope. now he's muted. Well, I, I'll unmute. All right. Oh. All right. Look at us. We're technical. Look at that. I think it's perfect. Now. Sounds yeah. beautiful. All yeah. right. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. So yeah, just uh, just ignore just ignore a little bit of the audio at the beginning, and you won't worry about it. everything's good. Par for the course. Story. Yeah. I was thinking about with your blood story. I had a minor blood story where I used to do the podcast from my job that had. The whole front of the building i used to be in a tattoo shop so it's giant giant windows and because i was a horror person my car that was parked right out front had those like halloween bloody handprints right as i'm there at the desk doing the show all of a sudden there's like et the flashlight lights everywhere and then there's a knock on the door you have to be kidding me you have to be kidding me because they were suspicious of my bloody handprints. Well, yeah, you know, and it's something that, you know, we sort of can laugh about now, you know, uh, but but seriously, uh, 
if I hadn't been sort of aware at that moment where I had 12 guns pointed in my face that, wow, this is escalating quickly, yes. uh, might have had a different ending uh, to that story. But um, at the very least, I've got a great story to tell whenever I go on a, a podcast now. Yeah. And I've got the uh, photographic uh, evidence to prove it. So there. Any other things happening? Because there's so much stuff, you know, shot out in the actual streets. And, uh, it looks like, you know, there's moving cars and stuff. Anything else uh, strange happen when you're filming outside? Well, when you're filming outside, um, uh, when, when you're filming a film like Street Trash or anything, uh, for that matter, when you're on the streets, it, it does attack, attract a lot of attention. Uh, I'm here in Atlanta. They shoot movies down here all the time. Um but when you're shooting something like street trash, you know, you're not going uh, to shoot something and make it look like it's a great place to be. Um, you're shooting something that kind of looks like a war zone. So when we were shooting the scene with the toilet melt, um, yes. and now, of course, you can, if anyone who studies film knows anything about filmmaking knows that you can tell we shoot from the exterior and there's that um, set where we had the elevated toilet where the actor goes and sits down and we do the whole first scene. Then we actually picked up the entire set and moved that indoors. And we continued the melt uh, later indoors in the soundstage. That was sort of like a rainy day sort of project because we knew we'd be shooting that without sound. And we could just sort of do that on any day where we had inclement weather because it was a three month shoot and it's virtually all outside. So we needed those sort of back pocket rainy day, rainy day scenes to shoot for when we had inclement weather. Uh, but back to your question. Yeah, so when we were at that neighborhood where it was just block after block of like bombed out buildings, there were a bunch of people gathering around. First it was like 10, 20, and 30, and 40, then like 50. And they started getting very uh, agitated and when the AD went over to ask them why, they were actually saying, we know you're only here to make our neighborhood look bad. So <laughs> uh, we had to sort of put a spin on it, but uh, no, this, they weren't really happy that uh, we were there. And, you know, I can be kind of sensitive to that. It wasn't like we were there saying, what a great place to be. <laughs> right, right. Uh, along those lines, um, was there any backlash to the movie then, or I think there is some now, about how you portray uh, homeless people? Well, first of all, uh, no. Uh, when we made the movie uh, back in the 80s, it was bums, right? Hobos, bindle stiffs, vagabonds, uh, any one of a number of colorful colloquialisms. Uh, and it was very much the drive-in movie aesthetic and it was very much very determinedly made to have a little something to offend everyone we really just wanted to be very much in the school of well i don't want to say compared to like monty python uh or um kentucky fried movie or or any of the horror classics um, you know, Last House on the Left or anything like that. But it was very definitely like, here's the checklist of things that we can do. And it was, that was sort of the, the mission statement. How can we, you know, make something that will, it's like the class clown, uh, having bad, uh, bad, having bad uh, behavior in order to get attention. Mm. So now, you know, over the years, 
you know, attitudes on certain things have changed and, you know, that's probably not a bad thing. Um, so yeah, when you look at street trash now, yeah, you, you do have to kind of look at it as something like, well, all right, that's the way we did things sort of in the 80s. You know, you can use the argument, it was a different time. And honestly, it was all in good fun and sort of everyone gets it kind of even across the board. So yes, I am sensitive to that. And in fact, uh, when I was working on the Street Trash graphic novel uh, available now uh, on Amazon, you can see it behind me. I made, I very much made an effort to, I guess, update some of those sensibilities uh, because I didn't want anyone who was reading the book to feel bad. You know, it's one thing if someone sees the movie and they're like, ah, well, that was like 40 years ago. I guess I could let that slide or Mike Laggy's an asshole and I hate you. But for a new product, for a new version coming out in 2023, yeah, you don't really want to do that. So yes, I was very much cognizant of that. And I did change things up. I just did other types of offensive things yeah. in the book. <laughs> it's a big, huge, I mean, it, the humor is centered around like this, uh, I'll say innocent cruelty, right? So there's this, it's there. And then because, I mean, but that was the, the punchline is that this is it. So how how skillful do you have to be to take that vibe and then translate it to not be so intense that people are are canceling, you know, because right. that's a thing. Right. Well, you know, if you're talking about canceling, usually it's or, or if you're gonna use the term like woke or something like that, usually it's to find or defining um bad behavior where people are going out of their way to hurt someone and they do not care about the results of their actions. And it's usually doesn't have anything to do with a joke. It's usually kind of a deliberate thing where a person in power goes out of their way to make life difficult for people who are weaker than them. So you probably don't want to create art nowadays that, you know, uh, glorifies that sort of bad behavior. Um, but I think there is a difference between real life and art and, you know, specific to your question, Annabelle, um, if you are looking at the artwork and I will send you guys a copy of the book after this, I'll get your address. Very excited. Yeah. Um, I tried to make the art as charming as possible, uh, sort of, you know, with that, you know, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the artwork of Sergio Aragon as a mad magazine. Yes. One of my favorites actually. Right. Grew the Wanderer. Yeah. Grew the Wanderer. For anyone in the audience who's not aware of Sergio Aragonas, he's a Marvel, Marvel mad magazine artist. He did those little drawings in the margins of the pages. They were called marginals. And I had the opportunity to work with Sergio uh, my time in Marvel. And I very much emulated his art style uh, for the Street Trash book. So when you do see it, um, it's quite charming. And also, uh, I probably wasn't good enough artist to make something that was super realistic in the artwork that looks like the actual actors that are in the film. Uh, they are cartoon versions. They're the characters. Uh, not the actors. Yeah, that's really interesting. I brought up the canceling thing because I know Neil and I, in our, our horror culture world, there is a lot of, like we are more liberal and Democrat. And at the same time, there's there's kind of like this, 
intensity going on that sometimes doesn't take a joke as a joke. Sure. And, you know, that's sort of the world we're in. And very often it's easy to kind of write people off. It's like, ah, you don't get my joke. Well, then to heck with you. And it's, and especially, I guess, after COVID, we're separated and we have all these other things dividing us and separating us and things like that. And it's really, really hard uh, when you speak with someone that has different beliefs from you to kind of embrace the differences because the differences are what make us, uh, you know, stronger together. Just look at the Avengers. You've got Iron Man, who's really good with computers. You have Captain America, doesn't even know what a computer is. Captain America still using a rotary phone. But they put those differences aside to save the world. I and that's what I think we need to do, whether we're talking about art, politics, or anything like that. I 100% agree that people have all different strengths and different people with different beliefs tend to have different kinds of strengths. So, very unfortunate. How choreographed were were the scenes when you're running around the street? Because, like, they're very, they're very, they they look great, like on a big screen. And, um, but the film seems, feels chaotic at the same time. But when I was watching it again, it's like, you know, this, it's actually really shot very well. Well, um, well, thank you. I didn't shoot it, but I'll certainly take the compliment. Uh, the opening chase scene uh, was shot throughout the entire course of the shoot of the film. The shoot was uh, 90 days, which is incredibly long for a low-budget film. Uh, and actually, it wasn't that low-budget. In 1984, it was $400,000. So, Annabelle, if you have an inflation calculator on your phone, you can tell me, what the budget would be in 2023 dollars when I finish this long soliloquy here. But the um, the chase scene in the opening uh, of the film was shot throughout the course of the three-month shoot. And there are portions that are shot in um, Williamsburg, which is the border between Brooklyn and Queens. There were parts that were shot in Manhattan. There were parts that were shot on the... Um, Hudson River, you can actually see uh, New Jersey in the background. And there were portions shot in uh, New Jersey. And that was all just intercut together seamlessly. Um, I don't recall what the original opening of the film was uh, because we did so many drafts, but it was like a quiet opening. I think it might have opened with uh, the liquor store owner finding the crate in the basement the way it happens in the short film. Um, And as mentioned, I was sort of uh, trying to bring the Bugs Bunny aspect to the film. So I was house sitting a friend's cats and I was smoking pot and I just sort of took a pad and a pen and I just storyboarded because that's how I do all my writing. Like I don't write words, I write pictures. And I did this entire elaborate uh, chase scene, very much Indiana Jones meets Charlie Chaplin. And I gave these scribbles to Roy and Roy Frumkis, the screenwriter and producer of the film. And um, his first thought was, you're crazy. And this had um, like Fred running through the streets and going through um, strip bar with a hundred naked strippers because, you know, why wouldn't he? Uh, you know, stealing a garbage truck and driving through the streets and going through a parade and, you know, crashing the uh, garbage truck into the Hudson River. And he took all that and he pared it down, obviously, for budgetary reasons. And that's what turned into the uh, chase scene that we came up with and is a probably one of the uh, most fun and, you know, innocent, dare I say, sequences of the film. 
And it's just about the only part I can show my mom. <laughs> no melting for mom. Well, you know, when we when we debuted the film, when we had the world premiere, it was at the Ziegfeld Theater in Manhattan. Uh, this glorious, beautiful, old-timey theater in um, Rockefeller Center. It was the same theater where they, you know, debut all these big Hollywood movies. And if you're asking, well, gee, how did you get to debut your movie in the same theater where they debuted Star Wars? The answer is simple. We paid them. <laughs> uh, and we actually pulled up to the theater on garbage trucks. Uh, MTV News uh, was there and they had a, like a 30 second uh, clip of uh, the world premiere of Street Trash. You might be able to find that on YouTube somewhere. But yeah, you're asking me about mom. After the film, after the, you know, the credits roll and everything, um, like, well, mom, what did you think? And she's like, well, you know, you were nice, but I really didn't like uh, all the swearing. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, it wasn't me swearing, mom. It was the character of Fred. <laughs> she didn't buy that for a second. Uh, it is what, what $1,227,674.70. All right. So there we go. Yeah. It's a lot. And obviously the Steadicam uh, lends a tremendous amount of production value to the film. Uh, back then, um, well, now Steadicam is ubiquitous. If you, I mean, even if you watch a pro wrestling show, Steadicam all over the place. Um, but back then, early 80s, it was still uh, very rare to see, even in Hollywood films. Jim Nero actually he didn't really want to be a director so much as he wanted to be a Steadicam cinematographer. And he was looking at Street Trash, the feature film, as basically a 90-minute uh, portfolio reel. So that's why we had all of that wonderful, wonderful uh, Steadicam work. And it uh, truly does add production value that other films that were shot in New York at the time, particularly the trauma films, no disrespect, I love them all, but they don't have that same uh, production value of all that moving camera. And that's one of the things that I think has helped Street Trash continue to find an audience is that it looks so darn good. Um, if you have a chance to see the 4K version that just came out, the 4K Blu-ray, uh, like you can see every hair on the beards. Uh, you can see every little nut and bolt that's on the ground. Uh, the detail is incredible. And uh, that was nearing the end of that era of those New York movies, because I love any of the kind of sleazy New York uh, era movies, um, big or small, like Taxi Driver, Chud, uh, your film, uh, like uh, Toxic Avenger, all that stuff has a has a great feel to it. Sure. It was like a really special time uh, in New York with all of those films. You know, Larry Cohen was shooting uh, the stuff and Q. And for Jim and I, School of Visual Arts uh, was on uh, East 23rd Street. And we would see all of these filmmakers filming movies right in our neighborhood. They were filming, um, Scorsese was filming, I think, Goodfellas at a bar across the street from um, School of Visual Arts. Um, and uh, Tony Darrow, who played Nick Duran in Street Trash, was actually in uh, Goodfellas filming at that bar. Little did he know that a few months later he would be working for us. But the point is that you would go through the streets and you would see the Men in Black exterminator van with the big bug on top. And a couple of months later, 
you'd go to Times Square in the theater and you would see that movie and you'd see that street where you were standing when you saw that bug van. And it was just a really special time of like art and and real life kind of merging. Um, and it was a blast. I still to this day, people send me photos. Uh, shout out to Rob Har Horror Hegman in, uh, in Brooklyn, who goes to the street trash locations and takes photos of the various locations to do a before and after 40 years later. And that really speaks to the fandom of uh, street trash and just the passion that people have for it. I've seen folks with all sorts of street trash tattoos, um, uh, fan artwork, uh, fan uh, video sleeves. Uh, I I've seen all sorts of stuff. And it's just, when I think how 40 years ago, Jim Nero and I were sitting at my mother's kitchen table uh, with pads of paper planning this stuff out. Um, and then to see it now, I mean, a movie, uh, people remaking the movie uh, just kind of blows my mind. What do you think of that? Uh, Ryan Kruger, I'm friends with him. He's been on the show. He made Fried Berry, which I love. Uh, he says it's more of a sequel than a remake. Uh, what, what do you think of this? Well, I wish him all the luck in the world. You know, it does make me feel kind of weird. I feel like one of those Disney cartoon characters that gets remade, and now I'm Angelina Jolie. Um, but it is nice. And again, it speaks to the passion that people have had uh, for the film uh, over the years. You know, many, many filmmakers have wanted to do remakes or reboots or sequels, and just for whatever reason, they've never got the funds together. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing what Ryan comes up with and I just hope that, uh, everyone loves it and that it's a, a success for him. Cause if it's good for him, you know, it's good for everybody there. It's, it's no downside, uh, to any of it. And Ryan, I would be, I would love to appear in the sequel as the 60 year old Fred, the bum or some new person of your choice. So, I, yeah, I think it has to happen. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And if I start drawing the graphic novel adaptation of mm. Ryan's movie now, it should be ready in about 2063. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been drawing the Street Trash comic or well, the graphic novel? You know, I have been working on it on and off for many, many years. And it was just really um, kind of a hobby, to tell you the truth, uh, where, you know, I always... Uh, was sort of a cartoonist, always enjoyed uh, artwork. Uh, in my, as I mentioned, my time at Marvel Comics, when I would write scripts, I would actually draw them out when I was doing Beavis and Butthead. Uh, I'd actually draw the little, you know, st not stick figures, but actually page layouts and things like that. And then when I would submit the scripts, the uh, book bookkeeping people would say, well, Mike, you actually have to type this uh, because it's a script that <laughs> writing. So yeah, I actually, I typed under protest, yes. but to do the street trash book, it was really just a hobby. So, you know, I kind of come on and off over the years. Uh, and it wasn't until COVID where I really started buckling down because what the heck else are you going to do? And then when I got the call from Roy Frumkus uh, that he had gotten COVID and this was in the early days, you know, Manhattan was on fire and, um, you know, when someone told you they were sick, uh, it was, yeah. and like any good producer, uh, Roy says, well, I don't know if I'm going to be alive to see the graphic novel. 
So I wish you luck with it. So now I'm thinking, you son of a bitch, you know? Uh, now, if I don't, now I have to finish the book because if Roy doesn't live, it will be a, a, a testament to uh, his work. And if he does, I'm going to take that book and shove it in his face when I see him. <laughs> and nothing gave me greater pleasure than, you know, when the world opened up again and Roy and I had a lovely dinner and I took the copy of the book and I smushed it right in his face. <laughs> so, so what did Roy think of it? Well, he, he uh, loved it. He was really kind of like a cheerleader for me the entire time. When we started it, the idea was, well, let's kind of take that original, original script and, you know, have all of the stuff that was cut out of it. Um, but as I was do as I was going forward, you know, uh, much like we were talking about before Annabelle about, you know, sensibilities changing. Uh, I didn't want to do some of that stuff. And also there were so many plot lines in Street Trash that really didn't see fruition in the film either because we didn't think to do them or, you know, they got edited out. The first cut of Street Trash was something like two hours and wow. 10 minutes or two hours, 40 minutes. Ridiculous. Wow. Um, but I wanted to just sort of work on maybe tying some of those plot lines together. So it worked more like a book. So again, kind of like uh, for fans of Walking Dead, you know, you could read the comic, you can see the TV show, there's stuff that corresponds and there's stuff that diverges, but it all does come together uh, with lots of uh, penis drawings, actually. <laughs> there's so many penises in this book. For any of the fans out there that just want to see a lot of cartoon penises, this is the book for you. I was at a convention um, in uh, Cleveland, the Cinema Wasteland Convention. So a uh, big shout out to all my friends out there. Um, Ken Kish, the organizer of that show. And the on the first day where I was selling the book, everyone was like really excited. Yay, looking forward to seeing this book. And you know, second day, a lot of the people that, that bought the book on the first day come back and they're sort of giving me the, the side eye. And they're like, well, you know, I really like the book and everything, but What's with all the penises? <laughs> so I say to them, look, we are all horror fans. We have seen decapitations. We've seen people melting. We've seen zombies pull people's guts out. Like, really, what have we not seen, right? So there's nothing I can do that's going to scare you. There's nothing that I'm going to do that can gross you out. The only thing I can do that's really going to get a reaction is lots of drawings of penises. And then they all went, oh, that makes sense. Okay, now I got you. Yes. In the chat, Pepe Potit asked, uh, what made, what made y'all think of the penis keep away scene in the movie? Excellent question. You know, when we were first approached to do Street Trash as a feature film, um, well, let me go backwards to go forwards. We finished the, the, the short version of Street Trash and we took it around to various dive bars in New York City that had like schlock movie nights. And in fact, when we had our premiere, um, there was a low budget producer somewhere in the audience. He came up to us and he offered us $30,000 to expand it with the existing footage to make a feature film version. And um, of course I was like, wow, that's terrific. And Jim Muro to his credit was like, you know, I think we can do better. That's why we went to Roy Frumkees, who was our 
uh, producer. He was our professor in our School of Visual Arts film production class. And we were like, hey, how could we expand this? Jim's family owned the junkyard. So we had that entire set of the junkyard for free. All of those sets of the tire house were all built in and around the junkyard. So using found objects. So all of that production value you saw, we really didn't pay for a lot of that. But when we were coming up with the idea for how to expand this as a feature film, Jim wanted to have um, the character of Bert, who would be sort of like the moral compass character. And he wanted to have someone get their penis cut off and a game of keep away played. And he's like, other than that, Roy, I really don't care. Do whatever you want. <laughs> but I do need to have uh, a guy have his penis cut off. <laughs> now, of course, when, since we're talking about penises and gosh, you know, who is it? Um, <laughs> When you're breaking down a film script for all of the filmmakers and effects artists and prop masters and costume people, you all know, producers, that when you take that script and you break it down, you come up with your shot list and you say, all right, well, we're going to need this many costumes. We're going to need this many rolls of film. We're going to need this many crew people. For the effects people, we break it down by the melt itself. So like Jennifer Aspinall, she says, well, I'll take the the head that's in the toilet. Uh, Scott Coulter is like, well, I'll take the mechanical hand. Um, Dean Cartalis, he was the one that built the bladder that made the exploding uh, wino. And uh, they're looking around. They're like, well, all right, Mike, why don't you take the penis? That <laughs> so, you know, so we had to make three sizes. There was the size that was what we would just have in our hands, you know, when we're throwing and catching and things like that. Originally, we're supposed to have Bronson grab uh, the weenie from Frank Farrell, pull it way out of his pants, and then, you know, stretch it like a piece of technique, <laughs> and, and then take his uh, human femur bone knife and cut it. So we made one that was like, you know, kind of like a foot long, uh, but, you know, thin. And then for those 2001 Space Odyssey shots uh, that were in slow motion, we had to make one that was about the size of a football just so that people could track with it. So we named those three pieces, the pecker, uh, the poker, and the packer, respectively. And next time you're watching the film, when the um, guy blows up uh, and all the guts stream out, you know, it was so difficult to fill that belly full of stuff. Uh, we had been saving up all pieces of scrap foam latex and things like that uh, throughout the course of the shoot. And that was going to be our guts. So the day is there and there's the big rubber belly and we got all the stuff that we uh, had saved up, but it wasn't nearly enough. And then we went, we went into craft services and we got pieces of cake and bread and we soaked them in blood because our motto was basically soak it enough blood. So it looks good on camera. We put that in there and it still wasn't enough. Um, plastic bags we filled with food coloring and water. So they kind of look like a liver or something. And we put still not enough. So I grabbed the uh, packer, the big football thing, <laughs> stuffed it in there. And then we sealed up the belly. So if you watch when that thing explodes right in the front of the screen, you see that big, large weenie. <laughs> It kind of goes right in front and it goes like a bounce, a bounce <laughs> and it rolls right out of camera. It's on the lower left of the screen. And uh, that's what I think you call an Easter egg. <laughs> Did you get to keep uh, the pecker, the poker, or the packer? 
you know, I did have various pieces, like as you can see behind me, um, one of the pieces, um, which is the head of the liquor store guy, uh, kind of is like falling apart after 40 years. So I am having uh, Jamie Camino, makeup artist in Rochester, New York. He's actually restoring that right now. But a lot of the original pieces have just uh, kind of been destroyed and disintegrated over yeah. time because, oh, God help me, it's been 40 years. And that stuff really is only meant to last for that one day where you need it on set. Um, so sadly, unfortunately, no, the fact that I've got uh, this stuff behind me is kind of a miracle. Awesome. Yeah, that rules. So, uh, so how, how, um, when you were filming outside and it seems like a physical movie, was there any injuries? Oh, sure. Um, when I was shoot, uh, that scene where, again, where the guy explodes, um, and you see me fly through the air and I'm followed by the wall of gore. We basically had built a ramp, um, sort of like an evil Knievel ramp. Remember when we were kids and you'd ride your bicycles and you'd make a little evil Knievel ramp. So that was like my springboard. We put a couple of tires under a piece of plywood that supplied the bounce. Um, then since we were in an auto parts yard, we had all of these uh, dashboard cardboard boxes. Imagine a cardboard box that's about the size of, well, a dashboard of a car or a sofa. And we would put those together we wrapped them up with duct tapes. We put sound blankets over the top of that. We used the same sort of rig on the high fall when uh, Mario is stabbed in the neck and thrown over the edge of the uh, junkyard upper level. So we do the first take and I jump through the air and I land on the cardboard boxes. It's like landing on a nice fluffy pillow. It's great, no problem. Uh, and for whatever reason, they're like, oh, got to do another take. Okay, well I get up. And uh, I guess they had to clean some stuff off me, ref refill the buckets of uh, gore and stuff like that. And I guess I should have been mindful of what the crew were doing, because rather than supplying new cardboard boxes, all they did was take those crushed boxes and fluff them up again. So on that second take, and I fly through the air, and I land on those boxes, they immediately flatten, and it was like landing on cement. Uh, and yeah, I heard stuff in my back crack. I don't know if uh, I had gone to a doctor, he probably would have told me I had a grievous injury. Um, and I did have back pain for a couple of years after that. That's kind of how I got into the uh, yoga years and years later. Uh, so yeah, that was my injury. Uh, people, yeah, every day, cuts, scrapes. That place, the junkyard was filthy, covered with 30 years of motor oil, dust, debris, urine, uh, rats the size of cats. Uh, so when people would get cuts, yeah, we would have to take them. They'd have to get like a tetanus shot, you know, uh, first aid, things like that. So not uh, any broken bones necessarily, but still, yeah, there was just, it was a, it was a very dangerous place to work in. What about the dude that walks through the glass in the store? I love that. He's just so defiant. He's just like, screw you all watch this and he just does it i was like is that is there any protection or does that actually work i was very fascinated in case I yeah tried. you know uh the supermarket scene is another scene where people just love it uh years later it's one of the most you know beloved scenes i think uh with that opening chase the and the penis football game is the uh, supermarket scene and yeah that was a big uh, sheet of sugar glass 
that we had set up outside of the supermarket. And yeah, uh, Clarence, uh, just uh, Jarman, the actor who played Ben, uh, Bert, Ben, oh, the fans are going to revolt. He doesn't know the name. Uh, yeah, he just, uh, we had one take, we had one sheet of glass and he just ran through it and it was terrific. I do wish, you know, we had a reverse angle of that so we could see him bursting through as opposed to just seeing it from behind. But, you know, I wasn't on set that day to offer that suggestion. <laughs> it's very funny. Yes. There's so a I, lot of, that character, there are a lot of characters that I like them and I don't like them at the same time. Well, sure. I mean, they're charming. Every character does get a moment. Um, and they are charming despite some of the awful things that they say or do. And again, that's sort of the to the credit of the actors. And a lot of these folks were not actors. Wizzy was a guy that worked in the junkyard. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So... Uh, the the guy Ed uh, Jr. who explodes was another guy who worked in the junkyard. So these were not actors. Going all the way back to the earliest uh, filmmakers, uh, uh, using uh, just interesting people, interesting faces. So the fact that we got these performances out of non-actors is really pretty incredible. What we had done was uh, with Street Trash was we had professional people in all the key roles. And then we had students, SVA students, taking on the supplemental roles. So, for example, um, the main assistant director um, was a professional, had been working in New York in TV and film many years. But the second AD was a School of Visual Arts student. Same thing with the makeup crew. So we had Jennifer Aspinall, fresh off of working on Toxic Avenger, leading up the charge. And then you had me and the other folks working to support her. And we did the same thing through the costuming crew, the camera crew, the lighting crew, the grips. And this way we were able to have all of the students of School of Visual Arts get working uh, experience on a feature film from beginning to end. Uh, but we knew that we would be okay uh, because we had working professionals leading the charge in all of these departments. And Roy Frumkus will be the first to tell you, on paper, that sounded like a great plan. We saved a lot of money. It's how we were able to get, you know, so much great work out of people. But unfortunately, the students just didn't work as quickly as the professionals. So the downside was it took longer to do everything. Uh, now, I read uh, a little interview with uh, Vic, who plays Bronson, and he said, like, uh, I guess he was hired, like, at the last minute, and he, he didn't know anything about the character, and he joked they still doesn't know anything about the character. So I, I well, was wondering, what was he like? That makes uh, that makes two of us. Uh, there wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, character Bibles or uh, workshopping uh, being done on the Street Trash uh, Actors Studio. But yes, it's true. There was another actor um, who uh, was cast to play Bronson. I believe he lasted one day, maybe a day and a half. He just, uh, I guess to his credit, was Bronson to a T. Uh, you just couldn't uh, work with him, couldn't give him direction. And I guess Vic was our second choice during the casting process. And Vic was great. Um, you know, I still have people shouting air support uh, 40 years later. I mean, he is just uh, a beloved part of the cast of characters and just the movie wouldn't be the same without him. 
Oh no, he's great in it. So, uh, and uh, how your you know your big battle with him at the end is a not to spoil street trash, but mm. a great uh, decapitation for here the the station of decapitation. Yeah, well, one uh, one problem was just that Vic and I are basically the same height, mm. so he's supposed to be this monster. You know, originally when we wrote the the film, the script, we envisioned William Smith uh, as Bronson. Uh, but we were delusional. I think that's the word. Uh, so Vic and I are basically the same height. So we had to kind of do some creative stacking of apple boxes to make sure that uh, he was significantly larger than me when we finally did have that face-to-face -face there. That's great. So when uh, you watch this, when is this a cast and crew? There's a screening. And I can just imagine watching this and laughing my ass off if I was a part of it. What, sure. was the, what were the reactions when people finally saw this? Of course, you're proud because this is the film you've made, and you can laugh at the stuff that's hilarious at the same time. Sure. Well, you know, any filmmaker will tell you when you're watching the film, you're kind of watching it with, you know, two minds. On the yeah. one, Neil, I'm looking at you. Uh, you're looking at it with sort of right brain and left brain. Maybe right brain is like, boy, I was good, or boy, I was awful in that scene. And the other part of you might be, oh, that was the first day of shooting, or oh, that was our last day of shooting, or oh, that was the day so and so yeah. broke their leg, you know. And you and you call back to those things that happened on set that day when you see those uh, when you see the footage or the individual shots, or just like we were talking earlier, if you've got that chase scene that was shot over four months in all those different locations, and you can't help but think what happened on all those different days in all those different locations. I, that's why do you think that's probably the reason the first cut was so long because uh, i always uh, i always think it's hard for it would be hard for me to edit something that like i was involved in because i would have the memories of all those scenes so it's like oh i can't cut this out because it was a good time or whatever but yeah, at the same so, time you can't expect the audience to know that sure and it was just you know kind of said in the most loving way possible kind of meandering and a lot of those scenes really didn't advance the story and they didn't connect back to each other later on. Um, so that so the uh, director's cut, as it were, I think is 100 minutes, um, but the theatrical cut uh, was 90 because the studio, the distributor just wanted a 90 minute film. So yeah, we just made those, those hard cuts, those yeah. hard choices. Is that stuff saved, you know, because you know, now everything's saved because uh, it's digital. But, uh, you know, back then, a lot of that stuff wasn't, you know, uh, they just throw it away when they cut it. Sure. I'm sure. I, I know that Roy Frumkes has uh, the original negative, uh, 35 millimeter negative. So that's what um, Synapse Films, uh, shout out to those guys, Don, uh, Don May, uh, who have done the various DVDs and Blu-rays. They actually went back to the original negatives uh, for these DVD and Blu-ray versions, and that's why they look so great. As far as the other unused portion, I mean, that's there's probably miles and miles of footage. And, you know, if the footage didn't end up in the final cut, who's to say if it was ever saved or logged? I mean, maybe the negatives exist, but uh, prints themselves, I, I have no idea. But if anyone has them, they're probably uh, under uh, Roy's bed somewhere. So I'm glad that you still keep in touch with Roy, it seems. Yes, absolutely. So um, 
he's doing well and he was instrumental in making the deal with Ryan for the Street Trash reboot. And um, he's in good health and is uh, his uh, wonderful producer self. I'm going to put a good word, not that you need me to or any of us here to, but I'm going to put a good word into Ryan. To, he, he, they, you need to have uh, some involvement in uh, in the movie. Yeah. It, it does not maybe some, right maybe an ADR or something. Yeah. I mean, you know, on, on screen, I think it needs to happen, but we'll see. Yeah. No, I mean, no one listens to me, but what? <laughs> Conversation to be had. I think that'll be amazing. Yeah, and uh, he is filming it uh, on film, though. Uh, if you don't know that, it's it's not. Yeah, and and all practical effects, which you know, be still my heart. Uh, you know, I've, I've got, certainly got a fondness for for that. A lot of the previous uh, directors uh, were very gung ho about uh, doing an all CG version of Street Trash, and you know, again, I'm of two minds of it, but. You know, I think you could look at the original John Carpenter thing versus the kind of unnecessary remake. And you can go, well, yeah, they did really cool stuff with that thing, with the CGI, but so. Yeah, it just doesn't have the feel. And if you ever saw the, uh, it's very strange because they were making that movie with practical effects yeah. and then they stopped partway through. Uh, and yeah. you can still see much, and I, I don't really understand the thought process. One of, my, one of my friends made was on the team that made those monsters, and they're so amazing to see. <laughs> it's yeah, the detail so work. Yeah, the detail work is just incredible, and just the imagination as well. It's yeah. one thing to like do a Frankenstein variation or a werewolf variation, uh, but to imagine something that. Uh, no one's ever seen before. That's just such incredible talent and vision. And, you know, if I had a hat, I would take it off to him. Yeah. <laughs> Paul Komoda is the friend. He's super, super, super brilliant talented. But how and did you? Had, what was that? I was just going to say we had many other uh, super talented makeup artists uh, on Street Trash as well. Uh, among them, Gary Yee who uh, has been working with the Stan Winston studio now for oh, years wow. and years. And uh, Judy Chin was one of our makeup people and she just won an Oscar uh, for the whale. Oh, uh, oh, sweet. So, you know, again, congratulations to all these talented people. Yeah. When you got into the creative, you decided like, here you are a child and you have this <laughs> idea of I'm going to be a creator what was your original ideas of what you were going to do? My original, yeah, my original ideas were I want to make monster movies and do comic books. And um, I loved, you know, Godzilla. I saw that Man of a Thousand Faces movie, uh, all of that sort of stuff. And, of course, I was a huge uh, Marvel Comics fan, Stan Lee, John Romita, uh, all of that stuff, Spider-Man, Conan the Barbarian. And um, I went to School of Visual Arts and that whole street trash thing happened as we counted earlier in this conversation. After street trash, you know, um, it sort of came and then sort of went. And then by this time, as Neil knows, the New York City filmmaking scene was sort of drying up and it was getting harder and harder to find any kind of work. And I wasn't the greatest makeup artist, truth to tell. You know, I, I freely admit that. Um, Around this time, my friend from the third grade had gotten in touch with me and we used to make comic books together 
back fourth, fifth, sixth grade, you know, stapling uh, loose leaf paper together. And uh, he would write the stories and then I would draw the pictures. And he had done an intern at Mar internship at Marvel. And he's like, hey, you have to come in. This is awesome. I would love to work with you. Uh, there's an interview. There's an opening. So he got me into the opening and I interviewed for it and I bombed out. Didn't get it. I was crushed. And he's like, ah, don't worry, Mike. Um, you know, there's this is a big place. There's interview, there's openings here all the time. And sure enough, about a month later, uh, Mike, there's another opening. So I went in and I didn't get it. And this happened, uh, Annabelle, 13 times. I went, it took me more than a year to get in. It was actually getting kind of embarrassing. The receptionist, when I would go for the guest pass, she would say, they haven't hired you yet. What are you doing wrong? Uh, finally, on the 13th go round, uh, I did find someone uh, who was willing to bring me into the fold. And that's how my career there at Marvel started. And uh, I was fortunate enough to work on uh, Spider-Man, uh, to write for Silver Surfer and Fantastic Four. Then as an editor, uh, focusing on um, licensed comic books, uh, Beavis and Butthead, uh, Ren and Stimpy, uh, Conan the Barbarian, and uh, G.I. Joe. So these are just great titles, you know, great brand names that people know. Uh, and I swear, if uh, Marvel Comics had any idea that Fred the Bum from Street Trash was writing Spider-Man, their spider sense would have been tingling. They would have thrown me right out the door. That was the 13 was there. I don't know about this guy. <laughs> but, you know, what I, say, what I do say to folks, whether they're filmmakers, musicians, uh, artists, whatever it is they're trying to do, uh, you know, young pro wrestlers, uh, you know, what, they'll tell me, uh, so, yeah, I went on this audition. And what happened? Ah, I didn't get it. It's like, well, go back there. Try it again. Uh, you know, it took me 13 times. And yeah, even my nieces and nephews, when I'm talking to them, they're like, oh, the 13 times story. Again. <laughs> oh, really? But it's true. And, yeah. you know, and Neil, you as a filmmaker, I'm sure you've gotten knocked down a bunch of times. And, you know, it's not how many times you get knocked down. It's how many times you get back up. And that's what, you know, keeps us going. Because we are, no one's ever going to stop you from doing a boring day job that you really don't care about, but there's going to be all these obstacles anytime you want to follow your passion or something that you love. And it takes work to achieve these things, to make a film, to uh, make a book, uh, to host a podcast. These are things that take hours and hours and hours of time and dedication and, you know, blood, sweat and tears and all of those things. And it's not easy. So, that's why we all have to support each other and buy our books, you know, buy, you know, go see the movie instead of watching it on YouTube and, you know, pay those couple of bucks admission and, and support each other as uh, artists and creators and people. I love you mentioning this story. I mean, I haven't heard it like your niece and nephews, but I love it because you do. I make art and it is very discouraging to feel like you just put out like I and I like the stuff I make I'm not the best of the best but I feel pretty good about it and you put stuff out and it's just like a slog sometimes um and then I ended up getting into the store so now I'm like oh yay I'm gonna get into the store and it's very exciting and it does take it's hard and it, it can really beat you up um sure. yeah but like you said you just push and push and push and it can be really hard and I 
think hearing stories like yours are very inspiring that you could have the first time you could have every single step of that path, you could have been like, I'm done doing this and you kept going. Was it your friend that kind of helped you stay afloat with this? Like yes. keep going, keep going. Yes. And in fact, we actually collaborated on Beavis and Butthead together. We were like the real life Beavis and Butthead, which was terrific. And um, to actually be doing the book, which was the uh, second best-selling Marvel comic of 1995, uh, oh. selling something like 600,000 copies. So here's a funny, here's a fun story. So uh, Marvel takes us and um, as a promotional tour to uh, go to comic book stores across uh, the United States to promote the book. Cause you know, in marketing, we only promote things that people are interested in selling uh, anyway. So, you know, they've got the big sign, Beavis and Butthead, Mike Lackey. And uh, there's a big line. I'm surprised. I've never seen a line like this, you know, a couple hundred people. So the first kid comes up and he's got his book and he wants me to autograph it. And he says, as we all know, Beavis and Butthead was created by Mike Judge. First kid comes up and he's like, are you Mike Judge? I'm like, no, I'm Mike Lackey. I did the uh, comic book. Mike Judge does the cartoon. He goes, oh. And he turns and walks away. <laughs> Second kid comes up and he's like, are you Mike Judge? I'm like, no, I'm Mike Lackey. He did the comic. He did the uh, cartoon. I did the comic book. Kid goes, oh. He walks away. Now, I can't let this stand. Uh, there's still a couple hundred people online. The third person comes up. Are you Mike Judge? I said, yes, I am Mike Judge. And I signed a hundred autographs. <laughs> and they're all very happy. So you got to give the people what they want, Neil. <laughs> yeah. I know you're wrestling, uh, uh, wrestling guy. So I don't know if you're uh, a fan of the best friends, but that's what it made me think of. Absolutely. That was there for the people who know. Uh, that was for them. Right. Right. I like it. Um, well, here, uh, Pepe, how long did it take to film the scene where the homeless lady melted, uh, to the car? Sure. Well, you know, filming itself, uh, any of these effects are usually great question, by the way, Pepe, thank you very much. Um, the, the filming of a lot of these special effects, uh, usually done just over the course of a day, uh, maybe a couple of days, depending as we talked about with the, uh, toilet bowl scene where we had, Part of it shot on a location and part of it shot as an interior in a soundstage. But the melting on the car scene was all shot on one day. Now, the gloopy body that all runs down the front of the car uh, was constructed by Jennifer Aspinall. And what she had done was we had done a chest cast of the actress. And what we did is after we ran the phone, we kind of just kind of pulled it and stretched it a little bit. And then every bit of leftover foam that we had on any run, uh, we just kind of poured it over and dribbled it. Uh, and that's how we got that sort of melted ice cream look uh, for that final effect. Uh, so although the actual filming might have only taken place over the course of one day, the pre-production on any of these uh, effects could be several weeks or several months. Uh, depending on the complexity of the of the gag itself. Uh, Frank Farrell, uh, we've had on the show a couple times and uh, we're good friends with. Um, he's just did his first convention and he's doing conventions. Uh, do you do a lot of conventions? Yes, I'm just going to hit this light over here. Hold on. Yeah, no problem. Nah, yeah, there we go. Whoa! Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Uh, yeah, I have been doing a couple of uh, conventions over the last year or so. Been a lot of fun. Of course, big sentimental favorite for me is the Cinema Wasteland in Cleveland, Ohio. Or as We've we never like been to that one either. Land, Ohio. Uh, Cinema Wasteland, always a good time, all the folks out there. Uh, I've been lucky enough to do shows in Germany, uh, Canada, uh, New York, New Jersey, and it's just always a great time. And what I really love is to just get the experience from people of the first time they actually saw the film. And everyone has great stories, especially anytime where someone says, well, I got the VHS from my local video store and I enjoyed the movie so much that I just never brought it back. You know, <laughs> really just uh, terrific. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, we just stole it. So, uh, and you know, also seeing all of the various international versions that people bring. Uh, I've seen. I've actually seen a version from uh, uh, Jerusalem, Ireland, wow. Germany, Japan, uh, U.S., Canada. All of these things, as well as the fan-made versions. It's just great to see all the different variations of uh, of the packaging. Yeah. So uh, we talked. Oh, yeah, briefly. I'm at a show near you. Come over and say hi. I'll I'll draw on your uh, on your poster and devalue it. <laughs> you know, oh, that's... one of the first. Uh, you know, we haven't mentioned penises in about 15 minutes, Annabelle. So <laughs> one of the first autographs I had signed at Cinema Wasteland. Uh, perhaps you've seen that wonderful one sheet poster of just the two boots, and it's like a six foot by nine foot poster. It's it's enormous. And uh, this guy brings it to me and he's like, I would like you to sign the poster. And my first reaction is always like, are you sure? Because like, I'm just going to like devalue it. And then like, no, no, you I really want you to sign it. I'm like, okay, well, what do you want me to sign? I, I, I like to do a little drawing and like, oh, do whatever you want. And then again, I'm like, are you sure? And they're like, yeah, do whatever you want. So you can probably see where this is going, Neil. I draw the severed penis. And I think I wrote something like underneath, like, you know, uh, you know, nice seeing you, you know, don't fall to pieces or something like that. Or, and the guy looks at it. He's like, you ruined my poster. So after that, uh, I always ask, I always, should, I, what should I draw on this thing? Yeah. I thought you were going to say he was all happy. <laughs> it's in ink. It <laughs> so, uh, uh, we talked briefly off air about uh, I was a teenage zombie, and Oops, last I lost year... audio on you, Neil. Oh, uh, can you can hear me now. Am, am I? Can you hear me? No one can hear me. Can hear? I can hear you, Neil, but I don't know if Mike oh. can hear me. Can Mike hear me? Well, Annabelle, I'm not sure if you can hear me. Yes. Oh yes. well, I can't hear you, so I can just keep talking. <laughs> Weird. As we I move forward. I don't know what's going on. I'm going to take happening? him out oh. and add him back in. There we go. All right. How about now? Did Better? No. No. Nope. What's happened? We I, will, uh, so I will exit off. again and come back in. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. Let's, I don't know. Everything is going perfect. Well, that's okay. We've got a lovely audience full of patient people. Yeah. Very cool Fine people here watching. To put up with our failing. He was just going <laughs> to ask you find <laughs> the people of Bad Dragon. We used to talk about them a lot. Maybe they could uh, they could get involved. And 
and make the the street yeah, trash. No, no, no. Yeah, but well, I guess maybe no, not bad dragon. Like, maybe someone else. Like, yeah, we were gonna like make the one that made the monster ones. Right, right. So the monster yeah, bad dragons more like uh, bad dragons like animal. Yes, yeah, it's very bizarre. I've seen a uh, bad dragon. Uh, it was thanked in a movie. Not it was probably a year ago, and I thought it was very weird. They were thanked in the credits. Really? Yeah. Were they? Did they have props used? In they the must have model? used. The, they, yeah, they must have. Maybe they were donated to. Right. Is he, uh, hello. Hey. There we are. Hello? It's all good now. <laughs> Hooray! Oh, okay. Great. We're back. You were talking yeah. about penises. Well, you know, I might have tapped that subject out, uh, Annabelle. <laughs> I was just asking if I can't you wait for the I can't wait to see the um uh the the summation, the synopsis uh <laughs> underneath of the of the uh of the show. Hashtag, hashtag severed penis. You gotta have Vic That's do fine. those again. Vic was used to write you have to have Vic Schiavone do those write-ups again oh yeah yes we have a uh listener who used to uh i would transcribe the interviews maybe yeah. he can do one for this so pepe had asked if people do bring you uh fake penises and dildos to sign absolutely you bet <laughs> pepe absolutely. will be next yeah well that's very good <laughs> that, see now i'm sure you make them do you draw on them maybe you could draw a poster on the penis well, you know, uh, it depends how big it is and the, the, the quality of the pen. Fine tip pen. <laughs> yes. This is this 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 poker size. This isn't packer size. The packer size is easier to, to draw. Absolutely, absolutely. I don't I don't speak from experience. But... Oh, goodness no, goodness no. <laughs> so I tried to ask this a few times before we went live. We talked briefly about I was a teenage zombie because last right. year it was the 35th anniversary. And uh, we had several people on. Uh, so how did you get involved in that? And what are your memories of working on? I was a teenage zombie. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, I honestly don't remember how I got involved with that. Um, I, I assume someone called me. Uh, I do remember that the entire crew were just uh, the greatest bunch of people. Uh, so hardworking. It was all shot on 16 millimeter. So, uh, you know, the camera crew, uh, the, the sound crew, I mean, they were just lugging these, this heavy equipment, shooting in these dark and cramped locations. Um, and the makeup itself, you know, we didn't have a lot to work with. So we were just using a lot of materials that were on hand to make whatever effects that we could. The uh, one scene where the zombie is... Um, having his way with uh, the female victim and he takes her by the legs and, 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 and cracks her legs up like that. Um, we did that by just having two actresses on either side. So, you know, one actress is laying this way and then two others were laying with their heads going in the opposite direction. So we were using like camera tricks to try to get that um, effect across and just, you know, any sort of creativity that we could to sort of hack our way through uh, the effect sequences. Uh, sort of fun fact, uh, cameo appearance in the film at the end during the prom, there's a band and there's a, uh, in the band, the guy singing is John Ventimiglia, an actor who later went on to be uh, in The Sopranos 
and Jessica Jones. Oh, wow. Very cool. Yeah, it was a fun interview for people to check out. Great. I was believe that was Gregory Lamberson's first movie he worked on. And then uh, uh, he went on to do some melting movies himself. Sure. Slime City Massacre. Yeah. And uh, I mean, all of Greg's movies are so much fun. Talk about someone that just gets the most out of whatever he has to work with, uh, with local actors, local talented uh, filmmakers, crafts people, and a lot of his films uh, for your audience, they can check them out, I think on Tubi and some of the other free services there. Um, Killer Rack, um, uh, Johnny Gruesome is another one that I think Johnny Gruesome, probably my favorite. Uh, so yeah, Greg is just an awesome guy, awesome filmmaker. And just the fact that he's still doing it after all this time, uh, you know, first day of film school, uh, the chairman of the department says to, you know, 400 fresh faced freshmen, um, most of you won't graduate. And in five years, only half of the people who graduate will be still working in this business. And in five years after that, probably only about five of you will be working. And of course, you know, we were all greatly offended by this, but yeah, it's true. Uh, so few people have actually maintained that career uh, across the years, across the decades. I mean, I certainly haven't. I, you know, morphed my career into publishing, uh, whether it was through Marvel or later through, uh, company called Central Park Media. We were the first company to license anime, Japanese animation or manga, Japanese comics, wow. and distribute it in the United States, translating it into English, and then getting it into stores like Best wow. Buy and you know Spencer's and all those other video stores. That's huge. Uh, I'm just going to take the moment to be like, that's huge. A really big thing, because it's this has become such a huge thing in America to enjoy manga and anime and all of this different Japanese cultural stuff. That's crazy that you were, so you were part of the, like, this is the beginning of this in America. Right. You know, and I for completely, you know, usually uh, I forgot to even mention that because everyone is so uh, interested in the Marvel or, and the street trash and the teen zombie and that other stuff. But the, the anime and the manga were, you're correct, such a pervasive force in the culture, and they were just really starting to become big. Uh, I, I started this in 1999 and did that until about 2007-2008, and we culminated our work over a um, series of uh, conventions called the Big Apple Anime Fest. We did it in 2001, 2002, 2003, uh, and we actually were able to get all of the American distributors of anime, as well as some of the Japanese licensors uh, together and all merge uh, in New York City for this film wow. festival and, for, and convince everyone to bring their biggest voice actors, their biggest animators, their biggest directors to premiere their new films. We had the world premiere of the Cowboy Bebop movie in our 2002 uh, Big Apple Anime Fest. Um, and it was weird, I mean, because to get your competitors to actually align with you and all come together to work on something that's larger than all of you, yeah. to, again, create this for the fan experience, uh, was really a, a testament to the vision 
of uh, John O'Donnell, the uh, managing director, the owner of Central Park Media, because when he first said, yeah, I'm going to get all my competitors in the same room and we're all going to give our best shows, you know, and just do this for the fans. And we were all like, you're nuts. Uh, <laughs> but we did that for three years and it was a blast. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Were you a fan of those like before you got involved in that? Were you a fan of anime and MAGA? Well, I was never really a fan so much. Um, I mean, sure, I remember Speed Racer, Kimba the White Lion. Battlestar uh, Galactica. Yeah, that stuff. What's the one on the ship? Uh, Captain Harlock. Gundam? Yeah, that sort uh, of stuff. Oh, the uh, yeah, I know which one you're talking about, Neil. It's like, it's it's like an aircraft carrier in the space. Yeah, but once you're working... Uh, you know, in that medium, sort of similar with comics, then it, it just sort of becomes, you know, your day to day. So you're not really watching anime or following anime. It's like, well, I have to produce um, six DVDs this month. And then I also need to produce, you know, the um, the dub, the, you know, the subtitles, the DVD authoring, as well as the packaging uh, and all of the ad materials uh, you know, promotional T-shirts, uh, you know, advertisements going in magazines for consumer, for trade, all of that. Any one anime video probably had 15 or 20 different moving pieces that we had to create and, you know, push out into the market. And then what ultimately brought that all crashing down, not surprisingly, around, you know, 2008, 2009, was the advent of you know the BitTorrent and the file sharing, you know, Napster, if we uh remember all of that. So we would spend you know hundred thousand dollars to license a program, and before we could even get receipt of the master tapes from Japan, some guy somewhere in, in his basement, uh, and I know I'm disparaging basements. But some guy was putting up on the uh, internet uh, with a fan sub. So, you know, you're trying to sell a video for $40, $50, $60. And, you know, the fans are like, oh, I'll just see it for free. So that was pretty much how the uh, home video industry collapsed, not just for anime, but if you look across the board, streaming services like, you know, Netflix, Apple, Hulu, whatever you like. Yeah, they're great. Uh, but for those of us who like that physical thing, um, you know, it's just not the same. Yeah. yeah. Cause now that's like special. Now it's not something you just go out and buy. You could go to your local, whatever, whatever video store, what have you. It's something, if there's something that's physical media uh, for a lot of the people we know, whether it's, uh, DVDs, records, whatever it is, it's something that's like part of a crowdfunding campaign. It's like, bonus material it's uh, you know the big thing for me if i'm gonna get physical uh physical media is i like the uh i like the special features i like uh commentary tracks and you know right because i'm guilty myself uh, i i will not i don't use the torrent stuff but i'm guilty myself is if i own the like even if i own a movie sometimes it's easier to, if i know it's streaming somewhere instead of going and getting the the movie and putting it in the blu-ray player is like oh i know it's streaming on uh, whatever website and i'll watch it Right. And, you know, it must be said that perhaps the greatest uh, special feature of all time has to be on the Street Trash Meltdown Edition, the double disc set from uh, Synapse that features the making of Street Trash 
and the making of movie is a full 45 minutes longer than the movie itself. So just <laughs> who knows? Yeah, I and, love uh, Joy Frunk yeah. is for making that wonderful documentary. Yeah. And I hope there's still people who do buy physical because last week I recorded my first commentary track uh, for our movie. So hopefully people want to watch this and buy it. But uh, along those lines, though, when you're talking about, you know, people would be more, oh, I can get this for free. I do think there's a lot of people, younger people who think that way and they don't even realize that it's like bad or it's wrong. They just think it's a cheaper way to watch something. Sure. Well, you know, as we were saying before with the rotary phone, um, it's just like a different mindset where um, if that just never been in your experience, you don't really understand that, yeah, people spent months or in some case years building this, making this from nothing, creating this. And okay, sure, you can watch uh, a really crappy, uh, grainy version of Street Trash on YouTube, um, but it just looks so much better, you know, on your nice TV. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, um. You, you know, you're a wrestling guy, like on my wrestling group, uh, people are, I, one thing I always delete is they ask for uh, links to watch the pay-per-views, uh, like last week, uh, all in from, uh, Wembley stadium, you know, and I was like, don't, if you're going to do that, at least just don't let me know. I, I don't want it on, you know, all over my Facebook group. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, you know, it's like, uh, bootlegs in, in anything and i'm not sure anil is that a, a bootleg street trash shirt there uh, <laughs> no this is this is this is a licensed uh oh, officially wow. licensed. okay yeah. then we're i fine. think it's got the my, tag in the back this, here somewhere. my shirt is officially licensed as well uh yeah. and you know I, I must admit i'm also guilty i have purchased some bootleg uh, that is one of my favorites with the sleeves yes yeah, yeah i, I like have actually bought too. some street trash bootleg uh shirts as well but you know they did have my face on them so i figured well if i'm if i'm on the t-shirt i should actually buy it yeah. i might not be supporting myself but surely i'm supporting someone it is a weird thing because I will admit, like at at conventions, um, I won't say any people's names, but I bought you know art that I know is not licensed, but other uh, person made it and stuff. So it is a, it is interesting. Uh, all of us probably have a different you know look at certain things a different way. Sure, of course, um, and and licensing really, you know what we talk about. Um, we're talking about the street trash uh, remake. Uh, that's essentially a licensing deal where there's the intellectual property rights of street trash where Ryan or any filmmaker would come and purchase the option to make that movie. And they usually, how that works is you usually buy the right, usually 18 months or two years, maybe sometimes shorter, could be a year, depends on your individual deal and how much money you're paying. And you have the option for that length of time to come up with your script, come up with your financing and anything else. And if you're unable to do that, well, then you don't get to make the movie and then the rights revert back to um, the company, in this case, Street Trash uh, Incorporated. Uh, and yeah, so ultimately, you know, it's funny, Annabelle, like we were talking before, it's art. We're supporting the artists and the creators and everything, but it's also a licensing deal it's also a contract it's also business yes yeah absolutely and i 
I, I, maybe it's not different, but from in my mind, it's different. Like I said, if you're at a convention or whatever, and someone actually, you know, made a painting or or whatever, uh, in my mind, that's different than if someone would just take your your characters well, and make of, their own movie with it, like a piece of original art versus taking like a screenshot of a right, film, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. And, you know, I actually had worked in international, uh, international, intellectual property licensing for many years. So, yeah, the very nature of how to make what we would call a transformative work. If you remember, um, there was some controversy about the Obama Hope poster, where the photographer who had taken the original photograph was claiming ownership of that photograph. You remember that it was Hope, right? And it was like blue and purple and red. Yeah. And um, I guess whoever the artist was that had made the Hope poster had argued that it was a transformative work where they took that work and created something new with it. And um, yes, that's what you're talking about with, say, a painting or some of these other items that go beyond just taking a screenshot and slapping it on a T-shirt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, when when you start uh, go, getting more into comic books, did you ever miss acting? Sure. You know, acting is a blast. It's an awful lot of fun. You know, I've also done various short films and, you know, films that were never completed. Uh, there was one film uh, called Soul Tangler that's got some a limited like release on DVD and VHS. And uh, I get to play a zombie that was sort of like, remember the Tar Man from Return of the Living Dead? Oh, yeah. So sort of like that. If you Google Mike Lackey, uh, you will see a picture of me as this zombie with my uh, guts hanging out. Uh, so that was an awful lot of fun. It was also fun to actually be under all of that makeup as well. So, you know, being on the other side yeah. of it. After have, after pouring glop over people's heads uh, for all <laughs> those years, to be the guy getting glop, the glop. Yeah. was a nice, uh, you know, be in that other uh, chair for a yeah. change. The gloppy as opposed to the glopper. I wanted to ask yeah. about the tales uh, from the dark side because I watched the episode. I love that show. Totally. Right. Love it, love it, love it. Grew up with it. Love it. Sure. Um, so you're in the closet one. What What were you? What did you do with the in the closet? What was your role? Sure. In that? Well, um, again, kind of going backwards to go forwards. We're at School of Visual Arts in Roy Frumke's film production class. Uh, Tom Savini, if you recall, uh, in the 80s, made frequent appearances on the David Letterman show. And um, in this particular case, I believe he was in town to do Letterman, but also in town to direct this episode of Tales from the Dark Side. I think it was a four-day shoot. It was in a small studio in Long Island City, which is just a small kind of neighborhood, kind of industrial. So Roy Frumkes was the um, a producer uh, to the extreme because he's always able to make deals and finagle things out of folks in exchange uh, for doing things for his students. So Savini needed a place to stay for this week. Roy had an extra apartment where Tom could stay in exchange for coming in and giving a presentation to the class at School of Visual Arts. And um, of course, everyone was thrilled, you know, to see Tom there with all of his stuff and to have Tom, you know, do his uh, presentation. It was just wonderful. But uh, Roy took it one step further and he was like, well, this is Mike. He's my student from Street Trash. And, you know, he's uh, interested in makeup. So if you could have him just 
sit there, stand in a corner for the week, you know, that'll be fine. And, you know, Tom just like, fine. I don't think he even realized he knew what he was saying. Uh, you know, so I was able to get there and get to the shoot. I think it was one of Greg Nicotero's first jobs with Tom. And really, I just sat in the corner and um, watched them, uh, you know, film the entire show. Uh, Fritz Weaver was the actor yeah. there. Yeah. And I was, I got to do some puppeteering, uh, oh, nice. moving the fingers. Oh, no. So when yeah. you see like the fingers moving, you know, that's Fred the bum, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, there was like a, I can't, I don't know if it was the same person that did the soundtrack for creep show, but it had that little creep show ish vibe going on. Yeah. I think the, um, the um, composer might've been the same person yeah. who did that main theme. Yes. Uh, and in fact, I, I think I saw that he had done some other 80s movie he had done the music for. Um, gosh, I'm going to draw a blank now. It wasn't Roadhouse, but something else that I had just oh. seen. I was like, oh, that was that guy who did the creep show. That's pretty but since sweet. I couldn't remember the name of the movie, the entire story is pointless. <laughs> we'll just say it's a, road, a Roadhouse. But. Right. John Harrison. I knew I recognized. I knew I knew. Yeah, anytime- oh, that- that show you were trying to think of earlier, Neil, is Star Blazers. Star Blazers, yes. Star Blazers, yes. Right. If Troy was here, my brother, he does a great impression of uh, the characters on Star Blazers. The villain um, talked about firing the wave motion gun. I heard it many times as a child and and into adulthood. He says it a lot. But I don't know where he is, by the way. So when you're writing uh, something like Beavis and Butthead, um, you... I assume you have to go and watch a lot of Beavis and Butthead, you know, so you can get in like, you know, so you have an idea of how these people would talk. Right. Well, the thing with Beavis and Butthead was I hated Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> Didn't think it was funny. <laughs> but when my friend Glenn Hurdling uh, comes to me, he was the editor and he asked me to be the writer. I knew that this would be a big selling book. It would be very high visibility for me as a writer. It would also pay very well. Um, so I, you know, and, and you, you always want to say, yes, you don't want to turn anything down because you never know what that's going to lead to. But so there I am. I'm, I'm just, you know, sort of the um, cliche of the writer uh, sitting at the typewriter going, I have no ideas. I have writer's block. I'm drawing a blank. And you see that in all those movies like Barton Fink. Uh, that's one of my favorites. And I could never imagine any writer portraying writers in that way, you know, it's like, I'm going to make us look stupid now. <laughs> but exactly what was happening. I'm staring at the screen. I don't know what to do. So Glenn says to me, well, why are you trying to write this? Why don't you do what we always do? Take that pen and scribble and just see where it goes. Because, you know, Annabelle, you're an artist. You know that a lot of times your best work is that sort of stream of consciousness. Uh, and you finish the page or the illustration and you're like, I only remember doing half of this. Yeah. And that's how I came up with the scripts for the book that were all of those just sort of notebook paper with the doodles. And then, of course, the accounting people telling me that I actually had to type it up. The other reason I had to type it up is because it was a licensed property through MTV. We had to submit this stuff yeah. to MTV for approval. And MTV or Viacom, which was the parent company, uh, their licensing people were always very protective of uh, 
the, the properties, but I think they're also just trying to CYA for themselves. So for Beavis and Butthead, they didn't want us to use fire, for example, uh, because of that incident where some kid had uh, burned himself. Uh, and for Ren and Stimpy, anything that was perceived as gross or disgusting. Uh, they didn't want us to do hairballs, for example. No bursting boils and weird close-ups of pimples and toenails. And, and it would change, you know, almost week to week uh, what we could or could not do. But uh, fortunately, my partner in crime, the artist for Beavis and Butthead, Rick Parker, was just fantastic at just sneaking so many of those little details in. There was just no way that they could possibly catch it all. And uh, they are, to this day, I think some of the most uh, subversive uh, Marvel comics uh, that have ever been published. Excellent. I love it. I need to check these out sometime. And uh, I saw there's a WCW Sting um, comic book behind you. Right. My first uh, writing gig for Marvel was for uh, the WCW comic book World Championship Wrestling. And for me, that was great. Longtime wrestling fan. And um, we started and that was my crash course in how to write a comic book. And my I did my first script and hey, it's the stinger. Very good. Uh, 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 crow sting there. Yes. <laughs> And basically, we just approached it like a superhero comic book because the first couple of issues, we were trying to follow along more or less the happenings of what was happening in wrestling at that time. Lex Luger was, well, originally we're going to have Ric Flair, but he left and then Rick, uh, Lex Luger was champion. So I do an issue with him and then Lex Luger leaves. So we're trying to follow the storylines and it just wasn't working. So the editor of the book said, well, just make it like a superhero comic book. We're Marvel comics after all. And that's when um, I believe an online journalist somewhere said, that's where the book got batshit crazy. <laughs> and that's where we got into the more supernatural aspects of the comic book. What was fun was getting to meet so many of the wrestlers in person Um and this was way before the breakdown of kayfabe, the elimination of kayfabe. So, but they all wanted to be represented in the book. So they were my. I would come into my office, and the light would be blinking for the voicemail, and it would be um, Steve Kern, or it would be uh, uh, Scott Hall, or it would be Paulie Dangerously, Paul Heyman, all all vying, jockeying for position. Uh, to possibly be featured in the latest episode of the comic book. That's pretty awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And as a big wrestling fan, I think that's uh that's pretty cool. Oh, I also want uh, to tie into wrestling. So um from after Street Trash, you you know, you mentioned uh, you know you kind of hurt your back and and so uh, and then you talked about yoga, which I saw on your yeah. Facebook you do DDP yoga. So oh. uh, so did that help with, um, with like the injuries? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, I had, you know, had an awful lot of pain in my back and I had two injured shoulders and really nothing was working. I know a lot of folks have pain, whether they're in shape or they're not in shape, whether they're, you know, have some extra weight they're dealing with or not, you know, our bodies break down over time. And I just, uh, found the DDP yoga. And when I learned that it was right here in Atlanta, I just went uh, gung ho. And I went from being a, um, you know, a novice 
to now being a certified instructor and I specialize in teaching seniors. Uh, and you know, when we're working with the seniors, um, it's not stand on your head. It's not do a hundred pushups or anything like that, but, um, just really working on, you know, eliminating pain, functional core strength, being able to get off of the toilet. Uh, these are huge. And I would just say for anyone who is dealing with pain, bad knees, bad back, you know, weight issues or anything like that, it just helped me tremendously. You know, as we get older, you know, you're always going to have pain. But if you're moving your body and you're working your body, if you hurt your shoulder, say, well, maybe it hurts for a week instead of a month. And that's really just the very best um, endorsement that I can give for it, um, that it just it just truly changed my life. And I'm just living pain free for the first time in years. Um, and you don't have to be a pro athlete to do it. Like I said, the one fellow that I'm working with, 89 years old, the uh, woman that I'm working with, 77 years old. And they're doing, um, you know, a, a five-minute plank for someone who's 89. That's pretty remarkable. So if you're curious, I would just suggest checking it out, especially since um, we only have one body. And goodness gracious, don't we do our very best to uh, destroy it with all our extracurricular activities. <laughs> well, that's in from understand it's, you know, uh, low impact or even no impact. So, you know, where a lot of other exercises are bad on your joints. and uh... Sure. You know, I, I used to do um, high, high impact interval training. I just, I can't wow. jump around like that anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, bad knees or whatever. And I was never really, you know, grievously injured, except for the injury that we spoke about before. I think the first time I hurt my shoulder was the high impact sport of emptying the dishwasher. But, uh, you know, these things just happen to us over time. And the, I think the natural reaction uh, when I'm working with someone is um, they might say, yeah, I really would like to do this, but I'm going to wait until my back starts, stops hurting. And I would say to them, no, you do this because your back is hurting. And if you do this correctly and, you know, patiently, um, your back will stop hurting. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, so it heal, heal, your body will compensate in weird ways and then it won't heal correctly. Sure. Well, you know, uh, I guess you can just use the line that they teach us in physics class. Not that I ever attended physics class, but people in physics class told me this. Uh, that bodies in motion tend to remain in motion and bodies at rest tend to remain at rest. And you think, that, gosh, we spend more time sitting in front of the computer, probably in a horrible chair. Um, and then you get up, you get up out of bed in the morning and you, oh, oh, you, you walk to the bathroom like Fred Sanford. Um, yeah, we need to take time. Uh, we, we need to make time for our health because if we don't, we will be forced to make time for our illness. Mm, well said. Look at Fred the bum. Oh, so profound. I like that. <laughs> have you ever seen the wrestler Homeless Jimmy? From, uh, no, I have not. Uh, you're blowing my mind. Uh, I have to look this up. A former guest on my wrestling show, Homeless Jimmy. There's a connection here. So, uh, yeah, you have to look him Neil, up. Neil, tell, well, tell I must us ask, for I must those ask. who are out of the know. 
Uh, Homeless Jimmy wrestled for XPW in the uh, which was they had a short they had a kind of a rivalry with EC the original ECW in the nineties and I believe he still wrestles uh, Homeless Jimmy on uh, out on the West Coast Independence. What is the the name of uh, Homeless Jimmy's finishing move? I do not know that one. I do not know that one, but it 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 should be something cool. Yes. What would you call it? Hmm. You're gonna name a home, whatever it may be. If you had to imagine, what do you think you would? Call I, it? I think it would have to be something like uh, the trash can slam, uh, the dumpster fire, or you know, something like that. Something the the the, the cardboard box cutter. I'm trying to see if anything comes up, uh, but I, I'm not seeing. Maybe the problem is I'm not sure homeless Jimmy wins many matches, so he might not have a finisher. Gotcha. Well, you know, uh, you know, speaking of, you know, wrestling and all of that fun stuff, the choreographed fight scene in Street Trash between uh, Bronson and Bill the Cop was sort of like staging a wrestling fight or a yeah. wrestling match in that, um, you know, we needed to have something. We needed an action sequence that was, you know, exciting that Bill and Vic could do repeatedly for the cameras from multiple angles. And originally, uh, Jim, the director, was just having Bill and Vic kind of go at it, you know, and uh, they're big two, they're two big guys and they're, you know, slamming meat, as the fans would say. And the problem was, um, it's a film you need to be able to recreate that moment time after time after time after time for continuity for multiple angles so it all edits together. Mm-hmm. So again, that's where Jim Muro turned to me and he's like, when we were in editing class, film editing class, they had given us a bunch of raw footage from an episode of Gunsmoke, probably from like 1954. And it was a fight scene between James Arness, some other guy, and uh, then there were cutaways with uh, various other actors. And you, as the film student, you cut together the fight however you wanted. You could make it brutal. You could make it comedic. You could make it last 20 minutes. You get the idea. Yeah. So Jim says to me, just stage this fight like our gun smoke exercise. Mm-hmm. So I worked with Bill and Vic working around, you know, four or five different points on the set. So, and just gave them a limited move set, you know, asked them what they wanted to do and then sort of just directed them. All right, well, you do this first, then you do that second, and then you do that to react, then, you know, move to the next location, repeat, move to the next location, repeat, so on and so on and so on. And that was how we were able to get the fight scene that they were able to cut together and, you know, in cases where, you know, maybe a punch looks a little lame, you cut around it. Uh, and you just accentuate all the positives and you minimize all the negatives. I think one fun moment is that when um, Bronson takes that big, supposed to be like a, a transaxle piece of a car, it looks like a big lead pipe, and he swings it and he's going to bonk it over Bill's back. You actually see it bend because we had made a prop. It was a big cardboard tube with the heavy a metallic piece of the, I think, I guess the transaxle on the end. But when he cracked it over Bill's back, the weight of that metal piece um. ruptured the cardboard. So again, you will get to see uh, 
that fake tube bend, and that does end up in the film. Another Easter egg. I like it. So uh, everyone should go. If you haven't seen Street Trash, I, I can't believe it that you're listening to the show. <laughs> but you should go. Uh, you should go get it. Get the get the cool Blu-ray with all the cool stuff. Absolutely. And I I am really looking forward to reading the Street Trash graphic novel that you put together. And it's available on Amazon. I see yes, it available on Amazon. Reviews. I can't wait to, to look at this. I'm excited. And if you're on Amazon, just be sure you're looking under books. Because if you're looking under videos, you might not find it. And this, this book is more like this is your style of art. Like Marvel, you kind of got to do a thing. Beavis, you, you do the things that fit. This right. is yours. And... Um, this is 250 pages, so it is ginormous. And in the end of the book, as my uh, personal Easter egg, I've illustrated the story that I told at the beginning of the show of being of carrying the heads on the train and being picked up by the cops. Excellent. We have a great user comment over here. I wish we yeah, knew your this is, Facebook user. This is, uh, <laughs> I see him on Facebook. It's uh, John Renna. Uh, who actually is in some Greg Lamberson movies. I love Street Trash. Roy is a gentleman and a scholar. One of the best body horror films ever. One of the producers of the remake is a great guy. Well, I could not agree more. Well, I'm not sure about the scholar part, but he is a gentleman. <laughs> and someone's saying right after that that they're going to they're gonna get the book. Yeah. Thank you very, very much. I was also John. John Renna. Good guy. Very cool. Well, this has been great, and we should do it again after we get to read the uh, graphic novel. Absolutely. Or if uh, you uh, have any other things that you want to talk about, give me a holler. I've had an awful lot of fun. I feel like I have so many new friends now. Very cool. Yes. Do you have any upcoming conventions? For uh, none yet, uh, but perhaps uh, in the spring. I'm looking forward to getting out uh, and meeting uh, all of the fans. I'll be sure to let you know. Yeah, yeah, let's know and we'll let everyone else know. And uh where if you want people to, where can they follow you? I'm on uh Facebook, of course, with all the rest of the old people. And uh on Instagram, I believe I'm uh Unreal Mike Lackey. I like that name. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're Facebook people ourselves. Uh, you have conversations on Facebook. Right. Like yes. It. Yeah, yeah uh, we talk about this a lot. It feels like you can't really, uh, uh, you know, Instagram. It's it's active, but it's it's mostly just people posting photos. Right. Yes. Which I just go on Insta- yeah, I just go on Instagram to catch up on the latest Bigfoot news. And uh... <laughs> I do have a I have a small Bigfoot around here. So oh, goodness. I don't know. I don't know where this came from. It's like some kind of Bigfoot. It, it doesn't really look like a Bigfoot. I think but. that's a different cryptid. That's not a Bigfoot. No. Well, uh, I did move all of my Bigfoot stuff to put up all the street trash stuff. It's so. great. <laughs> Maybe that, that could be a follow-up sometime. Bigfoot versus uh, street trash. Mm. I love it. Yeah. Mm. I like it. I think it would work. It's been right. great to meet you, Mike. Yes. It's been terrific, and um, I will be in touch. And just thank you to your uh, audience and uh, all of the great questions. I really do appreciate it. it. You know, again, I said it before, 
but the fact that uh, something that I worked on at my mother's kitchen table 40 years ago, um, people are still so passionate about it uh, years later. It's, you know, uh, it, it brings a tear to the eye of the uh, unwashed Fred the Bum. <laughs> I've always really loved the movie because it's a lot of things I, I, as a kid, I love just the gross effects and that stuff's fun to me. And as I get older, I still like that. But it's also then I get to also see that it's like a really well-made movie. It's shot well. It still holds up. So, uh, and I always love, like I'd mentioned, the New York films of that era. Absolutely, you know, if, uh, as uh, someone said to me, if you're going to be uh, known for one movie, uh, it's not a bad one to be known for. No, exactly. And you got decapitations and severed penises. So, I, you know, what's not to love? Of course, I'm glad you brought penises back. I was thinking, nice job, Neil, of like bringing it back. Bring it all back, right, right. I was going to wear the shirt, but we get kicked off YouTube. That's right. (laughs) Oh, wonderful. So we'll see you soon. Great. Well, thank you. Future exploits, doing conventions and whatever, whatever comes up, or just coming to chat. It's been great. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike. Good night. Good night, Mike. We uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and uh, we are gonna also have Gwen Callahan, the director of the HP Lovecraft Film uh, Lovecraft Film Festival, coming up. Right. I had to. I let everyone know I uh, had a pa- big power outage this week. Today, today, not this week. Wow. I didn't even know if I was gonna get the show. Uh, it was out. Uh, it overheated because it was record highs. Yeah. So it was bad and it was very bad. But anyway, I do not have any, I do have the, I do have music lined up for the closing track, but I do not have a music lined up uh, for a, uh, 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 a little thing here, but I do have the official teaser for Rockefeller Abigail's still, which you would like us to play. I would love to see. Oh, I think I just saw it. And it's amazing. Rock my baby on the treetop when the wind blows the cradle will rock when the bell breaks the Sad. I wonder what's going to happen. Oof. A lot of cool people involved in that. Film? It's a short film. Short film. It looks amazing. I mm-hmm. do believe Sofia Catiola is involved in that film. Cinematography, I believe. I believe as well. Person. So, yeah, like you were saying, a lot of talented, cool people involved in that. So. Yeah, I believe Aaron Barocas is involved and, and oh, uh, a lot good. of cool people, Michael Epstein. So. Yes. And I, I really am a big fan of Rockefeller's uh, previous work. Yeah. 
she's super talented. I felt, I feel very lucky that she came out to the Happenstance Horror Film Festival. What year was that? 2020? Yeah, so that was uh, a lot of stuff happened that one. That was the uh, yeah. first time I met her. It was the premiere of Umbilicus Desidero. And Annabelle and I uh, rekindled our friendship. We were not yeah. talking, and it all worked out. So a lot of good things happened out of Happenstance Film. We had a friendship break. You don't have to be, like, dramatic, Neil. Friendship break. Sometimes people have to have a break and then you come back and you appreciate, you grow, you learn. We went on our paths. Now look at you, you're a picture of health, more or less. I went to school. There's been good things happening. Yeah, I'm back on my walk since I came back. Very good. I just went for first a day, walk. I went for a walk the first day I get back, but I was like, I'm exhausted. But the next day uh, I was up to a pretty big one. So before Gwen comes on, mm -hmm. Gwen is amazing. She is um, one of the two people who run the festivals. And her uh, partner in crime is her hubby, Brian Callahan. But uh, Gwen's awesome. And they run the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, which was two things. One in Providence, because that's where Lovecraft is from and one in portland now, i saw her at the most recent one and we were chatting and she was saying that they're having a new one in mobile alabama which i was like why <laughs> i just thought that was a very interesting choice yeah yeah it's not so, well, it's not one i would think of off the top of my no. head so she will she will let us know more about that because that is a new Sweet one home, like the other two are pretty you know solid they've got long ongoing crowds and this new one it needs some some love and support Very i know it's gonna be awesome they're good people they have cool shirts yeah that's a really cool shirt yeah. it is a very cool shirt and mine is a licensed this I don't think I have to worry about it being licensed because they yeah, need it. So. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. There actually is a, a movie um, that was amazing and you need to see. God damn it. It's like half the people in all of the, um, I almost said Frank Henenlotter, Stuart Gordon movies, including your beloved woman whose name escapes Barbara me. Barbara Crampton? Yes. Neil, it's so good. Was this at the Lovecraft Festival? Yes. So she's in a lot of. Great. She's and um. It's nice to at see least that. She can't um, <laughs> yeah, she that's can't true. Promote it at all. So, yeah, it's not. If it's an independent film, she might be able to. She can't. That was that was another thing that came up, which we will talk about more when when Gwen is oh, okay. arrived. Um, but yeah, pretty fantastic movie. Maybe you could get a screener. Well, let's see. It's not blackout. Uh, suitable flesh. Yes. Oh, it's great. It's very clever. She's wonderful. The acting is super duper. Oh, oh, uh, Joe Lynch made this. That's um, one of our, our original guests on the on the, on the show back in the, when we first started. I used it's to talk to him on MySpace. Oh, get out. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You you will love it. She's so impressive. Everybody is very impressive. It was really um, 
mind twisting, weird, like this really creepy, um, creepy stuff and serial killery things. And I don't even want to really get like the poster to ruin anything, but there's a, oh shoot. What's, are you, did you pull it up on IMDb or no? Yeah. You did. Yeah, there's, I'm on IMDb uh, right now. Yeah. There's an older guy in it who's been in a lot of stuff. Who, if you look, he's older and has like very light blonde. Bruce Davison. Yes. What a great actor as such a creepy bastard. He's so evil. And then there's another character who's anybody who plays so evil because there are several so evil crush it and it's hard to be a good villain they destroy they destroy all no. like ideas you might have is, about is how that because you know sometimes uh the lovecraft stuff is actually based on a lovecraft story and sometimes people you know it's lovecrafty and oh, like it's is, inspired yeah, by like the story so yeah this isn't i wouldn't even me not it's not the stereotypical well like the typical tentacly monstrousness there's um i guess you could say there's elements but i think it's more about it's like the like a love letter to stuart gordon and um there is definitely some sci-fi stuff i wouldn't i don't know geez you'd think i would i don't think it's cosmic horror there's weirdness to it. I guess there is some culty stuff. Yeah, I take it back. There's culty stuff. Oh, my hair just went like. Whoa. My mom kept saying that she really liked your hair on well, the pictures from LA. Your mom has a good sense of style. Is she gonna dye her hair again anytime soon? I don't know. Maybe I, I helped her with the last couple times she did it. So. It looks good when she does it. Yeah. Yeah, and Troy had a blue beard. For I don't know where Troy is. I thought he would be on. Oh no, I forgot. Uh, he's what? working nights again. Oh no. Yeah. When do we get Troy back? I don't know. Just this week, he went back. To, he worked eleven to seven, so he probably wouldn't get home until eight or so. So yeah, I probably missed wow. him. Wow. That's. Sad. I don't know if he's back on there all the time. They really move him all around at work, so I'm not sure. But we'll figure it out. Yeah. Oh. I forgot about that. I miss Troy. He's yeah, great. He's been on the show for a while. Yeah, he's a lot of fun. He always says cool, different things that we don't think to say. Exactly. Exactly. He's just, just a great man. element to the everything. He's wonderful. So uh, Mike says a big foot size thank you it was a blast. I agree. Where is this? Uh, he just sent a message. Oh, okay. And what did he say? A big foot size thank you. It was a blast. Uh, I had a great time as well. He was a really cool dude. Yes. I yeah. laugh at his uh, emphasis on talking about penises. Yeah, I like that. And then it just, uh, the penises came up throughout the show. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> right, right. And he wasn't, you know, shoving the penises down anyone's throat. It just popped up naturally throughout the conversation. But uh, this... Uh, <laughs> Oh, I just uh, moved my screen right. Um, this Bigfoot though behind me—it was—it's some kind. It's like a collection where all the all the cryptids have these big eyes. 
Oh, she got it free on. It's definitely a Bigfoot. It looks like yeah. that. Um, it's Bigfoot, but they all, all all of them have these eyes. Like they make a Loch Ness. Red and all eyes. Yeah, all of them have these big eyes. That's like, that's but like red. Yeah, that's all. All of these guys all have the similar eyes. But yeah, he's even in the Bigfoot pose and stuff. But yeah. Hmm. But th those what's eyes make him look like he's something else. But yeah, what's the company? I fr I honestly can't remember. That's pretty cool. So I put the genre blast uh, award up here. Very nice. Congratulations and, on and... more awards for the films. Yeah. So oh, this is from South Texas um, Underground Film we, Festival. Now that it's public information, can we have on the writer? Yeah, Screen Brian person. Brian W. Smith. That would be cool. Yes. He's also done uh, some shorts um, for Severed Limbs. So that would be very cool. Yes. I believe Gwen is here with him. Very happy for him that he could be out. Hey, it's Gwen. with her most amazing hair. Hi. Hello. How are you? Good. Are you ready to go? Because we're on. You're on. Okay, good. We're, on. we're here. It's happening. One yeah, second. Like two yeah. seconds. Two yeah, okay. No problem. You want me to take yeah, you off you for a moment? want to go to break? Can we do that or is that yeah. not helpful? Yeah, we can go to break. Is that okay? Is that better? I'll okay. just play. I'll, well, I'd have to play a video is what would happen. Oh, all right. <laughs> this is very well organized. But uh, I actually don't have anything lined up. So, Gwen, so yeah, we can, we can take you off for a moment and you can rejoin us when you're okay. ready, okay? It's okay. It's okay. I think we're okay. All right. All right. Yeah. It's very awkward uh, intro. Yeah, sorry, sorry no that. problem sorry all right so welcome gwen hp lovecraft film festival uh i i love the film festival you know i've been going for a few years now everything you guys do is fun you make it a good time beyond just watching the movies your personalities when you introduce films and talk about stuff you, there's a clear true love not just for the films but for the audience the people that attend um and you're now expanding beyond Providence, beyond Portland, to Mobile, Alabama. Uh, do you want to share more about the festival and give the introduction to Mobile? <laughs> um, well, the so just for people who are not familiar with the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, it is the longest running and largest event of its kind. Um, in terms of being specifically cosmic horror, Lovecraftian genre. Um, and it is... Grown from a two-day film festival back in 1996 was the first one, um, founded by Andrew, Andrew Migliori here in Portland, Oregon. Um, we started coming to it in 2002, and by that time it had grown to a three-day fully-fledged film festival with some author readings and panels and um, sometimes musical guests, um, different guests of honor. Patti Smith was a guest of honor one year. Um, Brian Lumley, Ramsey Campbell, Mike Mignola, um, Stuart Gordon has been a guest over the years. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's kind of a fully fledged uh, film festival and Cthulhu Con. We also have a mall of Cthulhu, which we attract and track down vendors of um, esoteric and eldritch wares for people to uh, shop in person with. Um, things that you wouldn't necessarily find on the internet because a lot of these artists don't have um, the time to deal with web stores. So, mm -hmm. so you get some uh, nice variety there. Um, but yeah, we 
Brian and I took over running it in 2011. So by the time 2010 happened, that was the 15th festival. And Andrew had a full-time job, had a kid that was quickly growing into a teenager and was basically like, I cannot handle all this by myself. So um, that's it. And the award, the uh, film festival was going to be dead. And we were like, no, we can't let it die. <laughs> like This is like, A, this is a community of people that um, are just fantastic. And like, we need for their we need there to be somewhere for them to all go once a year and like hang out and let their freak flags fly. And so um, Brian and I were like, okay, we'll, we'll take it over. We don't really know what we're doing, but we'll try it. We'll figure it out as we go along. And, and we did. Um, so one of the things that we introduced because we quickly realized that putting on a festival of this size is extremely expensive. Um, so we started doing a Kickstarter which actually we are running one right now for the Portland Festival. Um, and that's that's live. Um, and you can also, um, so when tickets for Mobile are not a part of the Kickstarter, but we are going to be doing a, um, sorry, VIP, VIP and deluxe tickets for Portland with swag. So if you're not coming to Portland, you can still pledge for the stuff. There's cool sculptures and sun catchers and t-shirts and things and books and things like that that you can get through the Kickstarter and it all supports the festival. Mm -hmm. um, and sorry, I've, I have a little bit of ADHD, I think. So my way of telling things is a little bit oh, right now. Trust, trust <laughs> this show is all over the map. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's so the Kickstarter for Portland is going on right now. If people want to check that out, it's at um, we made a short URL, so it's bitly bit.ly slash let me see if I remember this HPLFF23, the number two three, uh, kick. Yeah, HPLFF23 kick. Um, and people would get there. So we're fully I'll put funded. the link. I'll put the link on the in the description. Awesome. So we're fully funded, and that just means we have stretch goals to work towards, and um, that's going to be really fun. Um, if people go to our website right now, they can go to HPLFF. Hold on, made another short URL for that. It is Bitly slash HPLFF Mobile. And that will take you to the right. Our website is not optimized for mobile. And I'm here on my well, laptop. It looks, good. it looks good on a desktop, but mm -hmm. most people are looking at it on their phone. So, um, in order to, the quickest way to get there is the Bitly HBLFF mobile. And then um, there's not a ton of information right there on there right now. We had some hurdles <laughs> earlier this year so we've been planning to do this event for about a year now um back in september of last year a friend of mine who worked at one of the hotels in downtown mobile approached me and said hey do you guys think that you would ever want to do the hp lovecraft film festival in mobile because he had helped me judge films but he was never able to come to the festival because being working in a hotel October is like crazy season for them but he also knew that there's not a lot going on in downtown mobile after Halloween and so our idea is to 
spread the madness around the world. We figured we're in Portland, we're in Providence, and now we're missing the South. So people in the middle of the country, it's a lot easier to get to the South. So Mobile, we are serving up um, fine independent cosmic horror films. Um, there's going to be author readings and panels and gaming and uh, uh, two special film events at the Sanger Theater, which is like across the street and down the block from the host hotel, which is the Holiday Inn downtown Mobile. And if people go to our website, they can find the booking link. We have a, a discounted group rate with the hotel. Um, and all the stuff is, pretty much all the stuff is happening in the hotel, in the Sanger Theater. And then we're also working with the Haunted Bookstore, which is across the street from the Sanger Theater. And they're also gonna be hosting um, author signings and author readings and things like that in, in the store. Um, downtown Mobile, for those who haven't been there, uh, is a wonderful, wonderful place. There's amazing food. Um, it's everything's like in a little like four or five block area. The river is right there. The Mardi Gras Museum is right there. That's like historical stuff to do. There's lots of good food and drink and coffee. Um, lots of good cocktails, which I enjoy. Um, lots of good po' boys, which you can't really get outside the South. <laughs> um, and yeah, so the programming is slowly coming together. Um, we have plans that will be announced on the website and there should be a form on the mobile page where if you want to find out about all these updates before you, you know, go whole hog into it. Um, you can sign up for updates and we'll be emailing, sending out periodic newsletters to, to let you know what's going on. And we should have um, like very early bird tickets up very soon. So before Mobile though, you have Portland. Yes. Where's Portland happening? Like we'll sell it all. Yeah, it yeah. So Portland, Oregon is happening. It's a flagship festival. It's been running here for, this is our 20, this is the 28th year. Um, it is at the beautiful Hollywood Theater, which is a movie palace that was built in, I think, 1926 and has been pretty much in operation as some kind of theater or movie theater ever since. Um, it used to be just one big screen. They have a, they, We still have the, the curved screen there. It's a 60-foot screen, and it was the kind where it was meant to be projected with three projectors, so like one in the middle and two from the side, so it's like this big curved screen. Wow. Wow. Gigantic and impressive. And then they closed off the balcony at some point and made two more theaters upstairs. Um, so we take over the whole theater. We show movies on all three screens. There's some live performances. We have Robert Lloyd Perry coming out to do a performance of The Willows, Algernon Blackwood's mm -hmm. The Willows. And along with him, Chris Bozone, who is a musician. Um, if people, earlier this year, there was a a nightmares festival in New Jersey. And I don't think I'm saying the name right, but it's something like that it was um, in association with Cadabra records, I believe uh, he, played, he played it at. So he'll be coming out and accompanying Robert Lloyd Perry. We also yeah. have our guests of honor, guests of honor, um, Rebecca McKendry, who is one of my horror idols and I'm gonna try really hard not to fangirl out on her when I meet her <laughs> but um Rebecca also has a podcast called all the colors of the dark podcast and um was the director of glorious 
So we were going to be having a special screening of Glorious and a Q&A with Rebecca. And um, she's also going to do a keynote speech and be on some panels. Our other guest of honor is more literary geared, but um, he is also a podcaster and a comic, comic book writer and has a new book out called What Kind of Mother? And if you haven't guessed who it is, it's Clay McLeod Chapman. Yay! <laughs> like, he's amazing. Um, one of his short stories, Late Bloomer, was made into a short film that was shown at the festival years and years ago. Um, but he's going to be back as our literary guest of honor, also doing uh, reading and being on panels and talking about stuff. Yeah. Very cool. And uh, so that's October 6th to the 8th. I don't remember if I said when that was. Um, and if people are interested in coming for that, we still have a group discounted rate with the Doubletree Portland, which is one max stop away from the theater. Um, and that is on our Portland portal, which I think if you go to hplff.com slash Portland, I think that'll get you there. <laughs> if you, yeah, and there's a link right at the top of the there main page, website, there's, so. some, there's some buttons at the top that'll yeah. direct you to the yeah. correct city. Yeah. yeah. If you look up HP Lovecraft Film Festival, you'll get what you need to you'll get. get there. <laughs> it's not hard yeah. to find. It's not. It's it's pretty easy to navigate. Um, yeah. For people that are, I mean, this is, we've got film people. There are filmmakers that listen to the show. So what if you, like, of course, your submissions time is over and people will hear about this and be like, oh, how, how do I get involved in the HP Lovecraft Film Festival? What would be things that you would be looking for for submissions in the future? So we're, we take all of our submissions through Film Freeway. Um, and when they open again, we usually put out uh, a call for entries. So just be on the lookout for that. You can follow, I think you can follow us on Film Freeway. We're the only HP Lovecraft Film Festival on there. Um, so yeah, just, I guess, keep a lookout for that. But the kinds of films we play are not just like adaptations of Lovecraft stories. We also show, and, and in fact, the min minority of the films that we show are actual Lovecraft adaptations. We also show um, original works that are cosmic horror or heavily inspired by Lovecraft's works. Um, we get, sometimes we get films that are like, oh, they're doing a take on The Terrible Old Man or The Music of Eric Zahn, which are common adaptations. <laughs> um, but things like that. And then we also have a room for Poe adaptations. There's a lot of an uncanny ghost stories with Poe and like kind of weird tale things with Poe. And other contemporaries of Lovecraft. So we've had Clark Ashton Smith adaptation, um, The Last Incantation. We've had adaptations of um, Fritz Lieber. We played The Hill and the Hole a couple years back. I think that was during the pandemic, actually during 2020. Um, yeah, so we get some weird things out of left field sometimes like that, and we love it. Um, it's very hard to pin down like what's cosmic horror and what's not cosmic horror but it's one of those things like you know it if you see it i guess <laughs> we have a very long if, if if you're not sure if you're like i have a horror movie i think maybe it's cosmic horror there's a very long section um on our film freeway page that you can see even though submissions are closed that kind of 
delineates the matter for you in terms of like these things are cosmic horror. These things are not cosmic horror. <laughs> the werewolves are not usually cosmic horror. Um, you know, slasher films, not really cosmic horror either. Um, vampire films, not cosmic horror. <laughs> they can be necessarily scary, scary, scary. There can be comic entries. There can be yes. animated entries. Yes. So we, we have played in the past experimental films. Um, we have played animated films. We have played, absolutely have played horror, co like cosmic horror comedy films. And in fact, we have a bunch up uh, on offer this year. We are bringing back our shorts of madness, which we kind of take the grossest and funniest films in the festival and group them all together to kind of break up the, the cosmic existential dread that uh, you feel so that you know, you don't go home just on a downer note. <laughs> you don't descend completely into madness. Exactly. It kind of pulls you back from the brink. Because if you can laugh at it, it's not that scary. Some really good stuff. Um, <laughs> I was telling Neil before he jumped on today about the fantastic um, Suitable Flesh film. Yeah. So one of, the, one of the things that we did early on when I knew this film was coming out um, last year, and I bugged the producers and the writer and anyone else I could find that was involved with it and said, hey, we want to play your film when it comes out. Let us see your film. And um, our, I'm like, can I talk about this in relationship to that? I don't know, because there's a strike happening. So I'm just not going to say who, but mm. some of the key people involved were instrumental in helping us um, get in touch with the distributor and like kind of convincing them that like, yes, this is a good festival to play this film at. Mm -hmm. um, so I am a, I'm guessing probably that the strike's not going to be resolved by the time our Portland show rolls around and, and maybe it will be by the time the November mobile, oh, the mobile show is November 3rd to the 5th. So it's the weekend after Halloween. Um, because if you just like can't let go of the spooky season, we're extending it for you a little bit mm -hmm. by like five days. <laughs> so come, you know, it's like a Halloween part two. But the movie the hotels are very cool looking. Here, maybe I can, yeah, yeah, look, look at that. that. Yeah. yeah. The so that theater, well, that's the theater. Yeah, the theater is cool. 1925 or 1926. So, and this so is, it, uh, is your hope that if, if these strikes were to resolve, that maybe those people could be more involved in the. Yeah. So, I mean, our, our master plan was to have Barbara Crampton, Dennis Paoli, and director Joe Lynch come out. Dennis mm -hmm. Paoli wrote the screenplay. Um, I just realized that, like, I'm not. A SAG actor, and I'm not in the writer's guild, so I can talk about whatever. <laughs> um, I was like, I said things. I think I could say things before you came on, but now I, I don't know if I should have. Okay. We're good. I think that the people are not like the people who are on strike are not allowed to talk about their right. projects at all, but I think we are allowed to talk about them just fine. So, Barbara, um, who I met um, in person at Monster Palooza after having a lengthy correspondence because we have been trying to get her to be a guest of honor at the Lovecraft Film Festival. Um, but she kept having to go to Sidgis, which was always on the same weekend as mm -hmm. our festival. <laughs> so um, finally got her up here for Portland Horror with Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich. And then since then have been kind of 
following along with what she's been doing with producing kind of like she's trying to reboot a Lovecraft cinematic universe. And um, this one just, I mean, Annabelle, you saw it. I just loved it. Um, I think Stuart would have loved it. It really has that, you can tell that Dennis Paoli had a hand in it, but you can also tell that Dennis Lynch or that Joe Lynch directed it. It has his stamp on it as well. Um, the performances, the stars, Heather Graham, Barbara Crampton, Judah Lewis, um, all three of them are fantastic, just amazing performances. Mm -hmm. And the film doesn't really work without them being as good as they are because it could go campy real quickly and it doesn't like kind of stays on the edge of like being serious there are definitely moments where you're gonna laugh but it's pretty gross it's pretty horny um it is (laughs) i think brian brian keeps saying it's dirty (laughs) this film is dirty (laughs) but there's no real nudity i mean there's i think maybe you get like a flash of a boob really quickly but it's not has boob moments yeah, but it's more of a, like, what's that? <laughs> um, so my my ultimate dream was to have all of those um, actors and key, key players come out to the festival and be there for the Q&A. But, um, you know, people being paid a living wage is important, too. So I totally understand why that's happening. Um, we are still um, trying to lock down Joe Lynch for coming out to Portland. Um, but he, there's some scheduling things that we need to get figured out. And then also for Mobile. So we were going to be playing Suitable Flush on the big screen of the Sanger Theater in Mobile as well. Um, with, with, um, some kind of guest, maybe Barbara, maybe Dennis, maybe Lynn, Joe, maybe all three of them. Um, I like your little video. Give her across your fingers. <laughs> I like your little video in Providence. And I appreciate yeah. that. Little That's video. nice. That's good. They made it just for you guys. (laughs) So, so many great films. And if you, I mean, it's like cosmic horror is scary. It's like, if you think about aliens movies, that's borders on cosmic horror. That's not Lovecraft. It's creepy stuff. But I think that's probably like the far end of the spectrum. I think so. Alien, the first one, is definitely cosmic horror. And it's not because it takes p- place in space. It's because man, man, humans have gone and discovered something that is kind of beyond their understanding or comprehension. And in exploring that thing, bring ruin and disaster upon themselves. Um, so that, I think, is a very large component of cosmic horror is the discovery of something that changes your whole perception of reality and the universe and your understanding of your place in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's quite a few movies that fit that bill. Um, I mean, Event Horizon, I think, fits that yeah. bill. The Thing, of course, is, I mean, John Carpenter's a huge Lovecraft fan. Dan O'Bannon was a huge Lovecraft fan. Um, you know, we talk about Life Force as being a cosmic horror um, film um, to I think Brian would agree with me that Killer Clowns from Outer Space is somewhat of a cosmic horror film. I would agree. And again, like a lot of these things have to do with outer space because that is, as modern people, outer space is kind of like the next frontier. It's the next border of like where we've gone and explored and can kind of understand and have 
seen and touched for lack of a better word. There's films that are very cool that are like Westerns, um, like Dead Birds and The Burrowers, which also kind of bring in this whole like undiscovered territory. And because they're set kind of in the old West, it's again, it's that frontier where you're pushing the boundary of like known territory and sort of like in the old, old days when you'd have the world maps with like, there'd be monsters beyond this point and there'd be like a sea dragon or whatever. It's kind of like that. So as modern people, our edge of the there'd be dragons beyond this point is kind of outer space. Um, so I think a lot of cosmic horror leaps from there. So you've got like Europa Report by Phil Jalot. And um, whereas Close Encounters of the Third Kind is not necessarily cosmic horror, but it is an alien movie <laughs> with UFOs and things like that. Um, so yeah. Cosmic horror doesn't necessarily equal alien movies or UFO movies, but alien and UFO movies can be cosmic horror. Mm -hmm. And uh, Brian, Brian is like feeding me notes because I forget about <laughs> But we have like more like more independent feature films this year than I think we've ever had. Like the pool of really good independent feature films that fit our genre was incredible. Um, so some of the ones I can talk about because they're selected already are Charlie Steeds is back with Gods of the Deep. Um, he his world premiere. Last year, we showed his film Freeze, which featured a lot of deep ones. Um, this film is kind of an undersea adventure in a submarine with a crew, and it's kind of, um, I guess it's kind of like Alien, but under the sea. <laughs> like, oh, that weird old man, right? Yeah. Yes. The weird old man, yes. <laughs> the weird old man. <laughs> He's really well, because there's always some rich guy with like way too much money that's like fucking around with shit he shouldn't be messing around with, and then all hell breaks loose. You, uh, can you throw in this cute little thing from Dave Deadman over here about his last little comment? Because I find it very amusing. Uh, gross and horny, putting that on my business cards. Nice. Yeah. Maybe his memoirs, gross and horny. <laughs> He's a good man. He's a good man. Yeah. <laughs> I like the ad. He's a good guy. Yeah. He is a good man. I like I know. Yeah, He's a yeah. guy. Um, I would like to, because some people, as you know, have a like, Lovecraft is bad and we just discard him. Can you offer some thoughts about this? Yes, I have many thoughts about this. <laughs> um, so, yes, we have, I think the first time. I was confronted with this. So Brian and I own a t-shirt business and like we say it's a t-shirt business, but it's more than that. We make designs, we put them on t-shirts. We've also started making other things like glassware and flasks and yes, we're <laughs> twins. Yes, you've got great <laughs> And um, tote bags and hoodies and books and like DVDs and things like that. But Part of our business was then going and taking all this stuff and setting it up at a convention and selling it to people. And here I am, an Asian woman behind this table, like this eight foot table full of Lovecraft stuff. And this guy stops in front of my table and kind of looks, he's like, you know, Lovecraft was really racist, right? 
And I was like, yeah. What? No. <laughs> like, you know what he named his cat? The table. No. So um, to that I say, I totally understand why this would make people uncomfortable. Um, and I also, as a person of, person who's not white and not a male, not a cis white male, um, cis hetero white male. Oh my God. So I'm me. I'm this person. I have this face. I have this body and I'm a Lovecraft fan. And some of us became Lovecraft fans before we knew about his personal views about anything in the world. Um, and I think that's totally fine. You have to go through a reconciling of the person with the work and what that means. Um, and I think that, you know, there's this uproar about the World Fantasy Award and people getting really upset with um, Nnedi Okorafor for being, for bringing this up, for daring to talk about this, about their idol. And all she was really saying was like, how do I as a black person reconcile like my love of Lovecraft because she's a Lovecraft fan um, with knowing now knowing his views in a sort of cosmic horror kind of way finding this out <laughs> and then having the statue of his face looking at me and um, and I don't think she really offered like a solution because she was just ruminating on it and people just lost their minds which I don't understand but uh having this conversation about like, should this person's face be on an award? Yeah, probably not. I mean, it was developed because people were recognizing the genre and that's fine, but we're allowed to evolve. We're allowed to amend laws. We're allowed to change our minds about things. We're allowed to change our hair color. We can change our minds about like, whose face is gonna be on an award that you're gonna be giving to um, hopefully more and more frequently to non-white people mm -hmm. then you know like how are you supposed to feel with um looking at a portrait of somebody that you know hates you i mean you don't save your ex's pictures and keep them on your mantle right like you just you like burn them or give them back kind of thing it's like uh you know you learn from it it's like a bad ex like you learn from them what you learned and you take away what you need and then you don't need to dwell or linger or keep mementos of the things that make you feel bad so if it doesn't make you feel bad that's great but if it makes you know somebody else feel bad like don't you can't really judge them for that it's mm -hmm. straying a little bit so i guess my point is that um like i recognize that lovecraft was racist but i sort of regard him like my racist grandfather who wasn't going to change. Well, he can't change because he's dead. Um, and my grandfather died like much older than Lovecraft. He was only like 46. Yeah. I'm like four years older than him and I'm still like figuring shit out. And um, most of why people nowadays <laughs> get along with each other is because um, they either don't put it all over the internet or they and they don't like keep all the letters so we know a lot of things about lovecraft because of his letters and because of other people's like recollections of him and i think it's important to not only put in con frame frame his life experience but also in a larger context look at like who we are as a country in that time period because he 
So I'm going to say this, like he wasn't the only one who was racist like that. And that doesn't excuse him, but it kind of puts in context, like what the environment was like. Mm -hmm. So at that time, Rhode Island, um, Providence, I think was host to the largest KKK gathering that ever was. I didn't um, know about that. So <laughs> didn't know about that. Like, oh, wow. Was it anyone, and his parents, his aunts, his grandfather were also racist and like you know until he became an adult and like went to New York City and like get got out of his hometown yeah. and experienced some other things like yeah he was probably ignorant about a lot of things um you know the food and the culture and things like that and once you begin to experience things that are unlike yourself and realize that there's not inherent evil or good in any of it, then you, you start to kind of expand the horizons of your mind. So I can't really stay mad about it. <laughs> I can't stay mad about the fact that he is racist. And it, it does seem to me like he, as a person evolved from the time he started writing stories to the time he finished writing stories and people can disagree with me, but the value that I see in his work is that it really does resonate. It seems to really resonate with marginalized populations, mm -hmm. so people of color, queer people, um, the LGBTQIA community, women, um, men who feel like they're not living up to the, you know, masculine ideal, like anyone who's not like normal, I feel like gravitates towards his writing at some point because there's so much in it that speaks to us mm -hmm. that we are the outsider. We're the other. And even though he's writing about those things as being bad, it's like, Oh, I'm see, I feel seen. Now. <laughs> hmm. and, I, and the legacy that he's leaving is that there's now more and more, um, new voices working like writing things in cosmic horror and kind of um i think eclipsing the you know white male legacy that lovecraft left behind and now there's just this whole buffet of different cultures and different voices working in this genre and adding their own spin on things and um deepening that lore so this year we talk about the film festival is being very international. I think we have films from like 14 different countries, one of them being Kenya. So we have a, a film from Kenya, Kenya, I'm not sure which one's proper. <laughs> um, and that filmmaker, you know, like made a very uncanny ghost story called Grogan's Lodge. So please look for that when you come to the festival, um, look for it at other festivals and maybe playing at a festival near you. Um, and we've got films from the Netherlands, from Belgium, Spain, Portugal, Australia, Canada. Um, I'm forgetting a lot of the countries that things are from. <laughs> but if you go on the films page of our website, you can. It has a little synopsis and like where they're from and who directed it. Um, we're also starting to see a few more women directors sending us things. Um, and that's something that's difficult, I think, because it's like video game culture where as a woman, if you 
enter into that space, you get questioned as to whether you're really a fan or if you're just there because your boyfriend likes it. Yeah. And it's, it's exhausting to have to answer things like, you know, people talking to me at my own festival who don't realize I'm one of the directors. Ask it, have you read this? It happened in front of me. And I was like, when runs the festival? Like, oh, are you a fan? Like, yeah, I am. And not that, not that people need to know that I'm the director, but until people see somebody at a festival who's a woman or what have you, and don't automatically question why they're there. We have some work to do, but I think we're getting we're getting there in like little inches, inches by steps and inches. But that's one of the things that has excited me since you know the over the past gosh thir thirteen years that we've been running the festival. I'm starting to see in the audience there's more women and in the authors uh, in the author community there's more women and people of color and marginalized populations and we've we've actually gotten a couple of films from native american directors and filmmakers which i was really excited about um yeah so it's starting to kind of filter out there and i think words getting out there that like it's okay for you to be making this stuff then and i want the message to be sent that like we're the place where you can share it safely like we're a safe space we're not gonna you know we're not gonna judge you we're not trying to be gatekeepers of who can make cosmic horror stories or weird tales or lovecraftian tales like we want all of it we want more there needs to be more and more and more I see a, a short here that I'm a big fan of. I saw it recently. It was a nose picker. Okay. Oh my it's a God. it's a really great oh, uh, short. And yeah. gross. Yeah, I saw it at um, uh, genre blast. Yeah, it was amazing. Very gross. I'm glad to hear that it's getting around. Um, they the filmmaker um, Ian Montgiani was tentative like he wasn't sure if he was gonna let us play it in Providence and because it was his world premiere and he was like let's, let's go for it and I'm really glad he did I think the audience had a great time with it and I can't wait for the Portland and Mobile audiences to see it as well it's so gross and so good and like mm -hmm. this just kind of mixes together like a kid's a kid's bully story with some like late 70s early 80s film aesthetics um and just some like really gross 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 special effects <laughs> amazing and fun like i wanted to go just like wash my hands and my face <laughs> over and over and over again after seeing that film <laughs> it's so good i love it <laughs> yeah yeah, I'm just checking out the website. But uh, if you just go to the website, uh, it's real easy to navigate. You can find all the uh, Portland, Providence, and uh, Mobile, Alabama right at the top. Cool. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> and Necronomicon. And Necronomicon, yeah. Wow. So the Providence Film Festival um, that we put on happens every other year opposite Necronomicon Providence, which is um, happening next August, 2024. Um, but we will be working with them to do film programming there as well. So we usually do 
three shorts blocks, I think, throughout the weekend. Um, so if you can't get to Mobile or Portland, come out to Providence and see some of the see some of the films that we are showing there. And, and that's a place where really it because I hadn't been to that before because it had there was COVID and all the other things. So that was my first one, and it was when you talk about diversity. The panels are amazing and address some problematic Lovecraft stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just that, there's like, a, there was a presentation from, uh, I think it was a physicist who was like, Lovecraft doesn't know what he's talking about and kind of went off the rails about it. But it was interesting because here's a scientist who came in and it's, it was just fascinating. There was so much cool stuff and there like loads and loads and loads and loads of artists. It was like where I really I love you guys. And then that kind of sealed the deal of like, this is the place I go as an art person. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's wonderful. Wonderful. And it is it's like really, um, Niels who runs Necronomicon Providence and me and Brian run HP Lovecraft Film Festival, really um, try to work together to make these events really special like we try to add something to his and like we work with him to you know make our events more special and um definitely we both find new guests through each other's events and um like it's really i'm really happy that we have a collaborative relationship because it could be easily be easily be competitive and there's not enough there's not enough for us to be competitive like we all need to be cooperative yes what else would you care to share about about all of the things oh my god and why can't people just mind meld with me right now i guess the the liner notes for portland and for mobile is that we've got um you know there's so many hours of programming that you can come to either festival i'm sure and not not see everything what you will see is going to be awesome. And we purposely kind of overlap programming so that some people don't care about the feature films. Some people don't care about author readings. Some people don't care about live performances. Some people don't care about music. They just care about the short films. But then there are other people who do care about the features or the live performances, the music. So we try to have something for everybody. So if you go into a theater and you're like, this film's not doing it for me, you can go out and walk into another theater and there's a live performance of um, something happening that you might like better. Um, and that is also how we ticket our events. Um, we don't do per screening tickets. It's just kind of a like a convention pass where you pay one price and you get to go all day and you you get to sit in there <laughs> yeah that's a that's a really hard thing with festivals like one of the ones we have locally um buff boston underground film festival it's all piecemeal so you go and if you want to spend the weekend well good luck it's really 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 expensive yeah um and lovecraft i think your film festival is very reasonable and there's the additional programming as well Um, (laughs) there's a lot going on there so very worth it and it is and we've had um we've had people get upset with us because they there's just no physical way that they can see everything at the festival Mm -hmm. um but you know we price it 
according to what we think you could reasonably see. Yeah. So we're not charging you for all 60 hours of programming that we're putting on all concurrently. We're charging you for the, you know, 10 to 15 hours that we think you would probably see. Or I guess, I guess there's 20 hours if you just do a straight track in Portland. Because it, it starts Friday night at 7 o'clock and it goes through Sunday night at 11 p.m. And if you make it through that way, you are a champion. <laughs> <laughs> but we expect Mobile. So we've done, Mobile is going to be more of a convention style event with um, with films definitely happening. So if you're there for the films, you will have your fill of films. But if you are also there for, um, you know, chatting with your friends or meeting new friends in Cosmic Horror, um, you can do that too. You can play some games. You can hear an author reading. You can go see a panel discussion. And if you need help meeting people, just ask me. I will be happy to force you out of your comfort zone and make you go talk to other people. <laughs> Maybe make you play Lovecraftian Pictionary. Yeah. That sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah. I think that um, if you're at all interested, please go check out the website and sign up for announcements we have facebook events made for each of our events as well if you go find us on facebook i think we're hpl film festival on facebook and we are also hpl film festival on instagram and we are hplff on the web page formerly known as twitter but we are not yeah, super active there we try to yeah. indicate but um Instagram and Facebook and the website are probably the most reliable ways to get information from us. And um, yeah, we're hoping to make Mobile an annual event as well. And um, just kind of, we're kind of planning for a sm an intimate-ish event this year and hopefully people surprise us and show up in droves and um, we can grow it year by year and make it a, make it a Southern institution because I think there's a lot to be said for providing a place for local artists and authors and filmmakers to show their works. Um, so they don't have to end up spending a ton of money to go like across the country to, to talk to people about it and to have exposure. Yeah. So yeah, I hope everyone joins us and um, comes out. And if you're an author and you're interested in participating in either of our events, but especially mobile, that you can reach out to us through the website. There's a, a contact form or you can just um, fill out. I will be making an author reading panel pitch application <laughs> on the website very soon, <laughs> like immediately. Um, so you can look for that and fill that out. And that lets us know that you're interested in coming and um, doing an author reading or being on panels, being a guest for that one. For people who might submit films films in the future, when is usually the start date that people um, we try to we usually shoot for having our our submissions open again in like December. So sometime sometime yeah. then. Yeah. Not too far away. Um and then <clears throat> submissions go run through I think we let them run too long this year, but at least through July. And then we also have a screenplay competition 
but because we have to read all the screenplays and you can't just play it and like have everyone watch you can have multiple people watch a film at the same time mm-hmm. but with screenplays you all individually have to read them so it takes us a little longer to work through those so we usually close those entries like a little before the film cutoff date so just be aware of that too that's a lot how many movies did you watch this year shorts film um we got over 400 submissions this year between screenplays and films and I personally watched, actually, I don't know. I would have to look at the metrics, but over 300, I think, over 300 films. I will admit that there are some films I don't watch because one of our judges has already watched it and determined that it's just not a fit at all. Um, because some people see Lovecraft and they're like, oh, I have a romantic comedy. I'll submit that. Like, that's not, <laughs> that's, that's not, fitting, yes. <laughs> not the craft of the love, yeah. Lovecraft. <laughs> um, like just like Carpenter Film Fest wouldn't be about making buildings or build, building bookshelves. <laughs> <laughs> I think people don't read our descriptions or something before submitting, which is intense and funny sometimes. So, yeah, so yeah we pretty much um, before, you know, before we select or let people know that their film's not playing, watch everything. Um, me and Brian pretty much go through everything, even if it's got, you know, a bunch of thumbs down from, a, from our judges, because sometimes we disagree yeah. and uh, override their judging. Judging. It's <laughs> so, happened. Oh, well, Dave Deadman thinks a cosmic horror romantic comedy would be pretty dope. Um. Romantic comedy. I'm like, I'm trying to think of that. Get to write, start writing it, Dave. I feel like uh, the hill in the hole kind of fits that description a little bit, but um, but yeah, I, those those things do not necessarily like exclude each other. I think uh, that would be real fun. Do yeah. it, do it, and like send it. <laughs> he makes a great art. I haven't seen your art in a while, but it's very cool. Like, wow. Slightly Clive Barkerish. Yeah. What else can you share with us, or like, have you kind of gone over the thing? Um, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I can talk about this forever. Um, what else can I talk about? I feel like there's definitely things I'm forgetting. Um, things I'm pretty gosh. There's things that I can talk about, but they're like already taken so the kickstarter our kickstarter i'm going to talk about the kickstarter a little bit because it's still going on <clears throat> and one of one of the things that we try to do with the kickstarter is make it so that you're not just buying tickets to the festival we try to make it so that you get a some cool collectible limited edition kickstarter exclusive things um like this year we're making a snow globe the theme, the theme is the arkham world's fair um it's very very fun but when we started doing the kickstarter i looked at other film festivals and looked at who got funded whose kickstarter failed who just barely got funded and it was it became really obvious to me that the ones that weren't doing well were ones that were just offering like a tote bag or a ticket or whatever 
And like you can offer that stuff without Kickstarter taking a percentage. <laughs> and we really coming from this background of the festival is the is a community. And when we were taking it over, Andrew's the founder, his wife said, it's like this festival is like planning a family reunion, a wedding, and a funeral all at the same time. <laughs> and she was right. She was exactly right. That's exactly how it is. Because over the years, you kind of start knowing, you start to know all these people and you recognize them. And maybe you only talk to them once a year at the festival. But all of you automatically, when you go to this festival, you have something in common, your interest in cosmic horror and Lovecraft and weird tales. Um, whether or not you your favorite movie is the same or if you did or didn't like in the mouth of madness or if you think event horizon fits you know the cosmic horror um genre it doesn't matter you all all auto automatically have a place to start a conversation with somebody you can walk up to anybody and just be like hey what'd you see you know what what film did you come out of or how did you like it and then there you go you have a friend <laughs> a day I, I will say that i have met more people that i uh, like I do see normally I'm kind of like introverty whether people want to believe that or not but from the film festival I have met people that I actually do look forward to <laughs> and that's not like I don't look forward to seeing like lots of different people but it's different I feel like I feel like they're very low pressure meetings Mm -hmm. um, like people are very chill. Yes, they're very chill. And it's not just like a horror convention, awesome, but it is very specialized. And I think there's a very particular, you know, there's all different kinds of thinking, but I think it is a very particular kind of fan. And it's comfortable to be there. <laughs> I feel comfortable. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm glad. Yeah. Um, for for me, it's really about, yeah, it's about coming together as a community. And that's something we tried to work into an, as an integral part of the Kickstarter. So we made things like um, experience levels, like a VIP experience level where you get to play a Call of Cthulhu game, which this year is being, being run by Sean Branny of the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society. Um, right right now they're all sold out. So unless someone drops their level before it closes, you're kind of out of luck, but you can kind of make a note for next year that that's a level that you might want to shoot for and pay attention to when the Kickstarter launches. Um, we also have uh, levels where like one of, one of a kind levels, like the Tainted Inkwell is a level where we pick an author, you back for the level and then they write a fiction story, a weird fiction or cosmic horror fiction story about you. It's a very short story, but then we publish it in the Daily Lurker program. Yeah. And then there's another one that's like they write a front page news story about your untimely and weird demise. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Things like that. So we try to kind of work in things that um, let you experience something that you wouldn't necessarily otherwise be able to. That's cool. I like stuff when you think out of the box. That sounds like uh, both those sound very cool, very fun. <laughs> and then um, every year, our top stretch goals. We're we're into our stretch goals right now. So we've got like pint glasses and 
tumblers that are etched with our World's Fair design on it. Um, we have coasters that go along with that. And we're, I think, almost to the embroidered patch level. And then the next thing, which is the top level, is um, we will set aside funds from the Kickstarter to create to make a best of the 2023 HP Lovecraft Film Festival uh, short film collection. And this is something we've been doing since 2014. So this will be number 10, I think. Maybe 10 years of doing these. But we also have, like, we went back into the back catalog and did a Classics 1 to, and then restored a bunch of old, old fan films that were on Super 8 and 16 millimeter for Classics 3. And Where can we buy those? <laughs> collections. Thanks for asking, Annabelle. You can buy them on arkhambazaar.com slash films. And arkhambazaar.com is our main website. So all of the old festival t-shirts, posters, um, the little microfiction and challenge from beyond books that we make. Um, there's stickers. There's We make work shirts. We make shirts for women, shirts for unisex, hoodies, all kinds of stuff. An invisible entity has just attacked. Yeah, it's just gone into my nose and is going to invade my brain. And so, if well, you start, if you start speaking with an even English, even have a uh, <laughs> Cthulhu cosmic wing sauce on. Uh, yeah. On our campus. Yes. We have, um, so one of the designs that we made was inspired by watching the hot ones and hot sauce labels are cool. And Brian was like, I want to make a hot sauce label. And we're like, oh, so he made a t-shirt and, um, one of our friends was like, Hey, you know, you could probably make that hot sauce. I mean, not us making it, but we could have right, right. label it, which is like, yeah, we could totally do that. And so we did. And then we made two more designs. So we have the Cthulhu mind flayer pepper sauce which is a uh, ghost pepper very spicy i can't handle it it's too hot for me <laughs> um and then we've got the Dagon jalapeno pepper sauce which is a very nice like medium hot like it's hot but it's not gonna hurt you, Kill you yeah. and then there's the king and yellow pepper sauce which is a habanero mango which is actually the mildest of the three which is my favorite because it tastes mango. good on everything. Yes. Mango is a fine flavor. <laughs> and then we did, uh, yeah, we decided that we needed a wing sauce, too. So it, we have the wing sauce as well. You've got a lot of things. You can kind of just, you can outfit your home, really. With yeah. Wing sauce. Have, you need, like, a towel set. Set. Do you have a towel set yet? No, but now that you mention it, nice. we should uh, we should explore that. Some embroidered embroidered Cthulhu towels. Hundred <laughs> percent. I think I like the the Dagon picture is my favorite. The pepper sauce one. Yeah. Yeah, I like that design a lot. It's very very cool. Brian is a talented dude. He is. If you look at his designs, like he conveys a lot of information with um, very few lines sometimes. Mm -hmm. He's really good at that style. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I have the, my background blurred because there's stacks of shirts behind me and it looked really <laughs> messy. And I was like, I don't, I don't, I didn't have anything to cover it. So I'm like, I'm just going to blur the background, but I'm sitting in our office, which is also t-shirt storage. Do you want to share any of your shirts? Um, Maybe like grab one and then bring it here. <laughs> Let me see. I can. Um, Okay. Here's um, the color out of space. Can you see that? It's kind of, kind of ish. Oh, I see the cool. <laughs> it's very colorful. Here, let me see if I can. Can I um, adjust my settings from here? I can post a picture of it here. Settings. Ah, look at that. Neil made it happen. Cider out of space. Okay, there you go. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I think I figured out how to turn the blur off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, yeah. Let's see what else. Um, fortunately, I'm sitting on the side. Sitting on the side without all, all the Lovecraft stuff is on the other side by the packing table. <laughs> oh, so what other stuff do you have? I have I need it more. So this is the... This is the dig and pepper sauce shirt. Yeah, that shirt's pretty sweet. Very cool. And, um, what else is handy? I feel like there's some that are not on the website. Let me grab one. All right. Yeah, they have classic tees, work shirts, t-shirts, hoodies. I guess the classic shirts are uh, older designs. Some of those are cool. <clears throat> Zombie vodka. What do you think about those designs? They're pretty sweet. Yeah. Like okay, so shirt. here's a one that was inspired by the Las Vegas. Welcome to Vegas. <laughs> it says, Welcome to Arkham. And, and you'll notice it's on a gray t-shirt instead of a black t-shirt. Yes. Uh, interesting bit of trivia is that like we used to have all black t-shirts and then people would be like I would buy this if it wasn't on a black t-shirt right and so then we made we would make designs that weren't on black t-shirts and then we would get the comment oh, I would totally buy this if it was on a black t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> so at that point we stopped worrying about what people were gonna buy if it was on a specific color t-shirt and then just started designing things that we liked so this is one of my favorites it's so cool. very appropriate for Halloween season but I wear mine all year long. That's awesome. Cthulhu, Cthulhu pumpkin. Did you have that at the festival? I did. And then this one, I don't know if this is on the website yet, but it is. Uh, oh, yeah. You're a King and Yellow fan. It is the stanzas of the King and Yellow play that's in the book. It also We also make this on a work shirt. So this is on the back of the work shirt. And then there's like a little King and Yellow symbol on the front. And uh, yeah. And like, there's just a ton of stuff on the website. We've been in business since 2002. Yeah. Um, so there's probably over a hundred designs on there. And um, when you say that, and I mean, that's 21 years of business. So yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. Congratulations. Like, that's hey. <laughs> if you had asked me 20 years ago, where do you see yourself in 20 years? This is not what I... <laughs> I don't know if I had anything in mind, but this was not it. And it's been 
a really interesting journey here. And like, I, I don't think I would trade it for anything. So it worked out okay. You didn't imagine it, but it wasn't like, uh, well, it was something I couldn't have conceived about because I didn't know it existed. Yeah. Like I didn't know that running a film festival was a job, like could be a job (laughs) or doing anything. I mean, like it's, I don't think I had been to a convention until I met Brian. Like when we lived in San Diego, we went to Comic-Con when you could just walk up to the door and buy a ticket and go in. And I, we saw Unbreakable. Really? In one of the late night sessions. Yeah. And I think we were in the, we were in something where they were doing a preview for Harry Potter and they were just, they had a t-shirt cannon. They were just like shooting t-shirts out into the crowd. And I got it. I'm like, what? I don't know what this is. And it was one of the, friggin' Gryffindor shirts. Yes. And I think I gave it away when we moved, and I, I had no idea. Have you looked it up on eBay since then? And you cried? No, I'm, I'm just going to spare myself that. It's probably a good idea. No, whoever has it now, I hope that they love it and enjoy <laughs> enjoy it for the right. item yeah. that it is. <laughs> but yeah, like back then, thinking about like organizing something of that size, like I don't think when people go to those things, they even really have a concept of like what it takes to put that on. Um, and it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot for just our small three-day film festival it takes a lot of manpower and hours and like lead up. And then for Comic-Con where there's like 130,000 people attending now, I can't even, I can't even imagine like just how much time and people, how many people it takes to pull all that off. You said 130,000. At, at San Diego Comic-Con. Wow. That's more than, that's like, way more than Neilstown for sure. Yeah, like five of Neil's town <laughs> or more. That's a lot. That's crazy. And even you just saying, watching the movies and reading the screenplays, that hurts me to like think about. That is a lot. Of, that is a lot of work because even though they're they're, I'm sure it's very cool and fun. Obviously, you're going to enjoy it. It is still you have to do it. You have to do it in a certain amount of time. So you're on a time restraint. You've got other things going on too. Mm-hmm. And that's just like a piece of the whole picture. Yeah. I mean, that's like, I mean, that's most of it. Like without films, we don't have a festival, but you know, we also have to um, have some kind of guest or entertainment because that's also, if we just show films, like we're just showing films, mm-hmm. you know, it's not super exciting it's fun because there are a lot most of the films that we show you're probably not going to see anywhere else unless the filmmaker puts them on their youtube channel yeah <clears throat> especially with short films you're not seeing a lot of those oscars going to short films <laughs> yeah and once yeah, they do the festival run they just kind of disappear a lot of times yeah and like they might show up on altar or dust or like one of those um conglomerate aggregation channels where they um license films to put them on put them on there and they're free to watch which is really cool but um the experience of for a filmmaker the experience of watching your film in a room with 300 other fans is has got to mean something i think i think it's from what i've seen 
of filmmakers who have attended our festival, um, getting to experience that, seeing your film on a big screen in a theater with a bunch of fans and like the, the reaction that they are having unsolicited because these people are not your friends or your family. They don't know you. They don't know that you made this film and they're just watching and giving honest reactions. Um, and then also being able to meet other filmmakers who are doing things in the same genre as you and not being like, Oh, nice little horror movie you made, you know, like, I see a lot of collaborations come out of people meeting each other at our film festival. So writers and filmmakers getting together to work on scripts and projects together. Filmmakers like, hey, you, the special effects that you did in your film was really cool. And like, oh, that's because I'm a special effects artist. Oh, can I get you to work on this with me? And like, mm -hmm. just that kind of um, environment of like inspiration and collaboration is really cool to see. And I think that it's important for filmmakers to experience that at least once. I'm not saying that you have to go to like every single film festival that your film gets accepted to, but like go to one, <laughs> try to go to one. It's a great no, it's, it is a, it, uh, I've had uh, some films and film festivals and it's a great experience going and not just watching your movie with people, but uh, interacting with other filmmakers and, and creative people. Uh, that's how I got involved to begin with. But yeah, it's a good time. And I would recommend that to anyone of, of any level. Yeah. Even if you are, even if you're not making anything. Yeah. Um, and not just go and watch stuff and then just uh, leave. Uh, st stay around and hang out with everybody. Yep. After party is a really great place to talk to people. And, um, and don't feel nervous about going up to someone and saying, hey, I really loved your movie. Because, like, who doesn't want to hear that from somebody? <laughs> yeah, I don't, you don't want to hear it. Man, that movie was a real waste of time you made. Right. right. So uh, we'll have the uh, link on, on the main website here on the YouTube page. And my light just fell over. Uh, hpfilmfestival.com and then it links to everything else. We'll also put up um, the one with all the cool t-shirts. Arkham Bazaar. So yeah, so, HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Yes. Amazing. Wen's amazing. Brian off to the side is also amazing. You have great people that help you out. I know you've got a lot of like a volunteer. We have amazing people. Yeah, really people that I've seen many times so it's like a good solid group of people it's very cool so it's great to have you here i'm happy to be able to give you the space to share about your about your stuff thank you and thank you so much for inviting me to come blab blabber at you 100 <laughs> percent. so we will um if you ever need to come back on want to come back on just let me know and i'll i'll, I'll be seeing you I definitely will. Thank you. <laughs> nice Bye. to meet you, Neil. Yeah, nice to meet you as well. And uh, so coming up, Mobile, Mobile, Alabama, and Portland, Oregon, Portland and then next first. year for Providence. Portland first, and that is October eighth, ninth weekend, sixth to the eighth. All right, and then it's always so it's always the first full weekend of October. Aha! And then Mobile is the first full weekend of November. Um, probably. We'll see. That, that date might shift a little bit, but right now it's the first full weekend of November. <laughs> but they can keep looking at social media to yes. find out more. Yes.
All right, Gwen. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you. All right. Uh, yeah, it's very cool. And check out uh, hpfilmfestival.com. HPLfilmfestival.com. Yeah. But I'll have the, we'll have the link right there. So you can just click it and it'll be like magic. You go right there. So, so um, speaking of independent films, did you yeah. want to talk about the Psycho Ape? Sure. Um, can we play a Diablo Joe uh, review? And I'm going to go get something yeah. to drink. I'll get something else myself, have a little snacky, and listen to Joe. Joe has amazing reviews, so that'll be fantastic. Right. So our our, our main uh, reviewers, Diablo Joe and Todd Yeager, do an excellent job. Very different styles, and I like that. And you can check out both of them. And uh, Joe, you doing the audio ones? Really, I like your reviews anyway. I think they're very well written, but the audio really adds to them for me. All right, we shall be right back. It's not playing. <laughs> Diablo Joe reviews. Hundreds of beavers. Every once in a while, a film comes along that stands so far apart from anything anyone is doing these days. Hundreds of Beavers is like nothing else you've seen recently. Yet, thanks to its glorious homages to Warner Brothers cartoons, the magnificent era of silent comedy cinema, and the whole of movie magic, it seems as familiar, warm, and comfortably welcome as a favorite flannel shirt if that flannel shirt could make you regularly laugh hard enough to pee yourself. The mad brainchild of director Mike Cheslick and writer Rylan Brixen Cole Twos, who also stars in the film as the Applejack distiller turned Great Lakes fur trapper Jean Kayak. Smitten with the local merchant's daughter, Kayak must prove himself worthy and wealthy enough to win her hand. But nature and the crafty and sometimes dangerous beasts of the wild confound our hero at every turn with a hilarious series of absurd and slapstick vignettes. Presented in glorious black and white using an incredibly inventive mix of live action, animation, practical and virtual props, miniatures, and a cavalcade of furry mascot outfits, Hundreds of Beavers uses every cinematic trick in the book to tell its tale of man versus beaver. The film is gag after gag after gag in seemingly inexhaustible supply. It is virtually dialogue-free, but far from silent. Like Chaplin's Modern Times, this is a comedy film of sound that expresses itself through everything but words. The cast are all masters of comedic timing, of the kind almost lost in cinema today. The supporting cast, Olivia Graves, Doug Mancheski, Louis Rico, and Wes Tank, are all spot on in their roles. Mancheski in particular is expressive beyond hilarity as the merchant. But it's Ryland Bricks and Cole Twos who is the real and cinematic hero of Hundreds of Beavers. As Kayak, the man is in every scene and almost every shot of the picture. As far as comedic performances go, his is a textbook in how it's done. Twos pratfalls, pantomimes, and mugs his way through the film in an exhaustive series of gags and stunts. The man gives it all and bears himself, literally, as Kayak trudging through very real snow, battling endless costumed opponents, and contorting himself into every shape humanly possible, it is a performance on par with the comedy greats of the silent era. Part of what makes Hundreds of Beavers such a wonder is that each shot of the film required a completely different approach. 
There are a few rare shots that are conventional actors on location slash set situation. But the rest combine fake trees, environments, fantastic camera shots, interactive animation, puppetry, and the endless multiplication of mascot-suited actors to fantastical effect. And seldom are two subsequent shots done entirely the same way. It must have been an insane production to pre-plan, and Cheslick uses it all seamlessly, masterfully, and hilariously to give us a PhD in cartoon physics. If there are two issues that you could level at hundreds of beavers, they are this. First, at just shy of an hour fifty, the film is perhaps overly long. While never dull or tedious, audiences may become aware of its length, partially because of the sheer, overwhelming stream of gags and pratfalls, with nary a classic cartoon routine left untouched, let alone hundreds of wholly original ones, everything but the kitchen sink is in here. And we double-checked. No kitchen sink to be found. Your average Looney Tune reel was six minutes, so Beavers gives you your money's worth, but perhaps too much so. The second complaint is a more selfish one. The lyrics to the opening song about kayaks, sung by a men's chorus, can be a bit of a struggle to understand, and some audience members may miss out on some truly funny lyrics. Cheslick and Twos have created something unique and fresh here, despite how familiar it may seem. Anyone, anyone who has ever enjoyed a Bugs Bunny or Woody Woodpecker cartoon, Chaplin or Keaton film, Monty Python sketch, or Pee Wee Herman episode, will find hundreds of beavers a twisted, inventive, body, and mind-bogglingly creative movie guaranteed to laugh stress your bladder to its limit. Those who don't enjoy it are why this world is a mess. This devil of a reviewer gives hundreds of beavers 4.5 out of 5 imps. here once again at without your head and for some reason you are i am nasty <laughs> neil and this is annabelle lecter mm-hmm. and here we are having had two really excellent guests a lot yeah. of chat wonderful thank thanks both to mike and gwen for joining us i will in in i i did notice and I'm sure other people are going to notice. I didn't know what to say. But I could see Gwen's pajamas twice. So in solidarity, I'm going to expose my pajamas, which oh, are really, okay. really, really lame and not not very animal electric. So I've tie dye shorts on that I actually the ones that I was sleeping. Can in you share we were... part of them? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't have a lot of room in here. I guess so. Yes. Thank you, sir. I feel good. I have a real crappy chair, like uh, Mike was saying, actually. I have just a little yeah, folding kind of chair. chair? Uh, just a little, fo- uh, like a really uncomfortable folding chair I sit on. Really? Dude, yeah. buy a chair. I do like that you don't have a back behind you to obscure your view. This is enormous. When I got this, I didn't think about being in, like, the Enterprise. Right. But it is very comfortable. Yeah. 
All right, I'm just gonna. Uh, I'm, I should have done this when we were doing this, but I'm gonna post that we're gonna be talking about LA right now. Yes, cycle A two. And this With reminds so many wonderful, me. Wonderful people. Yeah, I don't always talk about this, but because uh, sometimes I find it annoying if I'm watching something they say, but it does help if you uh, hit the like button. So hit the like button, subscribe, share this out with your friends. People will check it out, and we will appreciate that. So uh, momentarily here, we're going to talk about Psychoape 2 out in L.A. It was a great experience. It was amazing. It was, for me, because you've done some film things before, and I have done one thing, but it was only a, a little day. And Sirloin is present. Excellent. Sirloin, a.k.a. Todd Yeager, who has a, a fun cameo in the film that I haven't seen because it was closed set at that time. I'm very excited for Todd Yeager's uh, presence in this film. It's going to be interesting. I don't know if uh, uh, I don't know if Todd actually has the technology, but if he would ever want to join us here and talk about this, uh, I'll send him a link. I did see, and I also saw that picture of you and Bill with your cheesecakes. So, yes, Todd was just commenting off to the side that I saw part of him when he was outside to get some gear. What a good sport! He. Um, he came on set and had no idea what he was doing other than to bring some stuff. It was comical to be sitting at Greg's where everybody's like, you don't know what you're doing. It's like, no, I don't. He was so fine about it. Like, I really don't. All right. Yeah, it was a good time. All right. All right. So. So, yeah. So, um. So I have a very, very limited uh, uh, movie stuff, but interesting how this all came about because um, during the premiere of the Once in Future Smash out in uh, L.A., I had met uh, Greg Delisio, who I knew from the show, from uh, doing the movie Hectic Knife, which I'm a big fan of, and people should uh, seek that out. I know it's a little, I believe it's a little hard to find, and um, it's on TV. Oh, it is. Okay, very cool. TV. Yeah, Tubi's a great place. So I really recommend Hectic Knife. I actually have a copy of it here. Let me grab it real quick. So uh, what happened was I had seen um, a documentary by Nick Charles, and I knew uh, uh, B-Movie, I forget the name of it, something about B-Movie, and uh, he was the only person it who I didn't uh, really know about. And so I was really interested, so I sought out Hectic Knife and got him on the show. Boom. This is an autographed Hectic Knife uh, VHS tape. I just put the link to the Tubi in the comments over here. Oh, very cool. Yeah, yes. So we've got a Hectic Knife VHS tape. Mm -hmm. I did not watch it on VHS, but I have the VHS tape because I don't have a working VCR, but I do have this. Go cool. to Goodwill. Well, this is, oh, you mean, I thought you meant go give this to Goodwill. No. But no, I see what you're Some saying. Some lucky person, but. Yeah pretty sweet so a uh, hectic knife really cool movie i really loved it 
And then uh, then I saw uh, Psychoape, which I was also a big fan of. It played at the inaugural, possibly only, maybe I'll do another one, uh, um, Bloody Stumps Film Festival, which was, which, it, really that's how that came about, because Addison at the time was saying that he couldn't get uh, uh, at any festival, and so I really, I was doing the Severed Limbs, and I thought, well, why don't we do a feature uh, film festival, and it was really built around that, and two movies, around Psycho Ape and uh, Ninja Badass. So, which was really, I would still like to do it again, but it is a lot of work to show feature films virtually. But anyway, so did those. I really liked, um, really liked Greg. And then he was out at the premiere. So I talked to him there. He, re he really liked um, End Zone 2 and Once in Future Smash. And then when I came back, he wanted to talk about, you know, doing something together in the future. At the time, really, there wasn't, any one thing it was just do something which was cool and then uh psycho ape 2 came about which they had talked about uh previously but anyway it got together he asked if i would like to come on as producer and i was very excited about that and then very excited to get uh annabelle involved in psycho ape 2 as well i am very happy that they trusted you enough to allow me in their space because neither of them really know me yeah. at all so, you know, I just said I am helpful and I will do what you need me to do. And I did many things. So, all right. So I have fun with <laughs> Annabelle going places. And uh, so that's part of it. But also uh, doing Once in Future Smash, something I really realized uh, from that whole thing is that people trust me and um, respect me and I, I you know i even see feel weird saying that but i realize that they do and i also realize that that is valuable and i want to uh i want to protect that and so not only did i ask Annabelle to be you know to, to be involved just because we i knew we would have fun out there but i knew that you would be uh valuable to the to the project so i wouldn't just ask hey uh, I have fun with, you know, this idiot over here. Can they come out and be part of the movie? Uh, yeah, sure, whatever. And then they're just out there, you know, goofing off and be, being a moron. So it, I, I just <laughs> want you to, yeah. So I might oh, yeah. be a moron sometimes, but when oh, I'm there. Sure. Well, I think it's part of the, uh, part oh, of the movie. With you. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, so it all worked out. We had a great time. It was, uh, it was a lot of work and, uh, Every everyone involved in the movie on every level uh, really was there to uh, to make something fun and special. Yeah, it was kind of it's funny because it was really like a work trip because we didn't go. The only thing we went to outside of the cast and crew was to be around cast and crew. <laughs> yeah, the new Beverly, I think was the new Bedford, but then we were yeah. still cast and crew. And that was right, right. like, like team building activity. Which yeah, awesome. yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it's not like we took but... off and went to go to like museum of death or something like that. And that was fine. I loved it. I like to work. I really do. I like working hard. I like accomplishing tasks. And so, um, so it was interesting because it was a very different trip. Like there was the last day we were there. I barely saw you because I was driving, I, I was like the go-getter of things. So I was just in 
a car that wasn't even mine, which is still blows my mind. People just loaning out cars, just like making runs with people, going to Walmart, going doing the things. It was a work day. It wasn't like a yeah, no, good man. Neil was a good man. He like held the green room together. Yeah, it was not a fun day to be honest, but but it didn't matter. That you know, uh, not not making a movie isn't always all fun. Yeah, but the whole a, experience was. And, and, and as silly as it is, you that was needed. That needed to happen. We needed someone there. Oh yeah, you yeah, or else you so, know who knows? Yeah, yeah. You, we, so, we 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 oh, wouldn't have been in these plays, but exactly. So yes. So th- this was a much different experience than my previous uh, feature film experience. The once in feature, well, two once in feature smash and ends in. Although there was well, there is some similarities between this and the once in future smash smash in that they both were very hectic, and 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 and, sl- and slightly chaotic. But um, that was that was uh, more uh, once in future smash was more so because we were in a live environment with other people that we can't really control, and we also. A hat, you know, can't get in their way. And uh, Psycho Ape Two was a different, was a completely wild experience because there was a, it was very loosely scripted. It was more like ideas, and then let's figure out um, to pull how to pull them off. And also a lot of things that weren't that weren't planned at all, and then just came about very yeah. oddly. A lot, there are many things like that, which was. It was wild to be part of and, kind, you know, it was exciting. And uh, at first you don't even know if they're, if they, they're going to get pulled off and then you do. And then you watch some of them and you're like, oh, this is, this is funny stuff. And I understand there's like nine hours of footage that they're going to, you know, that Greg is now and going to condense and, and yeah. move around into a movie. And it's Greg and Addison's um, the co-person. Yeah. Yeah, Greg and Addison are uh, the writers, the creative guys. Uh, Greg's more of the director, and uh, Greg is the lighting. He's got a lot of hats, as happens with independent cinema. Yeah, Um, a lot of great people involved. Lo, I'm happy uh, you got to meet. I met Lo. I guess I've been on a few couple things because I met Lo on. I don't think we're supposed to say any movie, but Kansas Bowling's uh, new movie. It's um, I know the name, but it, it on IMDb. It's uh, it's an unnamed uh, true crime movie, is what it's called. But so I met her on that, and right away I got along with her. Right away, she's super cool, and into and right first as soon as I meet her, uh, she's shown me pictures of like of dead bodies and not real ones, dead she bodies made. and severed and severed parts that she made and that are in her uh, living quarters. Yeah. She's very enthusiastic. She's wicked. Nice. Her boyfriend was also there. I think they're not beyond boyfriend and girlfriend. They're in a relationship. Uh, Floyd, who was one of the people who played psycho Ape, because the first yeah. day I was there, it was Alex. Right. It was the majority of it. More majority of the movie is Floyd, but on the on the one day it was Alex. Yes. Should we start from? You got there before me. Right. So I oh. got there. So the Can first day. There? Can you what? like pop pictures up on the screen? Uh yeah. I'd have to too much pain in the ass. Stuff, so. Don't like be make it like burden yourself. But if it's easy, I think it'd be cool. Yeah. Well, I'll get. I'll grab some here. But um, so the first day, um. 
The well, the first day I got there, um, I met Addison that night. But before that, as soon as I got there, uh, I met Michael, so Michael Epstein, and Sophia Cassiola, and we went and we got uh, soul food in Inglewood, and uh, and we were asked if we were part of Metallica, if we were with Metallica, and I was like, yes, we are Metallica, but. Um, but but that so that was fun. But then uh, immediately we went and we did um, back to back commentary tracks, producer commentary tracks for the End Zone Two and the Once in Future Smash. I've never been part of a commentary track before. I've listened to many, and so I wasn't sure. I I didn't know. I I you know you just watch your movies and talk. You kind of start and stop. We just watched the two movies back to back and and recorded us talking. And from what I understand, there's going to be uh, the only editing is like um, just like to, to sync it up from the beginning and the end. But uh, so that was made me happy. But I think it went really well. Yeah, we just sat there and Rose and Rose the dog was uh, made a little bit of noise that Michael was not always so happy about. But uh, oh, but, she's but I think of- yeah, and I think it'll be cool that Rose is part of the commentary. Does she get a credit? She should. Yes. Yeah. So that went really well. And then I met Addison for the first time. Um, I met Greg before, like I said, but I had never met Addison before, and I uh, I didn't know Addison as well either. Yeah, um, I met him in person because we had him on. We had them on the show, of course, but it was your first time in the flesh. Yeah, and I was in a couple, uh, you know, some video meetings with the three of us, but uh, me, Addison, and Greg. But this is the first time meeting him in person, and uh, we had a uh, really spacious Airbnb. Mm. It had a giant room that had there was nothing in it. It was supposedly the uh, laundry room. The laundry room, but it was just a big empty room. <laughs> Addison already. <laughs> we Add- will get to this. Oh. The, the Addison is all is, cool. is this is uh, <laughs> I think of the whole the whole I this is the most befuddling <laughs> thing to him was was uh, popcorn for breakfast. I can't. I can't. I don't have any popcorn. I kind of want to get some. Maybe I can get some for breakfast tomorrow. It's a starch. So we uh, so met Addison. Uh, so the next day was the first day of shoot shooting. Um, and what did we do? We uh oh. So the first day that was what you were coming in the first. No, no. The no. first day was very was we started off with just some whack, some crazy, crazy stuff because. It came about that um, uh, Kansas's sister was uh, doing, um, she was performing at a slam poetry. And, ah, I wish I was there for all this. And so we could be part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say what was, what was the main event of that. We did not film it, but. But anyway, so I was never part of a slam poetry. So, you know, there was like some older people in the background watching. I think they like ran it. Then mostly younger people like doing uh, different performance art. By the way, this is. Uh, what? This is oh, New nice. Day. Uh, I usually fiddle with stuff while I'm doing the show. Um, so, yeah, there was poetry. Kansas' sister did poetry. A guy had a, a, a big uh penis paper that he kept unfolding and he did he was reading off his penis not as but it was weird and so they they let us do a uh a um 
poetry they just uh with psycho ape and uh dr zoomus and uh no dr zoomus wasn't there i don't believe uh psycho ape and um nancy banana and so we were kind of brainstorming what, how to do what to do exactly and it was funny because i kept thinking well we probably should know what exactly we're going to do and then it, we were getting close to time and then like well what are we going to do if we're actually part of this and then uh Originally, it was going to be like Psycho Ape reading to, Na to Nancy Banana. And then uh, Kansas came up with the idea to do a spoof of, uh, I don't know if I should give too much. I no. won't give too much weight movie. <laughs> but uh, so we it was an actual performance in this place. And uh, uh, hopefully my video came out okay because uh, Greg just had his camera. So he was filming uh, Nancy and I, and I was filming the the ape on my phone so hopefully it's usable on in the movie but so that started out just really uh, a strange uh thing going on and then it came up um that same night that we were going to be able to do something at the rainbow room which i had been to uh about 10 years ago the rainbow room and uh it's like a famous uh cr club uh it's um I, so it's about 10 years ago i went to the viper room which was actually kind of lame and then we went to the rainbow room which was like the cooler place and uh so we went to go in and immediately the uh the security were just like no no not going in here with a camera and then uh and so then the uh the manager came out eating he just came out eating uh an ice cream cone. It was like something out of a movie. Like he just walked around all the time with an ice cream cone. And he's like, nope. <laughs> and so we were just about ready to leave. And then, um, again, I can't give away everything, but someone comes out and he, they're just like, come on in. And then everyone changed. Everyone's smiling and letting us in. And I heard him say to to me when i asked him he was like money talks and so i don't know what happened but somehow we got into the rainbow room and we're allowed to film and uh it was a it was a really cool time and we we went like deep into the rainbow room i thought it was just this one place but we went into like secret chambers <laughs> it felt like upstairs like twice and then i saw a room out in the distance it was a small, like, little private room with people, and I saw them lighting fires. I have no idea what was going on in there. I'm sure it was all in the up and up, but uh, but, but it was a, it, it was a really wild time in the Rainbow Room. And a big thing's thumbs up to a sexy Bob who was uh, performing at the Rainbow Room. Oh, I envy your experience. Sounds very crazy, but I'm happy you had it. I'm happy everybody got a chance to have this wild, weird. Yes. Actually, I guess that and and the first actually when we first uh, the even before all that we did film. Uh, I forgot about this. There was a lot going on on that one day because we earlier that day we filmed um, the opening sequence, which is kind of a, like a Dark Knight parody, and some of the stuff. So I'm dressed as a clown. If you see if people have seen the, I'll grab some pictures, which I did notice. I actually have the. Uh, the clown nose still in my backpack. So I brought it home. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to steal the clown nose. Eef. We were saving uh, that nose for eternity. Oh, I can bring it back or send it to him. That was going to be one of the crowdfunding rewards, Neil. Yeah, well, it still it still can be. Still can. Be. 
And one thing I remember from this is one of the uh, actors is running down the street holding uh, like tons of bananas, and they're 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 you know some are falling, and and Greg's like driving down the street filming them, and and they had some extra bananas sitting on the bench, park bench, and a car pulled up. And a guy jumped out and stole two bunches of bananas, got back in the car and drove away. What? I don't remember hearing this. Yep. That's insane. Wow. Bold. Yeah. And it was like, and he had a car, so it wasn't like someone who really needed, you know what I'm saying? Like. Now, did that, well, maybe he stole the car. We don't know. (laughs) That's true. Maybe he stole the car and he's like, hell yeah, this is my day. I got this car and these bananas. (laughs) Did anybody get that on film? Uh, we thought, uh, is it Brian? What, um, Brian Hatz? Yeah, we thought he did, but he did not, unfortunately. Uh, well, he thought he did, too, but when he checked his stuff. Mind's eye. Yeah, so here's uh, Aww, me as the clown. Bill, <laughs> Bill a.k.a. Dr. Zunas, mm-hmm. and Kansas, a.k.a. Nancy Neil, do you have a character name for this I don't believe so. So if if there is a credit for this, I wonder. I think I'm just a henchman. Oh. So the original plan was we were all the henchmen were going to wear these uh, partial uh, uh, masks here, but we did not have enough. So then I became a clown. (laughs) Wait, wait. So where did this? They didn't originally intend to have a clown. They're just no, no. They just happened to have a clown. They had he had a big box of. of props, which you you might have saw at uh, at Greg's, yeah, and and it happened to have a clown suit in it, and so the, and I think Land Addison's like, oh, why don't you wear this? And so I be so originally, that, actually, I was just gonna wear the clown thing? nose over the over the mask oh. to set him apart a little bit, and then eventually I just put on the whole clown suit. And we did a we we also did a parody of Reservoir Reservoir Dogs where you walk slow mo where we're so that that group is the group of the Reservoir Dogs, and we actually did it in slow motion instead of filmed it in slow. We actually walked in slow motion. For so who are all these people? Talk about the people, the film, because everybody's going to watch the movie. These who folks here. People, who are they? I don't remember their name. <laughs> this is Floyd. This is Brian. I, we can't see you pointing to those. Uh, Floyd is the ape. Yes. Brian is the tall guy behind me, and then the the main dude in the front. Wait, I'm not Brian sure who Haas? Is. Not Brian Haas behind yeah. you. Doesn't yeah. he have a yeah. shaved dish head? Is that a wig? I think that's Brian. Oh, it might have been somebody else. It was it was another um one of the backers. Got it. And the guy in front of me also plays a cop later on in the movie. Oh. So, uh-huh. Here's me and Addison at the Rainbow Room. Oh, I like that Addison shirt. Is it green color? Yeah, tie-dye. Is it? Oh, sweet. Yeah. Wait, is Nancy Banana is upset in yours? Exactly. There's, I, there's two different versions. What? She's just shocked on mine, and she's all happy in, in uh, Addison. Wow. Are they both for sale? Yes. Oh. Both for sale. Oh. They uh, Not on Amazon, because Amazon said that they were offensive to, to mental illness, but they are on Tee Public. 
I wonder why they didn't want to let you in the rainbow room. <laughs> why well, we look cool? Yeah. They, they, oh, oh, yeah. It's like there's like Hollywood stars. Literally, <laughs> there were Hollywood stars literally there hanging out. Oh, yeah. Let's let these guys in. <laughs> <laughs> and there I am with like, oh. sexy Bob. Who sexy Bob rules. People? Sexy Bob's with the must cool mustache. Yeah. He was really good, honestly. I, I I have some of his performance on my phone, but you know I don't. Maybe want to put he it can here. be music of the month. Maybe he's really good. Pretty sweet. So that was a wild first day. Yeah, a lot going on. And then the second day was um, the day that you came in. So uh, early, so we went to the park, and we were filming a drone scene pretty awesome i'm so curious i love that he did that yeah it was pretty wild so they had uh i, don't, I can't give away a lot of the movie but the, we did a drone scene and i was uh i don't want to give away the movie but p part of the thing is i had to uh, i had to put a part of a costume on someone so it was and they had to so this was a long shot on camera so like so uh so the the uh the drones over us and at one point when we're at a site the other person had to run over to me like a pit stop and i had to place uh uh i had to place part of the costume on them and then he ran back into into the scene but it was very funny because we had to do it very quick mm. so, or else it would mess up the the because the, the idea was to get this all in one shot so it was very weird but it was fun. So this was when Michael and Sophia came out, and uh, it was a very hot day. I'll get some pictures here. It's like 100 every day. Yes, it was. And and there, was, there wasn't like a lot of shade where we were. Yeah, that's not like an exaggeration. It was 100 every day. Yes, yes. So, yeah, it was very, very hot. Uh, I'll grab some photos here. And, uh, and then... Uh, you so, had just missed something. I wish you would have been part of. Yeah. When did Jimmy get there? Because I, from what I am imagining, so in comes Jimmy from New York, who is a backer, I believe, lover of Psycho Ape, was like, "I'm gonna make a rap for your movie." And yeah, he like, he yeah, just okay. made that he just made that himself before you know it wasn't even for Psycho Ape too. He just made it for Psycho Ape. Oh, he just made it for the hell of it. Just, yeah. Very talented. So from what I saw, a cut of when that rap is performed, and it's wonderful. It's awesome. Oh, look at this. Nancy Vanessa. So what do, okay, so these girls, I saw them a couple times. What do they do? Uh, they, 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 they play ghosts because in the original movie, they're murdered. Nice. Oh, And so a little <laughs> trivia, that jacket that Michael is wearing is yeah. also in the Once in Future Smash. Oh. Does he wear it or does someone else wear it? He wears it. Mm -hmm. Very cool, very cool. Well, someone else. But, I mean, someone else he plays. But uh, it's hard to can. Oh, but, the being? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. So, uh, so, yeah, so Jimmy, who did the rap, Psycho Ape rap, which is amazing, and he came out, 
and we were doing basically like a, a rap video. So like, so we had to like, uh, he's rapping and everyone else is supposed to be like dancing in the background. So I'm, I'm poorly just kind of doing this. I'm so sad I wasn't there. And I barely, if I had not gone to Dunkin' Donuts, I would have done that. Yeah, you literally shut up right when it was over. But it was, so it was some wild times. It was good times, too. Jimmy was great. I was starting to, like, shake and feel like I was going to pass out. So Right. I went to that. I, no, no, I understand. Alas, it was not meant to be. I agree, Pepe. Uh, when will Psychwave 2 be released? Uh, I'm sure not for, for a little while. I mean, we just there, literally did the principal photography. Um, are they doing a festival run? I, um, that's something we have to talk to them off, but I believe they are. And if they are, there's a few things I'd like to, t uh, mention to them. About. I hope they will. I would, I would love to see it. Oh so, yeah. With people would be awesome. Yeah. Will they at least have a premiere? Or is that still TBD? I mean, they showed Psycho Ape at a couple festivals, and they and they play and, and they still show it actually at some theaters. So nice. I'm sure some. I would be, be very happy to be there with amazing people. Jimmy was awesome. Not only did Jimmy make a rap, but they gave him a role, and he was so good. He was great. So good. One of my little tasks I took on was that there was lines that he was repeating from a movie that got spoofed. Won't give it away. And uh, I wrote out all the lines, and then he rehearsed them. And he delivered. This is not an actor. He's a performer because he does music, right? He's, so he can do that. But he things don't always translate. So someone who does music is not necessarily going to be an actor and vice versa. But he was, my God, this movie is going to be so fucking funny. Yeah, there's so much just crazy stuff. Like, it isn't just, like, one scene, like, where I thought, oh, this will be funny. There's just multiple. And then I heard, you know, some of the stuff we didn't see is, like, even funnier. So. Mm -hmm. And it was very, uh, what do you call it, guerrilla filmmaking? Because we yes, were in, definitely. for Jimmy scene, it was like, we're in an alley hoping that a car doesn't come through, which they did once. It wasn't bad. I think it was just once. No stealing of bananas that time. No. Um, but it was uh, very impressive because it was so fucking hot. And that day with Jimmy and his role, Alex was Psycho 8. And that costume, like if people noticed in the in one of the first pictures Neil shared, is like Floyd in the Psycho 8 suit. And it's insane. Like you can imagine a gorilla costume. It's fur <laughs> and a plastic face so kudos to everyone and uh that one the first day i met i met floyd i asked him about that and he was like oh it'll be fine it you know i'm used to like the heat and stuff and uh after the very first shot he took the mask off and he was just drenched yeah he said uh he i think i mentioned it one of the last days and he said uh he's from louisiana so he was born to be sweaty and hot so it was like he was born for this role to be sweaty and hot he couldn't tolerate it so yeah um heather was there heather harlow so first day heather harlow alex i don't remember how to pronounce his last name Burn jimmy burner 
Alex, I, I, Alex is a cool guy, though. I forget this. Alex is a really good guy. He played another role. So he was mm-hmm. a eight briefly. And he played another amazing role as a henchman. And his line delivery was, I did not expect it. And it was amazing. Um, who else was there that day? Well, Bill was there that day. Bill Whedon is the That man. was the night we did wrestling. Yeah, I was pulling up When I thought photos. Bill Whedon was going to die. Because it was so hot. And not only was it hot, but this poor man, he's wearing the, the outfit. So he's got this thick button-down shirt with a, a vest, a pocketed like utility vest, pith helmet. His jeans had holes in it, but it was sweltering hot in that it time. It was very hot. And, hotter, uh, and a lot of people. Yeah, because the bodies kept coming in. The door would shut. It was it was bad. But it all ended up working out and it was very funny. What's the name of the guy that played the wrestler? I really liked him and his and his girlfriend. Yeah, I forget the name too, but he was great in it. He had a great shirt. It said uh swole for your initiative. Yeah. It was a D and D shirt. Like mm-hmm. I like your shirt, sir. There's the wrestling so event. Bill with the psychoape. This is there they are at the bottom. Oh, I wish I remembered their names. I'm not good with names. So we got we got Alex in the back in the red. Mm-hmm. Uh in like the tall, tall, tall guy in the red. Then Addison's in front of him with yellow. Heather's wearing the button-down nice shirt. Next to that, the two people in the bottom. I feel awful. I don't know their names. So Back up above Heather is uh, Mo is sticking out. Next to her in the red shirt is Greg. In the back with the black shirt with glasses is Brian. In front of that, see what Bill is wearing? Holy shit. Hot. Poor, he's got long hair. This poor dude. But look how happy he is. He was great. Mm-hmm. Then obviously Neil. And behind Neil is Sophia. Behind Sophia is Michael Epstein. Me. With my a tar- that's a terrible picture. And then that's Floyd with the white hat and Javier with the black hat. Mm-hmm. So here's, here's an old picture. Last time I was at the Rainbow Room. This time we met much cooler people. <laughs> oh my goodness. Who the hell is that? Chuck Zito. Chuck Zito? Yeah, he's like the leader of the Hell's Angels or something. Oh, no worries about that. No positive words. Polar seltzer. What? That sounds good. Jalapeno citrus margarita, small oh my batch. God. Have you had it yet? Mm-mm. Oh, sh- wow. damn, this is really good. Looks great. It doesn't have artificial sugar in it, does it? No, because it's seltzer. It's got no sweetener. No, yeah, no, none of that. Just mm-hmm. a little heat. Oh, boy, it's good. And that's a market basket? Um, It's polar. I'm not sure where I got it. Great show tonight, all. Have a good one. Thank you, Y. That's uh, Tara. Tara Hutchison. Oh, thank you, Tara. She, uh, she texted me earlier. She said, uh, what did she say? She said, Annabelle looks beautiful. 
she's sweet. Thank yeah. you. And she said my street trash shirt was rad. Uh, yeah. Interestingly enough, the very first time Tara was on the show years ago, she talked a lot about street trash. She'd just seen it and it was like her uh, fa her favorite movie at the time. Easy. No alcohol. No. All okay. it is just like a, a seltzer water company. Right, right. I guess technically they could because they have hard seltzer now. Right. So. But the other says not. No. So yeah. here is uh, from that day you were mentioned. I know. I think I have more. I think a lot of the Jimmy pictures are on his page. Jimmy's in there. Yeah, he. Oh, yeah, he's in the back there. Yeah, you can tell because mm -hmm. he's got a giant banana onesie thing on. Which I guess you can't really tell because he got shorts over it. Yeah. But, yep, so Alex and the ape. Neil helping out. Greg dealing with camera. <laughs> That's Adam a funny photo, really. And Jimmy in the yellow. Yeah. Neil and his banana thon ensemble. Yeah. So the next day, I believe, is when Todd showed up. Was it? What else did we do that day? I feel uh, like that well, was. Well, I'm talking about uh, that. This was the day, first day you showed up. The banana, the one you just showed was not the day I showed up. No, but you'd mentioned him, so I thought I'd just pop got up it. the photo. Kind of got it. I don't know. They all, it. Uh, it started to run together because we did so much stuff. We did do a lot of stuff. A lot of coffee runs. <laughs> I think, yeah, yeah, because the next photos are with Todd. So um, we it must have, yeah, we did the Todd and Alok came out. Yes. And Todd came out. We, we met yeah. and then we went back and they did the Todd scene, which we didn't really see. The coffee runs always took a long time. Although that coffee run, we didn't know. Oh, my goodness. Todd with the glorious beard. Is this going to make you booted from somewhere? Are you going to be are you going to be uh, canceled on some place? Nah, I mean, who? Know? I want to say no, but you never know with the new with the very nebulous rules. Yeah. Did you see what I shared on Facebook before we went on? No. Oh my God. We'll keep talking about this as I pull it up because it's ridiculous. It makes me mad. So we let's see. So we had that morning, we had coffee run, met up with Todd. Todd's wonderful. Oh, I need my CDs. Todd, if you're there, I don't have the CDs and DVD yet because Neil had them packed in his like uh hard case yeah. suitcase that got checked so it didn't get squashed so when we meet again which will be very soon then uh oh what's going on am i frozen what oh i'm not frozen but my my mouse died oh um yes then i will get all that and it will be wonderful um Todd, Todd didn't know what the hell he was doing because <laughs> no one told him. Well, that's kind of how the show, you know, the movies are made. Yeah. Alex but Bernard. Like, no one really knew because Bill wrote the scene. Right. That was my understanding is that Bill wrote the scene and 
so it was kind of like yeah i didn't i mean if you just you folks just saw the picture Todd didn't know that was he had an idea but he didn't know exactly and it and that picture implies there is no um it's not a porn <laughs> but there was some uh i don't know how would would you call it sexualized content for what for what what for their moments together i guess yeah technically but funny um i am amused there was much laughter coming in from the closed set area uh todd came out of this experience um concerned that he because he didn't really quite know what to do like did he go too far uh he was he was a, a good guy bill god bless you bill for <laughs> incorporating such strangeness into this film um there was a few other stuff there was oh we had to get uh we went to the store to get supplies like myself heather and neil went to get uh what ice cream stuff no that was addison we got stuff because they needed um there is another nudity moment that required uh, food ingredients. It was a lot of running around and a lot of things going on at once. And it was chaotic and beautiful. I loved it. <laughs> so when we were, um, you know, when we kind of had downtime, we'd be, Greg has like his small apartment. And then outside of that is like an outside area with some couches and seats and whatnot. And so that was kind of like the green room at Greg's. Aha, Dave Deadman has a post for you. Oh, Todd saying he told that he told me a few things. All right, so he says, evil laugh. It will make things better for me. Which I don't know when you said that, Todd, the next one. So not sure which part you were referencing at the time. And that he told you a few, few things, but didn't know the whole scenario. Yeah. Um, a side yeah. note, really good street tacos at the uh, the taco truck yeah, by Greg's. I wish I had one of those around me. Yeah, really, really good food. It was just a cool environment. Like, there were so many cool, interesting people. There was, um, I don't remember which day it was. There was a, a guy outside who was going to play a newscaster. There was, like, multiple newscasters. There's people, different people, different places, different times. Uh, yeah, was, a cool uh, friend of... Um... Of Bills from college. Yeah, Phil was wonderful. Like, he's done some pretty major stuff. Like, he's an actor for ages. He's an older man. I'm not sure how old he is, but he's been around for a while. He's had quite a career. Um, the thing that comes to mind is a voice in Toy Story. I don't know who he voiced, but that's kind of a big thing. Um, other Bill played one of the other henchmen. I don't know. Do you have it? Do you, are you going to like, if you throw up a picture, uh, I'd have to photos, download all these photos to do this. I mean, you have to do every of, one. Yeah. And I don't have all of them handy or anything either. Yeah. Well, it was great. Bill was wonderful. His wife, Dolores was there wonderful wonderful kind person they are an adorable couple that are clearly so in love um got to see michael st michael's 
Yeah. And AJ, which was great. I didn't know if I would be able to see them on this trip because like I was saying, it was basically a work trip. You know, there wasn't time to visit with people and there were plenty of people we could have visited. It just wasn't possible. Um, we had like an hour that we scooted out because of the interviews that Michael uh, Epstein and Sophia were conducting. Sophia Cacciola. She say Cacciola or Cac how did she say it? I say Cassiola, but I'm not sure. Here was uh... Uh, AJ at the front, myself, Michael, St. Michael's, Nelio, Dolores, and Sophia. Very cool photo. Yeah. Very good, nice time. Yeah. It was really nice. It was brief, but it was really nice. Got a lot of food. Oh, we went to the theater. We went to the. Um... What's his the face? New Bev. The director's theater. That the guy. No. Quentin Tarantino, the new Beverly. Theater. It's funny because like Neil and I go to these older theaters in the area and they're like from I love that picture. So me, obviously, Neil, obviously, if you guys don't know yet, it's Addison with Jack Asher. Behind him is Heather and Alex to the way back. Um it was great. <laughs> so, Real, uh what uh, when we came back to in between movies and uh alex and addison were coming back and i didn't see addison just said alex and i was like oh uh someone's sitting there but i was like oh wait never mind it's you <laughs> good looking out though yeah i didn't want someone okay. to take our seats you know <laughs> yeah um oh yeah so when we go to older places i think most people when they think of an older theater they think about like these epic Romo, Roman Greco, you know, there's murals on the ceiling and everything's very ornate and operatic. And Which your Coolidge is kind of like that. Yeah, the absolutely. Coolidge is, 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 oh, yeah, it's got the yeah, giant yeah. murals and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, Somerville Theater's like that. Bramble is kind of like that. It's because it's got the stage and the curtains. It's not as glorious. Right, as Bramble, right. Still, but this theater, the new Bab is like the 80s <laughs> it's an 80s theater and for those of you who were not around in the 80s it's very fucking boring <laughs> it's just basic seats which weren't terribly uncomfortable ghost dog i don't know if it's not ghost dog no Maybe. it was play. it was playing that was on the marquee of the picture there in the background no i don't know if i have seen right, ghost right. Dog, like at all yeah. in my life apparently i need to like you did um so the seats were fine the stage is fine but the walls you know they're these like very 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 tall walls there are all these very ugly giant panels of fabric of very bland navy blue very bland maroon it is so ugly and it's very funny to me that that's the theater that he chose to preserve in that condition but he did yeah it must mean a lot to him and it's cool Absolutely. it's uh, it's cool that 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 he did that yes and it probably is one of the only only theaters that has preserved the 80s so right, it is right. it is funny um mm -hmm. and it is pretty cool because that is history you know the 80s is old now the 80s is 40 years old 
So, what else is going on? Mm, yeah, was, uh, uh, I was trying to find some of the photos. I, 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 I thought I organized all. Oh, here's one I was looking for. Just give me a second. Yeah. But we met so many cool people. If you guys asked if I was worried, whoops. If you guys were asked if I was worried during the scene, would be bad for my reputation. Remember, I was a classic in a classic adult film. Mm. Let's be Todd. Will make things better for me overall. Well, this is uh, not necessarily the rap photo, but it's nice that uh, it, yeah. you know a bunch of us here. Yeah. So at the front. Addison and Todd, me. After me is this lovely person, Phil, who is a voice actor. He was a news commentator, apparently funny as hell. They said mm -hmm. he was just, and it sounds like they really did luck out with people who were just spontaneously capable of being fun. Um, after Phil, Alex, then Greg, then Javier, and then starting at the end, Neil, Heather, Dolores, Phil, and Todd will I'm will be shocked if he doesn't say in the comments about eating his chicken fingers with a fork. Because he is very much aware that that is bizarre. And I guess he's been picked on for eating his chicken fingers with a fork. Really? Yeah. He just wants to have clean hands. And I, I think that's respectable. Yeah. I did yeah. not any I did not know that he did that, nor did I know that anyone would give him a hard time for it. Apparently so. Uh, the oh, do you have, we do we have a picture of the door in the Airbnb, the one that was covered with foam panels? No, we did not. We should have taken I, a picture. I of do that. have a picture of it, but I, I don't know. If it oh would be. no, I, I do not. Because yeah. I took pictures of when Greg was trying to figure out like where was this particular set of scenes going to happen. I said just use the Airbnb. It's big. <laughs> There's multiple rooms, so I took pictures all throughout right. the and one of them was so there was it was an okay place and not the world's most fantastic neighborhood which is fine and you get inside and there's this huge room that neil was mentioning before that could have been a, a laundry room or a something room there was a closet with padlock on it there was like a broken rack to like hang clothes and nothing else you go in the door and there's like a kitchen, which is fine, but there's no stove. It's just one hot plate. Bathroom is fine, but there's no toiletries or normal towels. Um, yeah, but the weirdest thing, so it's basically fine. The weirdest thing is that when you go into the main room, there's like a little dining area, the futon, which I use, and then a bed just to make it so it's a three bed place. So Neil had that behind the futon was where the front door should be, but the futon blocked his path. I don't know why they didn't want to give the world access to the front door, but they didn't because it's not just that the futon blocks it off. It's that it was physically rendered incapable of being opened with those yeah, it was like these... big of foam sound. I've seen them up. A lot of podcasters use them to soundproof their room. Yeah, it's 
so weird. But I covered it up, and it looked great in the film. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't even know. <laughs> but very bizarre. It's very bizarre. Oh, Paul Carey is here. Really cool guy. Yeah, he was really nice. He's done a lot of things. Yeah, he's been in a ton so of much stuff. stuff. Yeah. Very cool dude. Addison's awesome. <laughs> Giant smile. Mm-hmm. Alex and Lo cutie so many good people just a great experience oh i just um went to my page to see and we ate popcorn uh, for breakfast is that he did that was something that was going to come up so every time neil and i travel and have like an airbnb or whatever wherever we go if we're going to be there for any bit of time we'll usually find a store and buy oh <laughs> We'll usually buy fruit because we both love fruit. And then we start the morning. We can at least have a piece of fruit and maybe fruit snack. Cool. We also got popcorn. And, you know, we had to start our day. We weren't going to be able to go out to big breakfast. And we didn't really have time to stop and get bagels or stuff like that. Because we're just going to be go, go, go. So we would eat fruit. And I would make a bag of popcorn that we would share. And I guess... Addison doesn't approve, I guess. <laughs> I think he's just befuddled. I I think if we could get Addison Art. some uh, breakfast popcorn, he, he would uh, change it's his mind. It's the same as toast. It's a starch with butter. I think he liked the. He was not a big fruit guy, but I, I think he know. liked the fruit salad. So. I think he's been converted to the fruits with my mm -hmm. final, final day fruit salad. So Addison had posted a couple hours ago that Alex Bernhardt sacrificed his ankles to about 100 mosquitoes while filming Psycho 82 last week. So I hope people appreciate his efforts on the set and in the movie. I know I did. Brian Haas commented, who knew his ankles were so succulent? <laughs> hey, that, see, that's a good look at the bright side. Yeah, Alex's succulent ankles. Mm -hmm. Yay, Floyd! There's Floyd. Floyd -yo. Hmm. There oh, we are with Addison. Yeah, that was the last Ad day. Addison prompted, uh, "Are we allowed to give away what we're doing? Will we get in trouble? Will he get in trouble?" Are we stealing we a move that is like somehow copyrighted? Oh, oh, oh. He accused of dark deeds? No, I think it'd be all right. That's okay. his uh his Lloyd Kaufman pose. So we all did it. Yeah. Cuz why not? Mhm. Mm I think it works. I hope I hope he doesn't think now we're stealing his move that he stole. No, he told us to do it. We're all in it together. And there we are with Greg. Oh, I've got the don't. Oh, you can't see it really well. The home door. Oh well. What was I going in here for? I went in here for a reason. Now I don't even know what it was anymore. Oh, that's an awful picture. Hmm. Why did I go into these pictures? Oh, do you have a? Uh, I don't know what pictures you're posting right now. There's a really good picture of you and Bill that I. I'm happy that I got. Let me find it here. 
let me see. Here we go. I'm going to send it in the chat. I think it should work. In the Facebook chat or? Facebook, where you can get the pictures. Well, that's what I was thinking because they wouldn't work on over here. I don't think. Oh, uh, oh that's not the right picture. Don't use that one. I'll send the right picture right now. All right. You're good. Why is it not let me? There we go. Do you picture pages? Picture pages. Time to get your picture pages. Time to get your crayons and your pencils. Here we go. Yes. Boom. <laughs> That's a good photo. I think it is. Bill looks like he's completely nude. Oh, it was one night. I posted one of me and Bill like that. And then uh, Facebook immediately wanted to take it down. Oh, I posted that picture of you where you're is like the. It, so there's a day where Neil is helping with the camera. And we're outside. And there's one picture I took where it's like an action pose from behind. And Neil's like help in position the like uh not uh, like the whatever pod because it's like two tripods and so it's a long shot behind the camera and as soon as i posted it boom restricted and i'm like what the fuck am i restricted for and the only thing i can think of there's nothing else in the picture is that neil's you don't see anything there's clothing uh, but Neil's ass is out because he's bent down to help. And uh, that's Neil's ass broke the internet. I think we're back to you know what uh what Dave Deadman was saying earlier. Which thing about Neil's sexiness? Exactly. Boom. So I took this picture, I sent you a new one. And so one night we were all like the core people were all at Greg's. And Greg was working on the script and setting everything up. And it was really cute because, first of all, he typed with one finger, like Bishop does the knife around the guy's fingers. It's just like, blah, 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 blah. Like, I can't even do this. Just not even trying to write things out as fast. It's just insane. And every once in a while, he'd like laugh about whatever he was writing. And so I'm sitting on this chair next to him. And then I, like, it's pretty late. So, Jared, the if you share the first picture, I just thought this was so funny because he's so in the zone. He also, he doesn't sit in a chair. He's on his knees. And I took this picture because you can see like Heather is just passed out on the bed. And then I got another picture because it's not, it's not just Heather passed out on the bed. There's a, there's a little bit of downtime late in this, this evening. Give me a sec. Yeah. I just found it super funny. I was paying a total attention. <laughs> he was so in the zone. I don't think he had any idea what was going on around him at all, which is fine. And I found it very charming. 
It was very funny. Oh, his dog Matthew is wonderful. It's a collie. Yeah. And Matthew lets the world know what's going on. He's a, he's a chatty dog, but he's super friendly and also very endearing. Matthew was great. Matthew had this really interesting behavior that I didn't understand. So as I was sitting next to Greg, um, his dog came over. He was a big dog. And it starts like at his ankle. And I'm like, and Greg's not moving. There's no budging. There's no flinching. There's no nothing. And I was like, okay, this must happen. So he's like digging out his heel. And then he's like, like a little, like nip, like little not bite nips. And I was just in my mind, like, that's really strange. <laughs> what the hell is happening? But I guess this is normal. And uh, Matthew was a great dog, but he was not like affectionate. Mm hmm. You know, he wasn't like gonna sit there and really spend a no, lot of time. He, really, if he starts doing that, he just he'd like to run away. Yeah, he just like move on. He was mm -hmm. he was moving around doing his thing. And then I it was one of the last nights. We were all there. I was sitting on the floor and kind of there was a tennis ball. I was kind of doing some like toss to him, and Neil was kind of doing it. And then Matthew came over, started scratching my leg and nibbling, and I felt so proud of myself. <laughs> felt really good about myself that I was yeah. because you were one of the pack. I was really happy. Did we get, yeah, I got a picture of Mr. Watermelon. Yeah. Do you want to share it all about Mr. Watermelon? Um, I don't know where the photo is. I know I sent him to you. I took a bunch of photos. Uh, I don't know where they are, but yeah, Mr. Watermelon, a great cat. An old cat. Old cat, but very friendly. Yeah. It was just this, you know, when I got there, Neil had probably already seen this cat. But it was a scrawny ass. So there's a, a there's a street, the house out front, there's like a path that goes to the back, a house out front, another house, and then Greg's space. And in between these houses is just this scrawny, scrawny, otherwise healthy looking orange cat. And he was... You know, he'd meow and you could pet him and learn that his name is Mr. Watermelon. I guess he's super ancient. And uh, I don't understand that name for a cat. I don't know either. But maybe, maybe there's some story behind it. There has to be. There yeah. has to be. You can't just be naming. Like, I, I know some people name their pets like cinnamon or something like that. That's like a sweet Mr. Water, and he's so not a watermelon. Like maybe if it was a fat cat, you could call it Mr. Watermelon. Maybe that's why it's supposed to be ironic. I don't know. What else happens? I'm oh, looking at pictures. pictures. Studio day. I felt bad about. I didn't mind, but I felt bad that you didn't get to go into the studio. But oh, that's right. Strict policy. Yeah. So we didn't know. No one knew until we were there. Not only could there be in this studio, this professional studio area, not only could it be like 10 people in on the set itself, there couldn't be 10 people in the building itself. It couldn't be 10 people in, in the area past the gate. So like the gate opens and 10 people could go in and that was it. So it, there were no people just there to be there. 
there's no like I'm going to be the casual observer. There was none of that. So, but it was it was still cool. It was successful. Good time was had by all. Yay, Mr. Water. Yeah, I love the cat. Uh, my neighbor actually replied on the um, on uh, when I posted the picture. I don't know where it is because I posted the picture because she replied to it, and she said, "Oh, I thought Gus uh, followed you out to uh, to LA from it." <laughs> Gus is the cat that uh, gets it in my basement. Yes, not in a long time actually. Yeah, he just changed his. Oh, I, now I found it. Yeah, it was down here. Um. Killed to death. I yes, I think that's a good idea, Todd. We should perform killed to death. Yes. I got one picture in here that I just sent that maybe I'm not sure how much else, but I think this is a good one because it shows. Um, I, they said we can show whatever pictures, and it shows like a very crucial scene, a very interesting and good scene that happened at the uh, Airbnb with Heather in her villainous role. Um, it's, I think, a really good picture of Greg with the camera. Lo is there. There we are. So the dude, shirtless dude with the sunglasses is Other Bill which is probably not a flattering name, but he seems to have a sense of humor, so I don't think he'll mind. Other Bill. Um, really good. I enjoyed talking with Other Bill. He was very chill. Very chill Other Bill. Um, God, they were funny. These three people together, I didn't know what to expect at all. I didn't know any of them. Fucking funny. Heather did amazing. They all did amazing. I was really excited to see. Anytime I got to see someone perform, I was very, very impressed with everyone. Bill. Yeah, Bill wrote a rap. Yeah. Bill wrote a rap. Yeah, and it was awesome. It was so good. He's a very interesting man. Part of the time we were, like, the hour we were visiting, uh, it was, like, I would say we were visiting Michael and Bill, but we were seeing Bill like the whole weekend. So we were seeing Michael rep, uh, Michael St. Michael's, AJ. We didn't see them otherwise. But as we were, like, I was sitting next to Michael St. Michael's on, a, on like a little couch and we could see into the room where they were interviewing Bill. And that was very interesting. And then the morning that Neil and I were leaving, there was a bigger interview with Bill. And that was so fascinating. What an interesting life story. Um, I don't know when they're going to publish that, but really, really interesting guy. Interesting life has done a lot. So we'll definitely let people know when that's out there. It was really good. You were in the interview. It was you and Michael. Were you both going at the same time? Michael Epstein for that? No, it was, it was mostly me, but Michael, uh, Michael added a couple things. But I'm really, uh, yeah, that was great. We did a, I'm calling it life and legacy interview with uh, Bill Whedon. I don't know what we're going to call it eventually, but it was his, uh, from childhood through his, um, type of getting sober, his first wife, Dolores, um, theater, stuttering, uh, his films and, and what he would want his legacy to be. 
it was it was really a uh, really great interview. Very very interesting. I got Neil's uh, broken internet picture. Now, uh, just I just gotta put a warning out there to um, Dave Deadman. You know, prepare <laughs> yourself. You're gonna get a pretty excited here momentarily. Boom. Yeah, this uh, this apparently. Yep, that shut me down for mm -hmm. 24 hours. They're like, no, inappropriate. You posted something inappropriate. Okay. Such a rebel over here. No. Then there's some really good pictures of Neil and I. But if you want to see more pictures, you can go to. Uh, I've kind of like fell apart about my album. Uh, because it got very overwhelming and then I had to start work and I've just been like, ah. but Neil has a bajillion pictures up Um, because I didn't, my phone kind of sucks. So I took a lot of pictures with Neil's camera. Neil got stuff before I was there in the day of when I wasn't there. A lot of good stuff. Really? Yeah. Really good. I'm glad we uh, captured a lot of stuff because sometimes, you know, we don't. It's true. And no one else was taking pictures. No, I, I yeah. Uh, the other Bill did, but he wasn't there all the time. No, he didn't. Half the time he was there, he was like had a beautiful camera. Well, that's why I assumed he was taking pictures because he had a fancy camera. It was really weird. Sorry, other Bill, but yes. So you hopefully know this crowd by now. Neil, me, Heather, Alex, uh, Sophia. Michael, Addison, Greg, Dolores, Bill. And then I do have a picture of Matthew. Oh, you do? I do. I put it in there. There's some blurry pictures, but this one is actually not too bad. Because Bill, uh, Bill. Uh, Matthew is a dog on the moon. But this one picture is not too bad. Well, this was oh, when I was playing tug of war with him. Ah, not at this moment, but ah, that came out so nice. Yeah, that's probably one of our best photos, I think. Yeah, it's really good. I really like it. There he is, Matthew. Yeah. Oh, I think that was our last night there. Yeah, it was. I miss everybody. I miss Addison and Greg and Matthew and uh, the whole gang and Mr. Uh, Mr. Watermelon, everyone involved. It was a really good time. Really Todd, was. yeah. Todd. Bill, of course. Bill Whedon said to me, you, Todd Yeager, rapidly becoming one of my favorite people on this planet. I will forever love that guy. Aw. It's a good combo. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad they know each other. Bringing people together. I will do films for eternity. It's honestly, I got done with that experience and I was like, this is why I will keep this job. <laughs> to make money to help make people's movies. Or maybe someday make my own movie. But amazing time. If you ever get a chance to volunteer, if you're if you have if you are up for working hard, following directions, and just being a team player, find local films that you might be able to volunteer for. 
even if you do something small. Like I was really just doing errands for the most part and I loved it. Um, I don't know if that's everybody's cup of tea to like just do the things. It was great. And we had a lot of Little Caesars pizza, which was actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm kind of a pizza snob, but I thought it was fine. I thought it was better than a lot of other pizza places that I'm not big on, but yeah. Yeah. Hot and ready. My God. Huh? Yeah. No, it was an amazing time, and I can't wait to see the movie, and there's still some post-production stuff, so that'll be exciting. It was hilarious, too. Like, I mentioned work because I enjoy the work, but it was Mm -hmm. so, it really was. I wish I could tell more exciting hilarious stories it was you it will be captured in the movie oh yeah you will be able to tell how much fun people had there's no way that won't come through there's just no way um i'm really excited to see how it gets all put together and what this final product nine hours is crazy but greg is a committed man he will sit there typing with one finger on his knees and get that shit taken care of yeah, I don't know how long it took him to, uh, to, or how much footage they had on the last one. So, but uh, here is from the um, the uh, interview yeah. with the. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, he's got Bill's got some amazing earrings, and he got his ear pierced for. Yeah. Psych- that was the last. That was the day when we weren't there, when they were out and about in Hollywood. Oh my goodness. That would have been a fun day, I have to say. I'm glad, you know, everything worked out fine, but that would have been a really fun day to be warning out. Although I heard it was a little stressful. So maybe, maybe not. Maybe we lucked out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but right. I was happy to be there. I can't say it enough, but I'm sure the audience is like you said it enough. Yeah, I wish uh wish it um wish we could have been there for the last two days, but it was uh I also needed to be at the um genre blast mm-hmm. so um where you won an award yeah so sophia Cassiola won um uh cinematography for end zone two which is very cool and we took home the final award of the night which is the forever award it's a final it's the last award they give out what is this forever award it it embodies the spirit of genre blast of independent film, and that was for the Once and Future Smash. Very nice. The Once and the both of these films are doing really well. Yeah, really well. I feel like every time you go, it's played at a festival, it gets an award. Maybe yeah, it's very exciting. Thing, but that's kind of the vibe that I'm yeah. getting. So I've got my little bits. I got I got two here for Umbilicus Desidero, and then um, two for uh, Smash. There's other awards, but they're at the Michael and Sophia's. But uh, that was very cool if they let me have that one. There are, you know, there are awards, so how you split them up. Yeah, I mean, you were a part of it. You know, yeah. it's not like they just gave it to you. Just oh just no, no, yeah. You, like, no, no. We're a contributor. Right, right. Many, many, many ways. Many. What did you do? You produced, writer, uh, talent, person. Bringing in the talent. Yes. You. That's probably acted. part of the producer, I guess. But yeah. But these are things. I mean, the producer role is so vague. Yeah, I don't know what people really even know what that means. 
No one does. A lot of people think it's just someone who puts money into something, which is that's good that too. Obviously, that's the thing is that sometimes it is what the producer does. Producers take on different roles, so saying someone's a producer is not. I don't think it gives producers the credit for what they actually are doing. Like you did a lot, so it's not just a here you go, here's your award. Oh no, 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 but no, I'm just ha I'm happy that it's here though. It's very yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. And uh, shout it's out to Melisha uh, uh, Alsup. She sent me this. It's very That's cool. very cool. So what is that? Like a Rubik's Cube one? Yeah. Or... It's a, uh, she said it actually works, but I, I can't get it to work, I don't think. Oh. Hmm. Maybe I said, I, awesome. I, I, I don't know. But it's very cool. It's very heavy. That's awesome. I like having something like that that has a weight to it. So Yeah. She's in Virginia too, but apparently wow. everyone in Virginia are very far away from uh, where John was. Virginia's big. Yeah. Really big. It's beautiful. I don't know if you got to see how beautiful it is there. Uh, no, we didn't see a lot. We flew into Dulles, uh, which is in Washington D.C., and then uh, it was what? a it was a very strange uh, get in the car. Yeah. Uh, they kept telling us the wrong place, and then. We kept taking the wrong car, and then, and then, but we did stop at a really cool um, diner. It was a farm-to-table diner. Nice. And uh, the food there was great. We stopped there because they also had a lot of um, vegan stuff. So, and I thought it was cool because it actually listed the farms of where all the chickens and the and the uh, eggs came from, and where the turkey and where the bee, everything. It listed it where all the stuff actually came from, which was cool. Yeah. Oh, you just reminded me that uh, genre blast that you guys had food products on their menu. Yes, amazing! It was perfect. Yeah, that was crazy. So we had, and I tried them both. So we, I had the end zone wings, which I loved. They were, um, they had two different. You could give them two different ways. So you can get them uh, buffalo or mm -hmm. sweet something or other sauce, which I actually thought might even be better. It was like kind of a sweet chili, like a Thai sweet chili sauce. And, and then they also had the- Not wings though, because they were- No, the cauliflower, cauliflower, because they kept them vegan. And then the other one was um, the once in future burger. Why they didn't use smash? I'm not sure, but uh, but uh, that was a, uh, I don't know if it's impossible or beyond. I'm not sure which one, but it's one of those, um, both of them were very good. Mm -hmm. I, I ate a lot of cauliflower while I was there. That buffalo uh, cauliflower is amazing. Yeah, it's great. Are, uh, it's making my mouth water. I want to learn how to make it. I would yeah. actually, I don't do a lot of cooking in my home because I live like a bachelor male, but I might make that. Yes, I, I love it. It's very sad. It's not, it's not a good place. Yeah, I tried to make it before, but I was trying to make it even healthier. So I was trying to just broil the cauliflower and it doesn't quite work. So I'll have to figure out. I do have an air fryer that my brother bought me, but I haven't set it up yet. So I need to set up that up and maybe I can. Make... Have you used air fryers at all? No. You know, set it up. You are going to be so happy. My my family, my my mom, she has one. You cook a steak and it comes out good. Really good. She cooks all kinds of stuff in there. It's amazing. So, cooked a whole chicken in it the other day. Amazing. So I hope you do it. 
You won't regret it. So a lot of cool people at uh, Genre Blast. Rakefit, who we'd mentioned, was there. Um, John Hale, I'd known him on Facebook. First time meeting him. Uh, my first time meeting Lisa Ovi's former guest on the show. She's very cool. And um, and also first time meeting uh, Jay Buterin, who is here in the front, who had a very cool, uh, you can't quite see it, but he's wearing a really cool kilt, which made me kind of, I was like, man, I should start wearing a kilt again. I, yes, I give good fashion advice. Utility kilt. Utilikilt. 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 So we got Brian W. Smith, uh, writer of Endzone 2 over here. Good, great guy. We, we'll try to get him on the show here. I forget what that shirt is. It's not Def Leppard. It's made to look like Def. Oh, it's uh, De Palma. It's like a Brian De Palma. <laughs> but... That's awesome. That's pretty awesome. Uh, we didn't plan this, but me and Aaron were wearing the same shirt. Aaron Barocas. Uh, Jay Buterin, who received the um, Hall of Fame, oh, John uh, Blast Hall of Fame, when we were there, that was cool. I like this guy's vibe. How do you spell his name? I don't know if he's my person, but uh, I would, I would it's Jason, him. but instead it's J A Y S E N. Buterin, B U T E R. All right, he's uh, writing a, a movie with his uh, son, which I'm very excited about. Really, really good guy. Um, yeah. We'll get him back on the show sometime. You'll like him. I dig it. He, yeah, so, he seems like up my alley of straight. <laughs> Sophia Cassiola and Michael J. Epstein. Yes. Dave Deadman is giving me crap over to the side about cooking. Do you have a real kitchen? Because my kitchen... My home space for one person is pretty big, but the kitchen is not there. It's, it's not. There's no, there's a place for a dish rack and a place for the coffee pot and teapot. And that's it. There's a single base sink. It's not, not conducive to cooking. It's a sad, sad world at Annabelle Lecter's house. I love to cook, but been a line cook multiple times someday i wish you could see his shirt here i can't quite see it but uh jay had a shirt it was the weirdos and losers of cult cinema nice and it had all, is that and one of the, a thing or is it just like i like the expression but is it for something it had uh, all different um horror people on it, including um you won't be able to quite see it here but it had uh uh, basket case up here. Um, it was all different horror characters. One of them was basket case. Oh, not a loser. Well, maybe a weirdo then. A loser. Where did he get the shirt? Weirdos and losers of horror cinema. I occult cinema. Okay, not horror. Cinema. And then I like this picture he uh, he took. Uh, so we were getting a picture over here, and he just kind of like, hey. It's a good picture because you got us all in the background. Oh, so what? Weirdos and loo what? It's got, it's got basket case. It's got uh, two Sawyers. How are they? What? I guess they are weirdos because it's Grandpa and the Hitchhiker. Oh, that's right. It has the head John Dugan on it. Yeah, 
and I guess they are technically pretty weird. Um, it's got, it looks like not a, a ghoulie, and I don't, I, I don't think I've seen whatever the movie is that Norlocks are from. Oh, Dave. I don't, wow. You're, but it's a cool shirt, isn't it? You're a better bachelor male than I. Yeah, it's a it's a weird I'm trip. Not, I like I'm neither it. a bachelor nor a male, so fair. I'm not good at it, but yeah, yeah. Basket case. Yeah, but a lot. I don't know. I dig it anyway. I like the whole setup of it. I don't know if it's like. It, I don't know like where it originated. If it's you know means something or what, but I like it. Made on Etsy by Crap Orama Corp. Crap Orama Corporation. They've got a lot of rad things that I might buy something of. It's pretty sweet. And then Neil is going to buy the same thing. What the hell? I'm the one who showed it to you. No, 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 no. I was, I was thinking about the plaid. Oh, like I, I've been wearing uh, flannels for years. The flannel I wear in Backwoods Bob was just one of my flannel shirts. Neil's a style thief. Stealing my my jive. Look, I love how Neil oh, man, yeah. match with blue. Oh yeah, shirt and the hat and the head. <laughs> a hat, I said it first. Devil had doorway entrance for $120. This is for you, Neil. The what? Everybody's gonna want this. Get ready. It's awesome. Crap, I'm going to totally put this. Oh, my God, that's a big link. Well, check it out. Maybe if it posts. It is. I don't know if it's going to post. Yeah. No. It? All right, can you. Oh, no. It just. Oh, it's really horrible. But you uh. probably could shop it down to the Etsy doorway. That's pretty amazing. Did you check out the link yet? No, I can't click on it. I can't copy and paste uh, from uh, from StreamYard. Really? Mm -hmm. Well, I'll send it in a Facebook. All right. Because it's amazing. You are going to love it and want it at your house. 13.5 feet high. Holy shit. By 9.5 feet wide. It's the best. Oh, damn. Yeah. Enter here. Yeah. That's pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. That's sweet. We can send you the image too so you can. We can I can get it. it I can people. get it for you. Hmm. I'd put it up at my place, but I don't uh, know. I'm in. I don't think the image worked for some reason. I sent, did you get the one I sent to you? Hmm. It's not working. Hmm. I'll try here again. By the way, it's getting really late for you. Oh shit, it is really late. Well, time. This was very fun. Uh, we had a couple things. I'm just going to bring up real quick. 
we'll talk about more next week. But Thanksgiving, uh, yeah. which is uh, he's oh, been making that forever. Yeah. Have they? I sent the picture. I didn't know someone. Well, he it was Gregory Burkhart posted it and was like, yeah. "Wow." Was not been making it forever, but it, he made the fake trailer uh, years and years ago, and people always wanted to make the movie, so he's actually making it. It's awesome. So that's cool. Great. That and uh, if people yeah. haven't seen, look at that. That's pretty awesome. So amazing. That's the uh, door entryway for one hundred and twenty dollars made of vinyl. It's crazy. It's so cool. So yeah, Thanksgiving and good because there's there's so many Christmas horror movies, and I like Christmas horror movies, but uh, gonna start making some other. There there's more than Christmas. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of other holidays, even the silly little holidays. Yeah, Arbor Day, which Arbor Day. We talked about <laughs> that before. Yeah, it's probably get us canceled. The no. Not Arbor Day, but the, the idea. The idea of Arbor Day? No, the, the idea we had for the Arbor Day movie. I'm trying to remember our idea. Is it kind of like Treevenge? Well, I, I mean, it was before Treevenge. Yeah. Then uh, also these these two movies, I am I know some people are against them. They might be bad, but I'm for the idea. We got three blind mice, see how they run, see how they kill. It's yeah. a horror movie uh, based off the nursery rhyme about three blind mice. I think that looks cool. I think so, too. I, hope it's not gonna, I mean, that's a whole different story from Winnie the Pooh, you know? I and think because a lot of these stories are based off of crazy shit anyways. Like, three blind mice is a dark... It's not... A All the fairy tales are really dark if you read well, them. Well, it's like they get their tails cut off by, like... The, Farmer's wife cut their tails off with a carving knife. That's not that's violent. Yeah. I'm all about it. And Mary had a little lamb. Yeah. So no, both I, do, these... I would prefer if they were just monsters and not people with masks. Right. Yeah, the other ones are monsters. Because the both the trailers are up on without your head. You can check them out. Three blind mice, they are three monsters, three blind monsters. And I'm not sure about this one, but pretty sure it's a person in a mask. But I can't really tell for sure. We don't know. We don't know. So Christine could maybe happen. Is it this yeah, the forty. It's the 40th anniversary of Christine's playing at uh playing at AMC. AMC, whatever event they call it. It's like a what is it called? something event special yeah I forget what they do call it so yeah that's a sunday and i think it plays a couple other times too but sunday's usually the best for but um it, pro I, it won't be playing a long time though is the thing i the all i saw was sunday and wednesday oh okay so i'm gonna say Sunday. There were two showings for Sunday. I can't remember what they were, but probably. 40th anniversary special event, four o'clock and seven o'clock. So you both those are doable. So yeah. So uh so now I get awesome. to watch this movie, and you know that it's not gonna be possible for me to watch it without thinking about that guy who thought he was gonna hook up with <laughs> he thought, he's not he's not a big part of it anyway. 
Yeah. And then he's probably like, oh man, do they want a threesome? It's like, no, we thought we would actually just hang out with you like normal people. <laughs> weird man. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's not a big part of it though. And uh, the Nun 2 is also playing. I don't think I've seen the Nun 1. Not a big fan, but I mean, I'd, I'd watch I'd watch a second one to review it. It, it, and it plays a million times. So. As Dorchester often has, the obscure, especially they usually have the Asian movies, the Asian horror. Like yeah. you're, the one you go to seems to have uh, Indian movies, and the Dorchester one has Asian horror, mm -hmm. which is very cool that yeah, just... that's possible. Not everybody has that good fortune. It's a movie called Jaw One, but I think it's an action movie. Yeah, but that movie we saw. Yeah. I'd say it was horror. It was the like emotional oh. journey of a man who is set to rectify the wrongs in society and attempt to get even with his past. Driven by a personal vendetta while keeping up to a promise made years ago, a high octane action thriller uh, where he is set up against a dreadful, monstrous outlaw. I thought I saw monstrous. I thought maybe it was a monster. Well, monster. What's the name of this movie? Jawan. J A W A N. Let's look at this. That's at the, uh, that must that's a Indian movie. Oh, I thought. Yeah, I was like, that doesn't sound Asian. I mean, it is technically Asian because right, right. Asian, but you get what I'm saying. I mean, the Far East Asia. Oh. But we'll, we'll uh, check. We will find out and we will report back to you. We will probably be doing, as has been the case with Dinner in the Movies as of late, doing a live stream yard. So keep your eyes to the skies. <laughs> keep your eyes on the Facebook page and, uh, well, the group, Neil. Where else do you end up posting those as they happen? Uh, without uh, YouTube and uh, and the last one I did on the Facebook group in your page. Very nice. So, yeah. So stay tuned. Sunday at some point that'll happen. It's kind of like yeah. random of when it makes sense to do it. Right. We'll also check Coolidge and and uh, Brattle. Who knows? Maybe something weird's going on there. So what? yeah, it's way late, and that's okay. Well, this was a great time. Uh, it was a great uh, couple weeks uh, doing stuff together and yeah. doing stuff with a lot of cool people. Yes. I was very exhausted when I got home, but it was all worth it. All worth it. All yeah. right. Good so night. more stuff will be coming. Yeah, absolutely. Good night to one and all in the, uh, the, the world. I'm super, can you, I don't know if you could tell, like I've progressively gotten more tired and more like. Sure. Well, let's pull up uh, <laughs> Poltergeist OD is our music of the month. Ah. We're going to well, play this up. Very yeah. different music than we've been playing on the show lately. So uh, here we go. Okay. And we'll be back soon. Check the group, join the group, subscribe everywhere, and we will be back.
all float down here Come with here. a night breed. Now I might squeeze a bigger trigger that could make a demon would feel like a light breeze. I'm the creep that was pumping the nightclub trend. Lurks around every corner, yo, I ain't up. Dead and buried in a pet cemetery. Heads rolling harder than the daughter in hereditary oh, heart. I'll tear your ribs apart, kid. I'm the prince of darkness. And you look like you make a blissful carcass. I am the bargains. I am the sharpest in. I'm just getting started, uh. I am the serpent in the rainbow and the slithering behind the curtains in the grave. So, out of bounds, I'm out of place with traces of aliens from beyond a killer clowns from out of space. I hit the beat like a machine between scenes, making Courtney Cox scream in the backseat of Christine. I keep talking to just blame it on sobriety. Keep talking out to ass and you can blame it on society. Hey. Can't listen to the street trash waste, but I guess even Peter Jackson had a bad taste. True. Uh. Heads blown, follow a poltergeist into the dead zone. Let's go. I have to wall tripping with red toes. Heads don't follow every punch into the deep. Sleep with average week. It's a savage week. It's when you in the company of wolves. Run for me, I'll pull you back and have you running with the ball of crap. And it's hazardous and a dick. So I've been busy strictly playing devil's advocate. I mastered it. So when evil brings you needful things, you need to bring it back. The Lazarus. Back what's next? Tour next. Who's next? You're next. I'm on your ass like Cortex. Uh, and raw like Rex. The next up in the set. The next to cross me gets possessed. Uh, when I'm on the mic, it's a stupid liquid lightning shooting. Now till it changes to freeze like an indecisive duty You should keep my breakfast spot like my Camaro tire <laughs> If you don't listen to me, you're a terrible listener <laughs> Smoke until the air expires And my breath colder than Alberta's air in winter <laughs> Too rude, too few Views on YouTube chase you down and waste you Who's Come on, I'm the who's who of losers Who's you? I break it down and I'm taking it over But who's who? I'm the, I'm the beast within I'm the reason to scream and scream again So scream, baby, scream for the flesh and the fiends Fed through death machines Special recipes keep kicking rocks for I tactics Block. You couldn't get a shot at me if you were Ridley Scott uh, Two bloodhounds like I'm Jimmy Pop Yup, dead man walk, are you really shocked? I'll crush you face like really Spot And then just look the other way like a city cop wow. No Photoshop, put your face to the desktop And hit you with the power cord like indie rock uh, You were an example, hurt and trample Watch me get cancelled like you're an example uh, Insane rabbit, satanic, fanatic, addict with brain damage Running at you in a straight jacket, sandals Y'all kings, I'm the freak of the castle Grab a couple candles to leave on the mantle Bars grab you, but they ain't easy to handle I'm a handful, I can't even be in a chapel Hey, I'm becoming reclusive Flow scary good like a shutter exclusive I'm bad news bears with a chance of savage Made a rack online and enhanced my bandwidth Hey, I'm becoming reclusive Flow scary good like a shutter exclusive She and Medeem, she can see him and she can get some Then some, I show up at the red rum, red rum Hey, I'm becoming reclusive Flow scary good like a shutter exclusive Uh, I hit the game like drugs to addicts Full of loud thoughts like a public transit. <laughs> hey, I'm becoming reclusive. Flow scary good like a shutter exclusive. Kinda rapping that dick back for that hit. Moving through these lines like a path of traffic. 